Friday, January the 13th. Ooh, spooky. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. It is NFL Super Wild Card Weekend. We're going to dive into the games with Eric, who has been with us every single week for every single game of the year. Then we jump into Friday Racing, Gulfstream Park, and Santa Anita. They've already canceled the races for Saturday at Santa Anita, so we'll jump into Saturday Gulfstream Park. Then we move to wrestling this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. I actually went to AEW Dynamite at the LA Forum, so it was uh, a lot of fun to get the chance to uh, experience that live. There was big news and a big rumor about WWE being sold this week. We talk about everything going on with Chad Cooper. And then we finish up with the Royal Rumble 1997 on the old wrestling rewatch with Andrew Champagne. It's Rumble season. This was a Rumble that was also in the Alamo Dome where they're going to be this year. And this was a fun one. Stone Cold Steve Austin dominates the Rumble. My guy Bret Hart got screwed out of that Royal Rumble win. We dive into everything in the old wrestling rewatch on this episode of That's What G Said. That is presented by Better Than Dot Vegas at BTV Bets. Make sure to go give them a follow right now on Twitter and flip those notifications on. This week we'll have individual previews on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday for the NFL games. So we'll preview the Saturday games, then the Sunday games, then the Monday game. Saturday, 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Eric joins me. Uh, Also, Kyle, the DFS Bachelor, has been a big part of our football coverage all throughout the year. Everything's free at BTV. They just want to help you become a better better. NFL Super Wild Card Weekend. Here we go. We kick back and dive into all six of the games right now with Eric. Full game breakdowns for Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Kick back and enjoy. NFL Super Wild Card Weekend. Schedule has been announced. There are three days of football coming up this weekend. Saturday, January the 14th, we have Seattle at San Francisco, the number seven seed Seattle in the NFC against the two seed San Francisco. Uh, Later on Saturday, 8.15 Eastern time, we head to the AFC. We've got the Chargers and the Jags. The Chargers are the five seed. The Jags are the four seed. On Sunday, we have a triple header starting at 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern time in the AFC. We've got the seven seed Miami Dolphins against the number two seed Buffalo Bills. Uh, In the middle of of the day on Sunday, 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Giants and Vikings. Giants are the sixth seed. Vikings are the three. Sunday night football game, AFC, Baltimore at Cincinnati. You've got the sixth seed and the three seed there in the AFC. We finish up with Monday night football. We have the Cowboys at the Bucks. Number five, Dallas at number four, Tampa in the NFC. So that makes your number one seed in the AFC, the Kansas City Chiefs, the number one seed In the NFC, the Eagles, remember, they both get buys. We will have six games coming up over the next three days of Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Eric has been here with us to discuss every single game throughout the NFL season for the last two years at least. And a few years ago, he was with us most of the weeks of the NFL season. So, buddy, we've covered a lot of ground. It's playoff time. It's been a good year. For guys like you and I, because the dogs have finished the regular season hitting at 56%. So if you're someone who likes to play a little contrarian, you've been doing well. The magic number to break even is what, around like 53% or so? like 52 and change. Yeah, 52-38, I think, if you're playing at like minus 110 standard juice. 
that we have all six of these games that are going to be rematches. So we were able to look back at games earlier in the year, maybe some games we could take a lot from, maybe some games that things are going to be completely different and maybe you can't really use them as a great gauge. A couple other small tidbits. The NFC East has now gone 18 straight years without a repeat champion. Kind of crazy. It's the longest it's the longest streak for any division in NFL history, and it's the longest active streak for any division in NFL, NBA, MLB, or NHL. So we uh, we have a couple of rookie quarterbacks. Rookie quarterbacks are nine <clears throat> nine and eighteen in the playoffs since nineteen eighty three. A couple of them will be starting in the playoffs this year. In the last four playoffs, home teams have twenty four wins. Road teams have 20 wins. So home field advantage over the last four years has not been that huge of a deal in the playoffs. Just keep in mind, we've had teams like Tampa go on the road and win three road games before winning a Super Bowl. Last year, you had the Bengals win a couple of road games themselves before making it to the Super Bowl. We've had the last four conference championship games, four road wins, four home wins. So, again, home field advantage, not quite as huge over the last four or five years. This is going to be the first time ever that five new head coaches reach the playoffs in the same year. Vikings, Jags, Giants, Dolphins, and Tampa, all with first-year head coaches that have made it. We start out on Saturday, and our first game is Seattle versus San Francisco. We have Seattle 9 and 8 straight up, 7 and 10 against the spread. San Francisco 13 and 4 straight up, 11 and 6 against the spread. So Eric being in the division, these two teams have already played each other twice so far this year. San Francisco won both of those games. One of them was back in week 2, the other was in week 15. San Francisco won 21-13 in a game that was at Seattle. They were favored by like three and a half in that game. So San Francisco is favored by almost 10 in this game now um, being at home. Over under in this game is only 42 because there could be some rain and some wet weather. So that's a pretty big number for a low total where there could be some wet weather here. Looking at Seattle, their best wins this year against the Chargers and against the Giants would probably be considered their best wins. Worst losses, both of the losses to San Fran. They actually lost to the Falcons, Carolina. They got beat up by Kansas City on the San Fran side. You know, they're a team when you dive into their schedule, um, they beat up on some pretty bad teams too. Uh, They beat a banged up Chargers team. They beat Seattle twice. They beat the Dolphins um, and Tampa on a short week. They have some pretty bad losses, though, too, to the Bears, the Broncos, the Falcons. They were all on the road. They got beat up by Kansas City. Let's talk this one out, Eric, Seattle, and San Fran in our first playoff game. I mean, I think the <clears throat> excuse me, the main thing is I'm looking at the Santa Clara forecast. Rain, potentially heavy rainfall, chance of rain 100%. But the two things that stick out to me is winds 20 miles an hour, rainfall possibly over an inch. That's a little worrisome to me. Um, you know, we kind of saw what happened at Soldier Field with the San Francisco team when they played um, the first game of the season. But in fairness, you know, that's a lot newer stadium. Um, Soldier Field's kind of a piece of crap, uh, in all honesty. Um, that was Trey Lance. Yeah, that too, was Trey right? Lance. L- lots of different stuff there. No McCaffrey. Like, there's a lot of different things from that game. So there's a lot of things you can take away. Uh, McCaffrey's a little bit banged up. Mitchell came back, maybe an Elon Mitchell game. 
Um, I'll be honest, like interesting movement. Um, one sports book hung a six and a half. Um, like, and I'm, I'm pissed off. I missed it. Hung a six and a half late Sunday night. When I woke up the next day, it was, the thing has already bloomed up to 10. So, um, you know, that's, I don't know. I can't, I can't possibly lay 10 with the 49ers when you have Brock Purdy starting, no. but on the flip side, teams have kind of figured out how to play um, Geno Smith. And um, it's really hard to trust him. Um, so I really don't know what I do, what I want to do right off of openers. I did bet George Kittle anytime touchdown at plus one fifty. Since Purdy has taken over the 49ers, Kittle is averaging 6.4 targets, 4.4 receptions, 53 yards, 1.4 touchdowns a game. The last time the 49ers played the Seahawks with Purdy starting, five targets, four receptions, 93 yards, two touchdowns. Seahawks have struggled covering the tight end all season long. And you got to keep this in mind. Kittle missed two games, and he was still second on the team in red zone targets. He plays a full season. He's going to lead the team in red zone targets. And since Purdy has taken over, he leads the team in red zone targets. So I took that off of openers, but obviously with the weather forecast, I'm a little bit hesitant about that bet. Um, it's dipped down to 140 now in most books. So I didn't get the better number, but in terms of. See, because what's hard is that the number is big. What's hard here is the weather. Yeah. And because the way to beat, because the way to beat San Francisco is through the air. Like you can attack them through the air. You can attack their secondary. Unfortunately, if it's raining bad like that, and Sam and Seattle can't throw that might make the, the template of the game better for San Francisco to just yeah. run the ball because Seattle's not quite as good stopping the run. And if San Fran just wants to run the ball over and over, it'll make it a little bit easier, a little less pressure on Purdy. Keep in mind, this is also Geno Smith's first ever playoff game. He is a veteran though. Um, some stuff on the Seattle side, they're at plus 6,500 to win the Super Bowl. That is the co-longest shot. Uh, with the Dolphins, so the co-longest odds to win it. They're number 13 in EPA per play on offense, number 26 in EPA per play on defense, ranked number 24 in the pro football focus power rankings. They had the number 26 strength of schedule on the year, actually number 10 in DVOA, 14 offense DVOA, 21 defense DVOA, number four special teams. They got off to a 6-3 and three start this year. They have some nice wins. They beat the Lions. They beat the Giants by 14, Chargers by 14. Then they lost five of their their last uh, their next six before winning the final two games of the year. Keep in mind, they were projected to win five and a half games this year. They had the fourth longest odds to make the playoffs before the season started. So they've done a great job just to get here. They struggled in November and early December. They just couldn't run the ball well during that stretch. But Walker's healthy again. He went for over 100 yards for the third straight game to end the year with over 1,000 yards rushing. Had a season-high 29 carries last week, 114 yards. Seven runs for a first down, including a 20-yard run in overtime to put them at the 27-yard line to set them up for a field goal. Uh, They do have some defensive injuries, though. Their linebacker, Brooks, and their nose tackle uh, out or binged up. That's going to make things more difficult for them. One of the reasons why they're here, Eric, is because their rookies – were very, very good this year. Um, they got lots of production. Rookies started 70 games this year for them. That's tied for the most for any team since 1970. And that's sort of why, you know, on a lot of projections, teams didn't think they were going to be closer to a nine-win team because, you you know, it's hard to project these rookies coming in and producing right away. But they did. They've gotten a lot of production out of them. And, you know, a win total that was five and a half. They got all the way up to nine and, and shout out to Gino 
who had a really nice year, but he has struggled a little bit down the stretch. Like you said, the, 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 the film's out on him. We know now kind of what to do, make things difficult for him. He did set franchise records in completion percentage, pass attempts, um, passing yards, became the first Seattle quarterback to lead the NFL in completion percentage since 1991, but 10 turnovers in the last eight games. And, you know, with the rainy forecast we saw last week, they were just one of 11 on third down when it was rainy for them in a, in a wet weather situation. Uh, they've done well creating turnovers. Maybe that's some, maybe that's a way they can stay in this game. They've created 24 turnovers this year. They're just not good at stopping the run. They've allowed eight different opponents to run for at least 160 yards this year. Both games against San Fran, the Niners ran for 170 and then 180 plus. Um, they they got to be sharper on offense too. Three different times last week, they had to settle for field goals in the red zone. The one thing I'm looking at for them, both games against the Niners, they tried to run the ball on early downs, and they were just not successful. So and they end up putting themselves in third and long situations, which are obvious passing situations. So they were pressured on 50% of their third down dropbacks in the two regular season matchups, and they, they had to, an average go third and 10.7 yards. That's a really tough spot to be in. You're an underdog. You're coming in here playing a team that's a like a 10-point favorite, basically. You've got nothing to lose. You weren't supposed to be here. They got to get creative at least here, Eric, right? They got to come out and try to throw the ball on first down a little bit, like not be so predictable, change things that didn't work for them the first couple times they played. And, I mean, the 49ers, they run this funnel-type defense, which kind of forces everything in the middle. Because of the injuries, like you mentioned, Jimmy Ward is playing – the slot position, which creates up for a very favorable matchup for Tyler Lockett, who's coming back. He did play last week from, after coming back from injury. But again, if it's 20 mile per hour winds and it's a wet ball in a wet field. Yeah. That, you know what I mean? Like you it really- takes out Lockett. You know what I mean? It hurts Lockett too, yeah. who like he kind of bounced back. He was a little bit healthier last week. He's, you know, 12th in pro football focused receiving grade, but does that matter? Um, their offensive line yeah, is really like struggling. Windy and rainy, like this, that's a prime matchup you can take advantage of. But if the elements don't allow you to, you really can't, which is kind of hard. Right. Um, they got to blitz more too, I think, on defense. Because um, there are two rookie tackles too. Two yeah. rookie tackles. You have to remember that. Um, They're 30th in adjusted line yards created, 24th in run block win rate this year. The offensive line is really struggling. I mean, this Niners team is a good football team, right? They're five in offensive EPA. They're number one in defensive EPA. They're tied for third in the pro football focus power rankings. Number two DVOA, number one defensive DVOA, number six on offense. But they had the easiest strength of schedule in the league. They won 10 in a row after starting three and four. They're plus 550 to win the Super Bowl, which has them as the co-third choice right there with the Eagles. Can Purdy sustain this play? You know, he's made five starts, and no rookie quarterback has ever made the Super Bowl, let alone win it. No third-string quarterback has ever led a team to the Super Bowl. Teams have made the Super Bowl in years when they've started backups uh, and third-stringers, but by the time they got to the Super Bowl, the initial starter was back. Uh, Since week eight, here are their opponents. 
Chargers without Allen and Williams. The Rams, who were bad. Arizona with Colt McCoy. The Saints in a 13-0 game where they the Saints got stopped twice at the goal line and could have won that game. Miami without their linemen when all the linemen got hurt. Seattle, who has lost five of six during that stretch. Washington, who made a quarterback change to Wentz. The Raiders with Stidham, they went to overtime, and they played Arizona with David Blau and McSorley. They played three teams this year with a winning record. Seattle, Kansas City, and the Chargers. They got crushed by Kansas City. The Chargers were really banged up when they played them, and they beat Seattle twice. And the one game against Seattle, it was 7-3, to three at, and Seattle was driving, and... Seattle fumbled the ball. 49ers got it, went down and scored. It was 14 to 3, and the game was over. That it just completely flipped the game. I don't think Seattle was going to win the game or anything, but it definitely flipped the script of that game. And again, you know, we got this rookie quarterback, Purdy, here, who, if they're in a position where he has to throw and it's not great, and now he has to go out there and there's a little bit of pressure on him, that's just a big number for me. I'm, I'm definitely not laying this. And after it hits seven and a half, that was my buy in point, I think, on Seattle. Yeah, I really, I think I'm just going to sit out, sit with my Kittle touchdown bet in this game, to be utterly honest with you, just because the weather is a really big concern with me. Um, And, you know, when we look at this 49ers team, if you just look at the offensive line, you know, you got Williams, you do have some concerns, but you have a solid book and tackle who can beat, who can compete and lock pretty much any pass rusher on that side up. You have a great defensive line that's good against the run. You have a solid linebacker core. You have holes in the secondary, but those holes in the secondary can be band-aided. If Bosa, Armstead and company can get home, they can kind of band-aid those holes. Yep. And, I and mean, they- we kind of have to start thinking like this team could just kind of be like that Dilford led Ravens team back in the day. Well, you know what I mean? The team that the NFL- won it on defense. And it's key. Like if, if the you have to have a team that can beat them throwing the ball. And unfortunately, this team isn't like your Lions, I thought, would have matched up really well with, with uh, San Francisco because the, the Lions have a good offensive line, so they can at least give Goff a little bit of time to try to move the ball, and then they could throw the ball down the field a little bit too. Yeah. Now, but so I, but I that's still what think you that, you, you, yeah, you and need that, an offensive line. You need, they need a team that can beat them two ways like a yep. team that can throw and a team that can pass. Unfortunately, I don't think the 49ers can. Geno's been trending in a downward trajectory. Um, the Seahawks defense, Seahawks have been playing poorly the last month. Really poorly. And you wonder. So really hard. I know it's the third game. I do kind of lead like the first half under because this is the third time they met. They're familiar with their system. Carroll's probably going to lean on the run, like you said, even though we both think he should open up the path, the pass a little bit more. But the one thing that Shanahan's doing that's kind of stood out to me is he is being a little bit more aggressive, going for it and fourth down more. I think he trusts his, that. Yeah, he trusts the defense too. Yeah. You know what I mean? He knows that they're they're good. Um well, that's been my one knock with Shanahan, though, is he's always been a little too conservative for my liking. If he starts playing like this. I, I will say this is the this is my team. I'm gonna play against them every week mm-hmm. because I think they're just way overvalued. They could absolutely win the Super Bowl. I just think they're too overvalued right now for a team led by Purdy, who I just have so many questions about too. Like I really can't completely trust him. 
or their secondary enough, right? They're very difficult to run the ball against, second in EPA allow per run. Uh, they, and when they win the turnover battle, they're 13-0. and When they lose the turnover battle, they're 0-4. So um, you play smart against them. Don't make mistakes. Don't beat yourself, and you'll be in the game. They do have the top-scoring defense in the league, allowing just 16.2 points per game for them. It's a lot of after-the-catch stuff, and it's all about scheming it up. So that, I, the number, I mean, obviously I'm going to wait a little bit because 10, if I can get to 10, that would be fantastic. I'm I'm fine with anything over 7.5, so I'm just going to wait um, to see where the number sort of settles because at more than the touchdown, I think you're still – alive for a back door with these teams yeah. keeping it close like you said if it if it's bad weather and the, the the under in the first half if it's just a close game give me the points in here and maybe and Seattle banged up a little bit too you know what I mean like, like Seattle could get blown out right they, you know, they could is- get killed because they may be like you were saying maybe they're just like hey we're we shouldn't even have been here we're like happy to be here or they could kind of come in with no pressure and just kind of playing loose, like, hey, nobody really expects us to win anyways. Like, let's just go out here and have a good couple of drives to start the game and see what happens, you yeah. know? So, And if it's if it's really that wet and that windy, that's going to neglate a lot of the athletic advantages that San Francisco has. Too. And, they're, so, and they're fast defense, too, right? Like, and the fast defensive line getting after the quarterback, too. We saw this with Dallas, and we're going to talk about it a little bit with the Cowboys in just a minute. So, Seattle, San Francisco kick off the playoffs this weekend on Saturday. We move to Saturday night, Chargers, Jags. We have the Jags, a two and a half point home dog in here, uh, over under 47 and a half. Chargers, two and a half point favorite on the road in here. 10 and seven are the Chargers straight up, 11, five and one against the spread, nine and eight straight up, eight, eight and one against the spread. For the Chargers, uh, their best win this year was against the Dolphins. Their worst losses, Kansas City twice, but by a total of six points. They got beat up by the Jags, Seattle, uh, and San Francisco in games where they were not healthy. They lost to the Raiders. Well, the Chargers are plus 2,500 um, to win the Super Bowl, the seventh best odds, the same price as teams like the Vikings and the Buccaneers. On the opposing side, you have Jacksonville. They're plus 4,600. That's the 11th best price to win the Super Bowl. What's hard about looking at this Chargers team this year and and looking at some of the metrics that I'll mention and things that like DVOA that you and I will point out so much of their their season was spent with an unhealthy roster and yeah. so it's like no Mike Williams no Keenan Allen for a lot of it no Bosa key members of the secondary offensive line being out. And so there's so many of their games where you look at and you're like, ah, they didn't play well there or they lost this game. And then you look at the, you look at the box score and you see who was playing and they weren't healthy. Now they're probably pretty close to the healthiest they've been, even though Staley decided to play everybody last week when they had nothing to play for. Well, and Mike William, like, I just don't understand that. Like, I got it made a, no sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. I got from a pretty good source that they weren't going to play, and then like he's out there playing. He's now he's um, hurt. Williams Mike Williams hurt. Um, and Bosa act, got a little banged up too. They acted. Yeah, they activated. Um, Butler, Slater, Slater's Slater, Rasul Slater, but he probably won't um, play till next week, right? I think. Yeah, he probably if they can win. If if they can win, if they got to win. win. Um, just a. Just a very intriguing matchup. Um, in terms of the first game, 
that was that game. The first, like, we didn't know if Herbert was going to play that game. He had the like, ribs. Like, don't even look at that game at all. Yeah. If it was 38 then, to 10, do not use that game at all. Like, he, he had rib cartilage injury, and he shouldn't even have played that game. Yep. And then the Jaguars were doing a lot of RPO with James Robinson in between the tackles. And he's not is there. Etienne, yeah. Is Etienne going to be able to ha- to to hold up? Because we all know the weakness. Uh, well, first of all, we say I got the chart. Like this is this line's been all over the place. When this dipped yeah. on the Chargers minus one fifteen, that's when I bought it. I got I got the Chargers money line here. Yeah, I'm um, fine with the Chargers. This is going to be a good game and a fun game. I would be fine with the Chargers up to where it is right, like up to under the field goal. I wouldn't lay three or more with them. Obviously, if you miss the number and you want to try to wait and see if you can get the number to come back a little bit, but I would be okay with the Chargers myself up to about th- up to three. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, like, is Etienne going to be able to hold up? Because, like, it's always, like, five, six times a game he, like, limps off the field like he's dying. He's like a – he's not really built for an in-between the tackle We've guys. We've been saying this all, all year. Yeah. You've been pointing this um, out all year. Um, yeah. The other thing, they do have some holes in the offensive line, like Cam Robinson's banged up. The guy Shepard from Washington's on the IR. Bosa coming back. Um, he's going to be able to go. You got him and Mac. Are the Jaguars going to be able to stop that? Because we did see that their offensive line did have some trouble with the Titans. And that's not sugar quarter. They, they should have lost that game. They allowed they eight pressure on 33 pass blocking snaps, and they only ran the ball for 1.9 yards per carry, just 17 yards for Etienne, and only 22 yards combined between the two running backs on 10 carries. Yeah, that's – I don't know. Like, I I think they can win. I think the, the Chargers are going to be able to get to Lawrence. I think they're going to make Lawrence uncomfortable. I think that Herbert is going to be able to get stuff going. You kind of look at it – the. The Jaguars, they do struggle defending the running back in the passing game. Eckler, you know, he is a dog in the passing game. I think they're going to struggle to do that. But I'm So really the thinking- defense, against they have allowed the second most receptions and yards to running backs in the passing game this yeah. year. Their defense against play-action passes in the first three quarters on early downs. So, like, they get baited. They're 26th in EPA per. The there are a lot of things I think that the winning streak has kind of um covered up about the Jacksonville Jags. Like they were three and seven, and now they're seven and three. They ended on a five game winning streak. They forced 11 turnovers during that streak, and two of them were game winning scores. One thing that's kind of cool so from week 16 of 2019, Eric, over a 43 game stretch, they were seven and 36. In the nine games since that, they're seven and two. Yeah. <laughs> they were seven and 36 and now seven and two and they were three and 14 last year they have a winning record this year it was just a fifth team since 1970 to go from having the worst record in the league to winning the division think about the pass rush it's been a weakness for them everybody's talking about how they have a really great defense well they're going to be without one of their best pass rushers who has a torn achilles during this stretch here are the quarterbacks they've played recently Zach Wilson, Chris Strebler, Davis Mills, Jeff Driscoll, and Joshua Dobbs. Yeah, not really a murderous murder. This, this is not Herbert here. Um, and they don't really have a true number one wide receiver. That worries me a little bit. And if it's third and five and you need to go make a big play, is it 
Kirk or Ingram, keep in mind, they entered week 18 tied for the most drops in the league with 37 because they have a lot of like number two and number three type wide receivers. Their major weakness on defense is their pass defense. They entered week 18, 29th in DVOA, 29th against slot targets, allowing 0.42 EPA per attempt. St. Brown and Lamb had huge games against them. Allen runs a lot of those same routes. He could be in line for a massive game. Slot well, reception, right? I bet, I bet Keenan Allen over um, 73 and a half yards receiving. Um, their slot corner, Trey Herndon, PFFs um, 101 graded quarterback this year. They only graded 122. Uh, Keenan Allen runs two thirds of his routes along in the slot. So he'll be really looked to be match up against Her- um, Herndon. You just kind of look at um, Lockett's, excuse me, Allen's production. He's gone over the 77 and a half, uh, two of the last three, four to the last five. Um, you know, he's routinely, cl- he has, he's 10 targets a game average. And now you got Mike Williams, who it's the injury is not as bad as they first reported, but he could still miss the game. If he misses the game, that's even going to open up more, more stuff for Allen. I think that's and Eckler. Both, yeah. both of them in the short passing game. And keep in mind, so not only is Jacksonville bad with deep passes, they're also bad with short passes. Their yeah. defense against passes thrown less than seven air yards, they're 29th in success rate and 24th in EPA per pass. That's exactly what the Chargers do. Like, they don't even yeah. take big shots down the field. They dink and dunk a whole lot. And so if they want to take a shot, The secondary is bad. And then in the middle, they're not very strong either, Jacksonville. Um, And they're only the 30th best tackling team in the league. It's been a good year for them overall, right? But last week, the Titans in the first three quarters, the Titans starting Dobbs, they only had to punt one time. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that's... They were the the thing that they were able to do was put Dobbs in third and short, third and fourth, third and three, and I mean they those the safeties were cheating up. They they didn't fear Dobbs in the passing game. He's not able to do what Allen, no, oh, excuse me, what Herbert is able to do. The one worry is will Lombardi be too conservative? My one thing about the Chargers is they do run a little bit too much on first down. Mm-hmm. They need to be able to open up the playbook and take advantage of these matchups that they have on the outside, namely in Allen and uh, if Williams is a play, um, Palmer and, and Carter. Uh, I think this is going to be, like you said, a good game. A lot of money, though, is coming in on the over. I don't, you know, 48 points in the playoff game. We have two people making their first career starts, maybe a little much. And who knows? This like Lawrence is great. You know, I it's, it's good. To he, see and he's him been excellent. He's like, he's been very COVID. good. Yeah. It's great to see him flour, you know, flourish with, with proper coaching and everything. Um, Yeah. For me, it's Jags. You know, I got him on the money line. I'd wait though, because I think this game uh, chargers, chargers, all, you said chargers, chargers yeah. on the money line. Yeah. Yeah. Chargers on the money line. I think this is going to be all over the place and like me playoffs. Too. Playoffs, you're going to get public against public, sharps against sharps. I, you know, I have two guys that I like really legitimately like respect that are, you know, they're, they're on the Jags. And, you know, me and me and one of 
one of the another guy I, I do some betting stuff with. He's he's on he's on the Chargers, so it's yeah. it's always I'm, fun this time of year. Yep, I'm with you. We're on the Chargers also. Um, Chargers, Jag should be a fun one. Two really good quarterbacks. I mean, look at the quarterbacks in the AFC right now. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. You have Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Herbert, and then for the Dolphins and the Ravens. They're guys that were good this year that the reasons why they're here, they're hurt, but you have Lamar and Tua who, you know, you and I don't think as highly of Tua as some others, but he did have a very good stretch of the year and was one of the reasons why they're here. That's a a really good, strong ASC of quarterbacks and young quarterbacks, guys like this who are going to be around for a while. Jags, Chargers, the Sunday Um, night game. Real quick. Some of these books, they offer like some fun stuff, like who will have the most, um, excuse me, most receiving yards, most passing yards, most rushing yards. One of them has, excuse me, Allen 11 to 1 to have the most uh, receiving yards this weekend, which I think is a very big possibility. Absolutely. Um, you know, if you just look at it, like he's, Listed the same price as Lamb. We'll get to that. But all these other guys, Jefferson, Diggs, Hill, Chase, there's all little worry points about them. Let's get to Dolphins and Bills for Sunday. Sunday morning, first game of the day. This one has ballooned all the way up to 13.5, over under 43.5. Miami's 9-8 and eight straight up, 9-8 and eight against the spread. Buffalo 13-3 and three straight up, 8-7-1 and one against the spread. And what's so difficult for this one also is that for the Miami Dolphins, they're starting their third-string quarterback, Skylar Thompson. So going through their schedule, going through their metrics, it's so hard. Yes, they have a three-game winning streak to start the year, then a three-game losing streak, then a five-game winning streak, then a five-game losing streak, and then they end scoring 11 points against the Jets in a game they needed to win to get in. Um, This number is going to probably be around 14. If it was Tua, it probably would have been around 7.5, Teddy B around 10, 11-ish. Um, when Tua starts, they average 25 and a half points. They've averaged 16.3 when it was Teddy B or Thompson. And the one thing that made it really difficult, Eric, and just looking at this, like not only is it Thompson, he has a sprained MCL. And you yeah. have Teddy B with a dislocated pinky finger on his throwing hand. He can only throw the ball about 10 yards down the field right now. You have Hill with an ankle injury. The offensive line is absolutely decimated by injuries right now. Um, Cedric Wilson has a hip and a groin issue. The starting running back, Mostert, just had surgery on his thumb. He can't even catch passes. He can only hold the ball with one hand. Can't even put two hands on the ball. He can't. Because of that, he can't pass block either. Yeah. Howard, uh, their secondary, Holland and Howard, in the secondary, they're banged up. Quarterbacks this year with at least 100 dropbacks. Thompson is graded quarterback number 47 out of 52. And they're going to have to throw the ball against Buffalo to keep up with the Bills. It's not like they can just try to hand the ball off and run in this game because you can't. Your offensive line is banged up, and you know Buffalo is going to score some points. They're going to score 25 or you know, 20, 25. Like you need to be able to throw the ball a little bit, which means they're going to try to have to drop back and throw and that means it's much more likely for defensive scores or just that's why this number is so big. I, I was listening to the Bet the Board podcast. I think they do a really great job over there. And it's a very like sharp betting podcast. So a lot of analytical stuff that I think you and I would would like get some really good info and tidbits from. 
they had said that if this quarterback with this collection of players and this injury, uh, this group of injuries right now, their, their defense is bad and they've been bad on the road, this group would have been a two or three win team this year. The team that's playing for Miami this weekend. That's absolutely mind-boggling. Um, and then, I mean, like, I, God, I, killing myself, absolutely killing myself for, for saying this. But I mean, like, if at, at what point does there out, be like, what like, point like, is there Hamlin value? Out, if Hamlin walks out, if Hamlin leads this team out, if he's there, this could be a hundred to nothing. Dude. No, you're you know right. I mean? you're, you're absolutely right. Um, it, it could be bad. Just think about what they did to the the Patriots last year. And how Allen just runs the ball a little bit more come playoff time. You would, you know, I would always be on the opposite of numbers this big. I'm not telling anyone to go lay this number at all. And you and I have kind of picked on the Bills a little. You know, they're plus 420. They're the second lowest odds to win the Super Bowl. They're the number one team in DVOA, top four in all three phases of DVOA, second in offense, fourth in defense. Uh, only the 17th team in the history of the metric to be top five in all three, number two in pro football focus power rankings. Last year in the playoffs, Josh Allen had nine touchdowns and no interceptions. Um, and, you know, y- y- they weren't quite as impressive as we wanted them to be. But you know what? They have three losses this year by a combined eight points. And yeah. they honestly could have won every game. Yeah. Like those those three losses are game. They could have been, they could be undefeated very easily. I, they could get caught up. I just don't think it's against this team, this Dolphins team with this roster here. This is a stay away for me at this number. Like I just can't get yep. it on either way. Yep. Stay away from me. However, I did find a player prop that I like. Nice. Tell um, us about it. I am going back to old reliable Mr. Dawson Knox. Anytime. TV nice. Plus uh, plus two twenty. I kind of feel with how big of a red zone target he is, anytime you get him over plus 200, you have to take it. Just three weeks ago in the in the game against the, the Finns, uh, eight targets, six receptions, 98 yards, uh, one touchdown. Um, you know, number three on the team in red zone targets. Miami, if you're looking at the teams in that are still playing, this is the team that has struggled against covering the tight end the most that is playing this weekend. So I think it's a good matchup for him. Um, I know a lot of people in DFS are going to kind of look toward Kittle with the weather issues. Yes. I think Watson Knox is a very good pivot. Pivoting yep. down to him will open stuff up. So yeah, I'm on Knox anytime TD plus uh, plus 220. Let's move to the middle game on Saturday. We've got the Vikings as a three-point favorite here against the Giants over under 48. Rematch of just a few weeks ago. Giants 9-7-1 straight up, 13-4 against the spread. Minnesota 13-4 straight up, 7-9-1 against the spread. For the Vikings, their best wins. Dolphins at the Bills and against the Giants. Their four losses are all awful. At the Eagles, against the Cowboys, at the Lions, at Green Bay, they got blown out in all of them. Vikings are plus 2,500 to win the Super Bowl, which is the co-seventh choice. They're right there in the range with the Chargers and Tampa. 11 of their wins this year. By one score, all 11 games that they were involved with that were one score games, they won. Their metrics, though, you dive into all of them. 18th in EPA per play on offense, 16th in EPA per play on defense, 11 in the pro football focus power rankings, 27 in DVOA. They have the 28th ranked strength of schedule, number 20 offensive DVOA, number 27 defensive DVOA. 
number 30 special teams. The defense is dead last in yards allowed. Prior to Sunday, they'd allowed at least 20 points in their in their previous eight games and 40 in two of them. Six of their opponents during that stretch went over 400 yards in total offense, including the Giants. They're third in the NFL with a plus nine turnover margin on drives that has started in the fourth quarter or overtime. That's just fluky. They beat the Giants in week 16 on a 61-yard walk-off field goal in a game where the Giants outgained them, dominated a lot of the box score. That was the longest field goal in the history of the Vikings franchise and 10 yards longer than the field goal kicker had ever kicked a field goal in his life. Um, Last week, a lot of their players played most of the game. Cousins, Cook, some of them. I'm not really going to take a lot out of last week's game. Uh, They're going to enter the playoffs with a negative point differential. They have the best net penalty yardage in the playoffs. Opponents were flagged for pass interference 11 times against them. Defensive holding 11 times. Like they just, they have the largest difference in modern NFL history between Pythagorean projection and actual wins. You talked a lot about Pythagorean projections in our um, season preview. This team just should not have been an 11 win team. They're bottom eight in the league defending receptions to running backs. I think Barkley could catch a couple passes. Their bottom five defense against the uh, third down and in the red zone. And in this game, the Giants secondary is going to be healthier. And overall, they're going to be healthier. The Vikings offensive line is going to be a lot more banged up and look a lot different than when these two teams played against each other just a few weeks ago. And for some reason now, they can't run the ball at all. Since week 11, They're number 31 in EPA per rush. Just 32% of their runs have graded successful. Eric, I was hoping this would be the matchup that we got when I saw these two teams play in the regular season because I figured this would be just around this line. We'd get a chance to play the the Giants. I think it's a really good spot for the Giants. I absolutely think they could beat them, uh, beat the Vikings here at this game. And I would would play the Giants money line and at three and and over, absolutely, I'm on the Giants side. And one more thing to add to that. Um, yeah, I'm definitely on the three. I locked in the three, too. Um, if you think the Giants are going to win this game, and I talked about it on my stream on Tuesday with um, with Sterling, you have to play the Giants plus 2,500 just to make it to the Super Bowl. Absolutely. I gave this out um, on the DRF Sports uh, show with Jack Fitzpatrick earlier, too, as just who yeah. is a long shot in each conference. And for me, it's the Giants. Yeah. Yeah, just because the third time playing the Eagles, you know. Hurts might they, be banged up. up. Yeah, they match up pretty good against the Eagles. Eagles have some stuff going on. We don't know how the rhythm of hurt of the rhythm of Hurts playing, because that's a real thing. Not playing in games really does hurt. Um, Jones lighted him up um, last time they played. He's a good DFS guy. Um, Sterling did point this out on my stream earlier, um, how the Vikings – are number two in the highest rate of explosive plays allowed and giving up a league high 10 yards per target to outside receivers. He pointed out how Isaiah Hodgins is on the outside at 90% of the time. And in week 16, he had 12 targets for eight receptions, 89 yards and a touchdown. And it'll be matched up against Patrick Peterson and Duke Shelley. I think Hodgins, he's only 6,400 on the, um, on FanDuel. I think he's a great play. You could do him. Then that opens up the salary to play a Herbert in your quarterback position. Cook hasn't looked the same. Um, 
Giants are getting healthy. The Bull is a great coach. Cousins so this is an, this is a, one thing that – Oh, sorry. Uh, this is one th- – I'm glad you brought him up because this is something that is a stat that I felt like you might have told me. He's 3-0 and against the spread this year in rematches. Like, I like that. He, his, he knows how to make adjustments, and then he knows how to adjust to his opponent. So it, every time he's played an opponent, the next time he's played him, they, they've done a little bit better against them. So yep. I, I like him and their coaching staff going against this Vikings team. I think they're going to run the ball a little bit. Barkley, um, third in opportunity share, fourth in weighted opportunities, 15th in red zone touches. He had six evaded tackles, second in breakaway runs, fifth in yards created. And since week 14, the Vikings run defense, 18th in rushing success rate, 20th in EPA per rush, 20th in rushing yards allowed per game. Barkley had 22 touches and 133 yards against this defense when they played last time out. Daniel Jones has been a better. This is another one that you point out to me all the time. Daniel Jones is way better on the road in his career. Passer rating, touchdown to interception ratio, and yards per play have all been way, way higher. It's like there's a little bit less pressure on him or something. Yeah, I like this Giants team. Keep going if you have anything else to add. Um, you know, you mentioned the DVOA. Broncos and Raiders, who we both thought were shit shows this year. Um, you know, they they were ranked higher of a higher DVOA than them. Jones covers on the road. He's 17 and 7, 71% ATS. As a road dog, he's 16 and 5, 76% ATS. Flip side, Cousins favorite, 47% ATS. In a standalone game, he's only 40% against the number. That's as a favorite or a dog last month of the season. So you want to be going into the playoffs, going into hot, like being like a trendy team heading in the right direction. Vikings are 30th DVOA. And during that same time period, they are 28th DVOA defending the run. This kind of piggybacks the point you were making earlier. And during that same period, the giants had the top rushing attack per DVOA. They're going to be able to move the ball on the ground, which is going to open stuff up to take advantage of the holes in the secondary. And another thing I found pretty pretty amazing is we can both – now the Giants did play last week, but let's be honest. Were they getting no. ready for that game, or did they treat that game like a bye? They treated Absolutely. That game it's like an exhibition game. To get ready for the Vikings, to get ready for like what they're going to run. Cousins – Playing a team coming off extended rest is only 29% ATS. Cousins is good when yeah. you can when you blitz him. What happened when they blitzed um in when in the first matchup, they were blitzing but playing zone coverage behind that. So what they need to do, they blitzed 26 times against the Vikings in that first matchup. Um, they didn't have good coverage behind it. So what they need to do is they need to blitz and then play man coverage behind the blitz, Coven's only had a 25% success rate win. They're, they're going to have better coverage on Jefferson because they're going to be a little bit healthier in the secondary. So now when they blitz, they'll be able to have better coverage behind the blitz, and I think it's going to confuse Cousins a little bit more also. Um, so, I, yeah, lo- like lots of positive trends on the, on the Giants side here, plus 4,800 to win the Super Bowl. That makes them 12th overall best odds in a very – Winnable NFC. Anything else to mention here, buddy? Um, uh, um, another fun one though, because like, there's like some fun bets you can do here. Um, I mentioned Hodgins, how much he had success against um against them earlier. 
he is, I believe, 75 to 1. Yep, to have the most receiving yards this weekend. I know it's a long shot, but when you look at what he's done the last four weeks and how the Vikings back four is, I mean, dude, you can throw anyone can throw 20 bucks, 10 bucks, whatever on a 75. Absolutely. You know, just just when there's that much potential for him to go off. We move to Sunday night football. Ravens, Bengals, Ravens 10 and 7 straight up, 6, 9, and 2 against the spread. Bengals 12 and 4 straight up, 12, 3, and 1 against the spread. These two teams split this year. The Ravens won earlier in the year with Lamar. The uh, Bengals beat them last week when the Ravens weren't playing everyone. They didn't play uh, either Huntley or Andrews in that game. We saw a tweet earlier from Lamar Jackson. Thank you to everyone for your support and concerns regarding my injuries. I want to give you all an update. I'm in the recovery process. I've suffered a PCL grade two sprain on the borderline of a strain three. Still inflammation surrounding my knee and my knee remains unstable. I'm in good spirits. I continue with my teammates on the road to recovery. I wish I could be out there with my guys more than anything, but I can't give a 100% of myself to my guys and fans. I'm still hopeful we have a chance. That sounds to me like he's not going to play. Um, I think well, he. I mean, let's just let's just use. How can I say this? Let's let let's just use this this thought process, if you will. He hasn't played for eighteen games. There's no way Harbaugh is going to roll him out there after after a Friday practice. You know what and, I mean? They, and, and I mean, if you're Lamar, honestly, I hate saying this. He needs to be selfish right now. This team didn't pay him. He's going to go back out there and put himself on the line when he's still banged up. And he has no security in a contract whatsoever right now. I wouldn't do it if I were Lamar either. And it's what makes this game difficult to to analyze because without Lamar, this team is a completely different team. And even if Lamar is playing right now, he's not going to be a healthy football team. Uh, he's not going to be playing as a healthy quarterback leading that football team. I'm and- surprised this line's nine and a half. Like, to be honest with you, I'm legitimate. I thought it was going to be the seven and a half area because Huntley's gonna play Huntley yeah Huntley's playing yeah he's playing Huntley will play and this line is way too and I I locked it in at seven and a half because I thought it was gonna go the other way to be honest with you and I don't this one is probably one that I'm just gonna stay away from because I agree I I don't I think the number is still too big uh the Bengals are a team that plus 750 fifth lowest odds to win the Super Bowl they haven't really put a full game together in a while, their offensive line issues are starting to add up. The defense for the Ravens has been excellent since they made the trade for Smith in week nine. Uh, Bengals have eight straight wins so far. Pretty good defense. Hendrickson made it really difficult on Stanley when they matched up last week. Burrow, Burrow hasn't been quite as good against the Ravens this year. Just a 36% success rate on 82 dropbacks. They've disguised their coverages pretty well. Uh, against the rest of the league, success rate on 591 dropbacks. I I, just, there's just a couple things with the Ravens that concern me. Like we've talked about their wide receivers group. They're the least productive group of wide receivers in the league. Um, The secondary struggles. They rank 31st in DVOA against deep passes entering week 18. It could be a tough matchup if the Bengals can, can get let loose a little bit. Uh, Their defense is only allowing just over 14 points per game since week nine. That's second in the league. And I mean, since Lamar got hurt, they have the second lowest scoring offense. They have not scored more than 17 points in any of their last six games. I I'm definitely not laying the number this defense, this offense with Lamar fifth in offensive DVOA without Lamar 23rd in offensive DVOA can't lay the big number with the Bengals. 
I don't know if I can get there with the Ravens though, but you're fine at over, over seven on the Ravens side. Yeah. I was surprised it go over. It went over this. I, and I look at this game like this, you have an absolute huge coaching advantage. Harbaugh versus. That's true. Taylor. That's true. Um, there's some very key injuries, the whole right side. We saw how much the Bengals struggled against the Patriots as soon as Collins went down. Mm-hmm. Now, you can't take much away from last game because the Ravens basically sat everybody. Ravens played nobody against the Bengals last week. There was some big plays. I know a lot of people are making about Chase against the secondary. His one big play was against the guy that just literally picked up off the street that was coming back from an injury. So I, you know, Humphreys, Peters, those guys are going to be back. Smith, Campbell, Ravens are getting everyone back. Bengals are going to be without their whole right side of their offensive line. Look at Burrow this year compared to last year. He has struggled with pressure in his face. Also, if you're without the right side of the offensive line, you're not going to be able to get mixing going. Mixon's rushing and receiving yard prop. That's something I would kind of look at, too, because I think this game is going to be a lot closer than people realize. T. Higgins is going to is has a hip injury. That's another thing to um, to uh, to real to monitor. Also, can you guess who the most profitable coach is in terms of betting with during wild card weekend? I mean, I would guess Harbaugh. You are correct, my friend. Eighty six percent. 86% ATS, which is insane. I I wanted to play against them. You know, I I was trying to play against them the last few weeks coming into the playoffs, and I kind of feel this way about both the Bengals and the 49ers. It's weird. Like, they're not undefeated teams, but they've been going on this long stretch of wins that look a little bit better on paper than they might have been, right? The thing is, with these are covering so much, people are just blindly betting them. And and then you're right. And and both of of the teams are. Both the 49ers and the Bengals have been covering. So everyone's just – like this number is is more inflated than the 49ers number. That's probably – no, that's accurate. That's probably accurate. Um, That 49ers number got up overnight, but this – these two, te- like we've seen Huntley enough to know that like the defense can still keep them in games. I'm, and he's I just probably run needed- the ball. You know what I mean? He's going to run the ball. They're going to hand it off. They're going to lean on, lean on Dobbins. Another big thing. It looks like Edwards is coming out of concussion protocol, and you got Drake. So you got three running backs you can lean on. You know, you can get it going to Mark Andrews underneath the receiving core. It's it is a worry point, but. This is gonna. This is the third time they've played. You have a huge coaching advantage, and I think when you look at the Ravens' offensive line versus the Bengals' defensive line, I give the advantage to the Ravens. The Ravens' defensive line versus the Bengals' offensive line, with the Bengals missing missing two fifths of it, I give the advantage to the Ravens. I think the Ravens are gonna win win the trenches. The key thing is: is the secondary going to be able? to defend Chase, and is Huntley going to be able to make enough plays? He's got to be able to throw the ball a little bit down the field. That's the problem is their depth of target with him, too, is just so short. Like, can they get Andrews just across the middle of the field, 10, 12 yards down the field? If so, they can hit the couple of those. I think they they can keep it feisty. Don't have the strongest opinion in this one game as we uh, 
move to the Monday night football game. We've got the Cowboys and the Tampa Bay Bucks. Dallas 12 and 5 straight up 9-7 and 1 against the spread. Tampa 8-9 straight up 4-12 and 1 against the spread. For Tampa, their best wins this year came in week one against Dallas and also uh, against Seattle and Germany. They got some bad losses. Pittsburgh, Carolina, the Browns in overtime. They got crushed by San Francisco. On the Cowboys side, they beat the Bengals. They beat the Giants twice. They beat the Eagles with Minshew. They beat the Vikings 40-3. to They did lose to Tampa. They have two road losses in overtime games that they blew to Green Bay and Jacksonville. And then an ugly loss in the last week to Washington for Tampa. Injuries along the offensive line and defensive backfield, but the def- the secondary is reportedly getting much, much healthier for this game. Um, so it's hard because their defense is 13th in DVOA, but they should be probably as healthy as they've been all year in the secondary, and they're probably a better defense than that would suggest. They, I mean, they can't run the ball. We know that about them. They have the second lowest number for a playoff team since 1970. But Brady is 7-0 in his career against the Cowboys. Uh, He set single-season records in pass attempts, completions this year, all-time records. They did play a lot of their starters to get some extra rhythm last week. Uh, We saw Rudolph get involved. Brady uh, led a a nice drive. Most of their wins this year don't look very impressive. I mean, they became the sixth team in NFL history to make the playoffs with the losing record. But for them, we watch them at the end of games at the end of halves. This is a a good offense when they run no huddle and hurry up. They're top 10 in EPA. They need to play with more pace. If they're not going to run the ball, then just play with more pace. More often, Brady will will hit the short throws, the quick releases, and they'll be fine. Dallas does not come into this game playing well at all. And they are a, a favorite right now on the road. Dallas is a two and a half point favorite in this game Monday night on the road over under 45 and a half since Dak returned from injury. They're averaging 32 and a half points per game. That's number one in the league. Here's the list of defenses they played though, Eric number 28, the lions number 32, the bears number 20 green Bay number 29, the giants Indy was number 14, but they had a bunch of injuries. The Jags 26, the Titans 19 sitting their starters. When they played a good defense like Washington, even though Washington was missing all of their defensive like line, they got beat up. They played the Eagles, who were number six, and they were competitive in that game. A lot of their metrics are very good for Dallas. 10 in EPA per play on offense, number two in EPA per play on defense, number five in the pro football focus power rankings. But for them, Dak has been turning the ball over a lot. He's 15 interceptions this year, which is tied for the league lead. And he played five less games than everybody else. That's the that's the first time that's ever happened. He's thrown at least one interception in seven straight games. It's been a while for them where they haven't been playing well. Week 13 against the Colts. It's a two-point game going into the fourth quarter. Then they have that incredible fourth quarter where they score 33 points. They beat the Texans by four in a game where they were down the whole game. And the Texans had a chance to put them away if they would have scored on fourth and two. They then lose to the Jags in overtime. They beat the Eagles by a touchdown with Minshew. And they struggled against the Tennessee team that was sitting all of their starters. This team, outside, on traditional grass, they are 1-4 in this year. Five games they've played on traditional grass. um, And they're third in defensive EPA when they're not playing on traditional grass. They're 11th when they are. 
They're third per dropback. They're 15th when they're on grass. The outdoor games slow them down. Parsons and Lawrence only combined for two and a half sacks in those five games. Their footing isn't quite as good. They don't get off the line quite as quick. If they're in tight games, I don't like Mike McCarthy as a coach. I don't like his decision-making whatsoever. They haven't been able to run the ball at all recently. They're, they have lost eight games in a row on the road in the playoffs. They've had seven playoff one and dones since 1996. I'm taking the home dog here, Eric, with Tampa. Yeah, I got the plus three um, as well. I mean, like you kind of hit the nail on the head. The one thing the Cowboys have done what all year, they've played up, they've played down. Um, you know, we saw it. the Commanders game. You know, the Commanders are good for dead for the season. Cowboys still kind of playing for something. You know what I mean? Like the Eagles-Giants game was competitive for like three quarters. You know, the Eagles didn't put them away to the fourth quarter. That Commanders game, you're starting a rookie third-string quarterback making his first start. You don't have your top two top two uh, running backs. Commanders manhandled them. They had a hard time putting away the Titans um, against the Eagles. You know, you have Minshew throwing all over you against the Jags. You know, they lost in overtime. You know, the Texans, the Colts, even even the Giants game. The, the last time this team really looked impressive was that game on the 20th of November against the Vikings when it was like 41 to three or whatever. You know, they just. And that was like the all time spot of spots, yeah. right? For them and, and against Minnesota. Off that fluky game against, against the Bills. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this is going to be a heavy Leonard Fournette game. I think they're going to lean on him a little bit, take advantage of the um, of the run uh, the run defense. Cowboys are just a little more banged up than people realize too on the offensive line. Offensive, offensive line, line they had to shift under. everything around last week. Um, you mentioned Dakota. Um, fun fact: Dakota, he was you, at the beginning of the season. They always have all these props about a person to like, excuse me, lead the league in something. Dakota was had the highest preseason price to ever win the most interception award. If that makes wow. sense. Yeah, yeah. He was the the longest yeah. shot. The basically. longest shot to ever win it. Um the most you know, unlikely. Yeah. There's some interesting things here. Like I think CD Lamb is interesting. I mean Commander's game, he obviously struggled a little bit, but the three games before that, uh, seven receptions for a buck 26, 10 for 120, 11 receptions for um, for 100 yards. Tampa um, is bottom five yeah. defending slot receivers in the league. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, they're, um, you know, with bunting, and but he also lines up 40% of the time on the outside. That, that would be against Winfield. Um, that duel, both of them are in the bottom five in terms of yards per target and they allow an eight percent touchdown rate so i mean i think i i think lamb i think his props are interesting he'd be an interesting one maybe to play for first touchdown i'm sure that's going to be a little bit higher um and then i know people are going to kind of look toward mike evans probably because he's going to be matched up against Diggs. um Diggs did allow the most um receiving yards last year and five TDs this year. He is in the top 10 allowing receiving yards, but I think this is going to be a Godwin game. You look in games like this, Brady tends to leave on lean on Godwin a lot more working the underneath. 
and then using that to open up and take your shots down the field to Evans. Evans in games like this, he's just so goddamn touchdown dependent. He's just coming off a 10 reception, 207 yards, three TDs last time we saw him on the field because he did sit out that last game. So I think he's going to be a little bit, you know, overvalued in the DFS. So I think this would be a good Godwin game. Um, Tampa's another interesting team. I agree. I would play them. I could play them to Tampa and the Giants would be the two teams I could play to win um, in the NFC. Because if Tampa wins this one game, then all of a sudden we have a think about the top teams in the NFC. It might be a banged up Hurts. We have rookie quarterback Purdy. And then the Vikings are the number three seed. Yeah. Like my one worry with Tampa and with what Dallas does, it's not going to be an issue because Jensen like is out, you know, his backup is out. So they, they could be out there without a, with a third string center against the interior of the Dallas cop Dallas defensive line. Yeah. To me, that's not really a worrisome, but if you have a third string center against Armstead for the 49ers, that's extremely worrisome to me. Yep, absolutely. Um, that'd, be my, that'd be my one worry point. And you know what? Even the Eagles. Yeah. Like the Eagles on the, their defensive front, they had, what, four different players with 10 sacks this year, right? Yeah. They could put a lot of pressure on you too. So it, in the right types of matchups, if things bounce their way, for me, the Giants and the and the Bucks would be the NFC long shots I could yeah, take a chance on. The, and the, the AFC, AFC team would be the Chargers, right? Well, I mean, I'm already locked into the Chargers. I'm locked yeah, into the Chargers. I'm locked into the Ravens from our preseason stuff. Yeah, and so for um, me right now, just looking at who I would bet for the AFC, Bengals, Bills, Chiefs are the three big teams. I would look at the Chargers if you were looking to play a team that wasn't them because I think yeah. they can beat the Jags, and then I think they could match up well with, with any of those other teams because they at least have a quarterback that can go up and down with them. Oh, for sure, for sure. And then one of the things that – you know, is always one of, you can always kind of look at, you can always do an exact matchup. You know, those are always kind of fun. You can get, kind of get some, you know, yep. increased, increased odds on those. Or another thing you can do is you can kind of look at, um, at prices. Like right now you look at the chiefs and the bills. Okay. Chiefs are plus four, 325 bills are plus 400 to win the Super Bowl, but you can kind of look at the MVP because let's face it, if the Chiefs win... Allen or Mahomes. Yeah. Mahomes to win MVP is plus 400. Allen to win MVP is plus 550. So you kind of, you know what I mean? You kind of can get a little bit... Find the value wherever you can get it. Find the value because you can kind of play it out because let's face it, like, you know, the 49ers would probably be that one team where it'd be somebody else that you know, that could win it. Same thing with the Bengals. Right. They're nine to one, but Burrow is 10 to one to win the yeah. MVP. So, I mean, you got, you, you can kind of find a little value. Yeah. You, you run the, the weird thing. If like somebody has a obscure, like Von Miller type game on the defensive end with like a couple sacks, but realistically it's an MVP that wins, wins the MVP award. So you know, you could definitely look to look to play a future that way. Eric and I will be talking about all these games throughout the week at Better Than Vegas at BTV Bets Saturday morning, 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time, Sunday morning, 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time. 
probably won't be us for the Monday game, but we'll definitely be talking those Saturday and those Sunday games. And um, Eric, I know you have a, a lot of stuff coming out this week too. Tell us about what, uh, what you have coming up on your shows. Um, I have my podcast coming out on Friday. Um, you know, my boy, um, Brandon, he's going to give out some NHL bets. Um, David and I, we do our four best bets of the weekend. And then um, my buddy Nick and I, we build you a DFS lineup. Uh, since Nick started coming on, you know, he, he had some stuff going on. He got married. So ever since that come down, he started coming on. And uh, we've done it six weeks. If you followed us, you've cashed five out of the six weeks playing our DFS lineup. So it's been pretty good. That'll get the job done, buddy. I look forward to talking more NFL playoffs with you over the next few days. We'll have up-to-date information. If you come and follow us at BTV Bets, flip those notifications on. If you're looking for a place to make your wagers, head on over to Betfred Sportsbook, and we'll know all about injury information, line movement, everything uh, up to the moment when you come hang out with us at BTV Bets on Saturday and Sunday morning. Thank you so much, buddy. Look forward to talking to you the next few days, and we'll be back next week to preview the, uh, the next round of playoffs right here. We'll get the Chiefs and the Eagles into the mix off their bye, and we hope all of you have a very successful weekend coming up. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Don't go anywhere. Still a lot more to come on That's What G Said. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is... Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering. 
multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. And you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com. Better. You want to spread your pony knowledge by. Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Come and hang out with us every Friday morning for this weekend in Stable Duel. You'll get Friday and Saturday best bets. For the next few months, it'll be a lot of Santa Anita and a lot of Gulfstream Park with myself, with Barry Spears, and with Matt DeSantis every Friday morning, 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time. We dive into the daily racing forum. We pull up the past performances. We give you all of the important information for Stable Duel contests for the weekend. We show you how we are going to play. We talk to you about why we like the horses we show replays we dive into charts we let you know all the contest information like for saturday at Gulfstream, you can play in a five dollar game at stable duel there's also a fifty dollar game tampa has a twenty five dollar game and santa anita has a five dollar and a one hundred dollar entry game this weekend in stable duel every friday morning 10 o'clock a.m and head to stable duel download that app and play in these daily horse racing contests each and every day Let's talk a little racing. Let's talk some Gulfstream Park for Friday. Now we head on over to Gulfstream for Friday. Let's look at race number one right off the bat. And let's look at the number four in here. I'm looking at away from home who's going to be stepping on the turf for the first time. He cuts back and his damn one on the turf and had a win a couple seconds and a third. Two siblings that tried the turf. Neither of them won on it, but both hit the board. There is some turf here in this pedigree. This guy's shown some ability going a little bit longer at Churchill and at Keeneland, and he's shown some tactical speed. Now he cuts back, and I think that should give him a lot more punch in here. I like the four away from home, who was 8-1 on the morning line. Anything around 5-1, to one, we'd make a win wager there. Let's flip the page to race number Five, and we'll be looking at the number two in here. So this horse is a nice price of twelve to one on the morning line, and I think this guy is just better on the turf. He's he's pretty solid on the synthetic also, but he gets back to the turf now, and this is a good spot for him after trying a first level allowance group up at Woodbine last time out. That was a group that was a little too tough. He had legitimate trouble two starts back when finishing third up at Woodbine and was a winner the last time we saw him on the turf. He's also proven at Gulfstream Park. Joel jumps aboard. Looking at the way this race shapes up, I think extra uh, sexy Big Daddy will be forwardly placed. I could see Nantasket Beach, War Strategy flashing some speed in here. You could see uh, Wind 99 and Plunum all flashing some speed. Not far now was showing speed in sprint races and now will be stretching out and gets an outside draw. I think they'll be going pretty quick early in here and it could set up nicely for self-made. 12-1 to 1 on the morning line. Anything over 6, we'd be willing to make a win wager there 
on self-made. Let's move to race number six here. It's a group of Florida-bred maiden special weights going seven furlongs on the dirt. I like the four Etretat. He debuted on December the 23rd at Gulfstream. It was in a race just like this one, but it was going six and a half. It's just not an easy race uh, and an easy distance in which to debut. He got bumped a bit at the start. He settled three lengths off. He was inside, but with a little bit of traffic, he got shuffled back to seventh, about six lengths off. Then he moved in between horses. He showed some late interest uh, to get up and just miss third. Gets Lasix for the first time. I'm expecting some second out improvement. I love the fact that Luis Saez jumps aboard the number four at Trita, six to one on the morning line. Anything over four to one will make a win wager here. Turning to the seventh race at Gulfstream on Friday, the 13th. Ooh. We uh, take a look at the number seven in race number seven. So that means seventh heaven, 15 to one on proven strategies. This guy stretches back out from sprint races. All five of his wins are at a mile plus. And he actually had legitimate trouble last time out. He got shuffled inside after a fine start. He was all the way back to 10th, about eight lengths off, and he was traveling pretty well. He just got stopped behind traffic and behind horses when he was you know, trying to really get going late. Proven Strategies now gets back to the uh, the route. He goes back to two turns where he has been very, very good. He likes Gulfstream Park. He looks like the one to catch. I think they're just going to send him hard on the stretch out. He's 15-1 to on the morning line, and he does not catch a whole lot of early pace in here. Uh, if he can clear the horse right next door to him, sky's not falling. I think he's going to be in a really nice spot. Proven Strategies, 15-1 to on this one. Anything in the 10-to-1-ish? Price is fair. I wouldn't want to take much less than like eight on proven strategies. So there's a look at Gulfstream Park for Friday. Let's continue along with some more Friday racing. Let's head over to Santa Anita. So as I'm recording this on Thursday, Santa Anita has already canceled the Saturday card. So I'm only going to talk about Friday Santa Anita on here. There's supposed to be a lot of rain coming in in Southern California. I live right uh, right next to Santa Anita, and it was raining a lot earlier in the week. It's been raining a lot the last two couple weeks to be honest and there's supposed to be a lot of rain coming in on Saturday so Saturday Sunday and even Monday's cards are kind of in limbo they are supposed to race on Monday but they're really gonna try to not force it because they have a long meet ahead so if they're going to have to race you know with really small fields or in bad conditions I think they're going to cancel like they've already gotten ahead and canceled Santa Anita for Saturday and Los Alamitos for Saturday night so let's talk about Friday, because as of um, right now, it hasn't been raining on Thursday, and Friday looks like it should be good to go. Let's jump into race number one. I'm looking at the number nine in here. This is a mile on the turf. These are Calbred Maiden Specials. Uh, Tap It Rocks is a big price of 15 to 1. This four-year-old filly debuted on the turf back in April, and in that race, she had a brutal start. She was towards the back of the pack. She was inside and about eight lengths off. And then she started to move up nicely, but she ran into traffic. She steadied badly. She started to come on again, and she again got stopped late up towards the inside. And then she was off from April all the way to December. So she comes back off a seven-and-a-half-month layoff. She absolutely needs the race. She has a little bit of positional speed um, after a slow start, and then she just backs up. That should be a really nice fitness builder for her as she now stretches out to the mile. She has two siblings that are multiple winners on the turf. I think she's bred really nicely. She's kind of sneaky in here. I think she'll be dismissed because that 
both of the races don't look great on paper, but that first one on the turf was a little bit better than uh, that running line would suggest, and the stretch out could put her closer up in here. The number nine, Tap It Rocks, fifteen to one. Uh, anything in that twelve to one plus feels like a fair price on her. We turn the page to race number three. We'll go six furlongs on the turf course in here. I'm looking at the number five. That's Gypsy Lynn. I'm just keying off the turf form overall. Honestly, she's been a pretty consistent filly. She hasn't really run many bad races. And on the turf, her four turf races were all very good. A couple of them over at Turf Paradise when she finished second. And then they stretched her. Uh, then at, at seven and a half, she finished fourth. She had a little bit of trouble that day. Came over to Santa Anita and in two turf races, she was third and second sprinting on the grass. She was behind a next out winner that day. She is now... Moved Barnes and then back to the Cruel Jack Barn. And she's going to put two starts together. I think she fits pretty well in here with this group that doesn't really have any monsters. The number five, Gypsy Lynn, is a nice price of 8-1 to one on the morning line. We'd need about six or so to make a win wager there. Let's turn the page to race number five. I'm looking at the one, Give Me the Loot. This guy can really fly and... You know, he's actually won races going longer, uh, all the way up to a mile and a 16th. He has also, he's also won at a mile. But his last few starts, look at how fast they were going in some of them. 21 to the half mile down the hill. Three starts back at Santa Anita went 21.58 and 43.87. That is absolutely flying. So got burned up in those two races against a bunch of other early speed. On November 27th, the one right in between, when he was able to get an early lead, he ran well that day. He finished second behind a next-out winner, the same horse Matorius beat him in back-to-back races. Look throughout the rest of the field. I don't think there's anyone close to as quick as him, and he has the inside draw. There are a couple other who are quick or have some positional speed or if they choose they really want to go they could probably put some pressure on him but this guy seems like he's a lot faster than Manitowish, Mongolian Memory or Rebel Posse who I would kind of feel like the ones that could be close to him maybe even Commander Kai he just seems so much faster and the rail draw he can send we know he can get the distance because he's gotten it going a mile and, and a mile and a 16th but he's just faster now than he ever used to be Give me the loot, 6-1 to one on the morning line. Anything over 7-2, to two, I'll make a win wager on him trying to steal this thing. In race number 6 at Santa Anita, let's look at the number 3, Shanghai Sunrise. This 5-year-old mare is a little bit sneaky. She's 10-1 to one on the morning line. Her last 8 races, they all just kind of make sense to me. You go back to when she breaks her maiden back in January of 2021, so 2 years ago. She wins impressively. She comes back after that. She finishes fourth um, in a race that's productive. She's only beaten a couple lengths. Following that, in in April, she comes back and she wins an optional 50. Then in May of 2021, she's in a starter allowance on the turf. She doesn't run well that day. She actually has some trouble, and she just didn't like the grass. Just put a line right through that race. Following that race, she's off the, she's off the track for... The, Seven months. She goes from May to January of 2022. She shows back up in January of 2022. She has legitimate trouble in a race that she needs off the bench. Then on February the 20th, she comes back and she runs really well that day. The seven furlongs just a tad too far for her. 
on April the 1st. Again, she runs really well. She's behind next out winning Rose Maddox. She puts up one of her better speed figures. Then, unfortunately, another layoff. She has to go to the bench again from April all the way to December. She shows up in December. She's close up. She's about three deep of four, and she gets pushed back a little bit. She's in between horses. She moves through. She angles around. She looms up into contention, and then she tires. Just as expected, it was her first start in eight and a half months. She's now going to put two starts together. She has a little versatility to her. She can sit just off, and I think that'll be a good spot in here. She could probably sit maybe second or third. Heck, I mean, looking at the way the race shapes up, she might even be the quickest in here. And I would not be shocked if they wanted to try to get aggressive. So she has some options. I mean, Queen Molotov, if they want to go, and if you no, know, this one gets you know gets asked pretty quick. You have both Rose Harbor and Feeling Graysville, who's shown some speed going a little longer. But I think the three fits very nicely in this spot. Ten to one on the morning line on Shanghai Sunrise. So that's a look at Santa Anita for Friday. Best of luck on Friday. We'll keep our fingers crossed for the weather this weekend. And it seems like Santa Anita's doing a smart thing. They just want to make sure that the track is uh, is safe and that they're going to have a good betting card and good fields and everything because it has rained quite a bit, um, much more than the last few years in, in just the last couple weeks uh, alone. So Santa Anita for Friday will... You know, keep an eye on what's happening the rest of the weekend. Just follow me on social media on Twitter because if I ever have any videos or any podcast or any live streams, I'll always post it there. So if you miss anything, make sure you're following me on social media because we'll always have some you know, extra stuff there too just in case. Before we move to Gulfstream Park for Saturday, we want to remind everybody about Cindy Carava, full-service realtor Cindy Carava. Now the website C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com and she can help you with buying, with selling, and with leasing. She can connect you to vendors if you're looking at home improvement. Maybe you need help with uh, with you know, painting, landscaping, uh, gardening. She can connect you with all sorts of great folks that she's worked with in her own homes. You know, maybe it's uh, the the loan process that's given you some issues. She'll connect you with the right type of lender. They'll make that so much easier for you. They'll let you know exactly what you need to do. That's what Cindy wants to do for everyone. She wants to make your life easier. She wants to check all those boxes so that way you're not going to have to run around stressed out dealing with a bunch of stuff that you don't even know. It doesn't even make sense to you. If you ever just want to ask how the market's doing, if you want to see how your home is doing, she'll do a free market analysis of your home's value. If you live in Southern California, she can really help you out. But if you're somewhere around the country, around the world, and maybe you just don't have uh, a someone in the area that you know that you trust, reach out to Cindy. She will help you. She has all sorts of contacts with people everywhere, friends and co-workers, people that she knows that she trusts. She wants to help make your life easier. C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A dot com. Gulfstream Park for Saturday. Let's move on over there. Saturday, January the 14th. Let's start with race number three with Sinfilter. Now, this four-year-old filly is going to put two starts together for the first time. She debuted back in September at Churchill, got a little action that day, had some trouble in that race, and then was off for a few months. She The race came back productive. The winner came back to win their next start. She then shows up at Gulfstream Park in December, 
and they tried to get this one on the turf. Race was taken off the turf. She showed a little bit of speed that day before fading. She's now going to put two starts together, and she steps on the turf. Four of her siblings tried the turf. Three of them were winners. She's a half to a horse named Chewing Gum, who's a grade two winner, grade one placed, and earned $500,000 plus on the grass. She's 10 to 1 on the morning line. I think she'll like the turf. I'm using in all exotics the number three in race number three. We move to the fifth race. Maiden Special Weights. Six furlongs on the dirt for three-year-olds. I'm looking towards the outside with the number 10, Al Atlasi, who debuted on December the 3rd going six and a half furlongs, and now will actually get the chance to cut back. So he has a fitness edge on most of these because there's only two others in this field with, uh, with a race of experience under them. This guy moved three wide. He was just about two lengths off early, and then he made a big four-wide move all the way up to take the lead at the top of the lane. The wide trip just ended up catching up with him, but now you get the cutback and the experience. Going to get Lasix for the first time. I like the number 10 in here who is to 6-1 on the morning line. Anything over 7-2, to two, I would make a win wager on Al Atlasi. Let's get to race number 8. We'll look at races 8, 9, and 10. So in the eighth race, three-year-old maiden special weights going a mile on the main track. I like the six Way Hill Road, who is a, a beautifully bred runner. He's a half to a horse named Midnight Bourbon, who earned three point five million. Gervin, who earned one point six million. Pirates Punch, who earned three hundred ninety-five thousand. Cocked and Loaded, who earned four hundred ninety-seven thousand. He's going to get Lasix for the first time for his second start. He got action in his debut, and the race came back live, already producing multiple next-out winners. Um, this one just checks a lot of boxes here for me. Wayhill Road, expecting a big performance from a horse who was a $1.6 million purchase price. So I, I'd imagine they're going to be expecting some big performances from this one soon. He's 8-1 to one on the morning line. That's the number 6, Wayhill Road. Moving to race number nine into the Sunshine Philly and Mare Turf. Going a mile on the turf. The number two, Avals. Dam was a grade three winner on the turf. And the lone sibling to race on the turf won on it. If you're playing any multiple exotics, I would probably include that one. Sugar Fix is also a, a major player as an 11-time winner. The horse who I actually like the most in here, though, is Mona Stella, the nine, who's going to take the blinkers off. She's 10 to 1. And if you look at her recent form, I think you can go back to her May 6th race in the Grade 3 Modesty and just say that race was against a little too tough. She was 30 to 1, she was 27 to 1 against Bleecker Street who was in excellent form at the time and she showed some speed that day. Following that race, she was in against Open First Level Allowance Company at Belmont and then after that race she was sent to the bench from June to December. She shows back up in December in a race that she needs coming off the bench. It looks like a prep race because it was just going five furlongs to set her up to get a little speed in her to now stretch her back out to a mile. She, you know, mile and an eighth in the modesty was probably a little too far for her too. She fits well. She's got some speed to the outside. She can sit off if she has to. She likes Gulfstream Park. She's proven at the trip. I like the nine, Mona Stella, at 10 to 1. We move to race number 10, a race that 
I think Lightning Larry can steal from the inside. With the inside draw, if he gets sent hard, second start off the bench, he should be fit. He likes Gulfstream Park. I think he's going to take an, a little step forward from that last race. Delgado has already had a really nice start to this meet with some uh, uh, some big wins early on. The number one, Lightning Larry, is 5-1 to one on the morning line. We will be using Lightning Larry all over and playing if he is 7-2+. to two plus. So that's a look at Gulfstream Park for Saturday. Best of luck at Gulfstream on Saturday. That's where a lot of our focus will be with Santa Anita getting canceled for the Saturday card. Now we will uh, make the transition from horse racing on over to wrestling. First up, it'll be current wrestling this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. I actually went to AEW Dynamite this week. It was at the forum, so I had an in-person experience to talk about. And there was huge news that a rumor came out that the WWE was sold to Saudi Arabia. Now we know that that wasn't true, but it could be in months. Vince McMahon, who was gone, he's now back. Stephanie McMahon steps down. Oh, yeah, and then there was a bunch of awesome wrestling all throughout the week as we lead into the Royal Rumble just a few weeks out. Chad Cooper joins me for this week in wrestling. Here it is, folks. Fight of the night. And trying to claim that belt once and for all. It's this week's wrestling recap. All right, calm down. And here he is, your hometown hero, your reigning champ, the one and only Chad Cooper. It's time to talk about everything going on in the world of wrestling. And normally, We'll start with uh, WWE and then finish up with AEW. This week, we can start with Dynamite because I actually was there live. But, Coop, I guess we should address it right off the bat. There was a big story going around in the world of wrestling. The one thing that I will always um, do nowadays, I wait as long as possible before addressing stories because, like, Tuesday night, all over the Internet, it's like WWE is sold to Saudi Arabia. This is a done deal. Everyone's talking about what's going to happen, but no real credible sources had actually verified the story. In fact, the credible sources that you and I normally are looking to for some of this wrestling news said, we can't, we can't verify any of this. And then on Wednesday morning, we all find out that, oh yeah, the sale is not done. And (laughs) maybe, maybe there's a sale in like a month or two which is what we all expected. You can't just sell a huge company like that overnight with a snap. Yeah, overnight. That's it. It's over. People are walking out already. That's I know. The tweets. It's yeah. over. Everyone's out. The company's out. Sami Zayn's gone. You Sammy know, like Zane's there's no, gone. there's no women's division. <laughs> At um, all. There's going to be 15 pay-per-views in Saudi Arabia all, starting in, uh, this year. WrestleMania is going to be moved to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> oh. All of that. So it was kind of funny to hear those comments and all all, everything happening. You know what, Gino? It is interesting. You know, Vince McMahon is back. He is. I think think that's been confirmed, and I'm sure it's probably to lead the sale. I think J.P. Morgan has been has been brought in as a as a uh, a value uh, a player to help sell this company. It's no secret. I think no, we've knew known what a couple of years ago that. WWE was looking to sell, and then when the WWE app and the network is gone, and it was bought by you know NBC Universal, I think those were signs there that this that they were looking to to sell. And reportedly, you know, Vince 
was Vince left the company not by his own choice, but because <laughs> there were major allegations against him that are still I mean, they've been investigated, but there are still investigations going on. And now what ended up happening since he returned, it pissed off a lot of the other stockholders because Vince wasn't supposed to come back. He was supposed to be gone. And now him returning, he brought a couple other board members. He added board members. Remember, he's like the majority stockholder, so he can change the writing in the bylaws and all sorts of things really anytime he wants to make things good for him. So this is going to be like I just. I was kind of laughing when everybody was acting like this was a done deal with everything going on with Vince and all these moving parts. I just, I, this is going to take a little while for anything oh, yeah. to happen. So it was, it was just kind of funny. Um, I think what, when anything somewhat negatively happens towards WWE, the, the people with the pitchforks come out. They are yeah, ready. Sure, sure. They are. They're sitting there. <laughs> they've got their tweets draft drafted and saved, and they're just ready to press to press send to like any moment something bad happens. But you know, it, it, it was interesting. You know, Stephanie, she resigned. She left. You know, yeah. I mean, her, it's just you know, look, all the, I, no one knows really, but you know, sporting teams, sports franchises, uh, you know, you name it, uh, sooner or later. Majority of them go through sales, and it's just, uh, you know, this was a private-owned company for how long? Then it went public, uh, you know, and then if, if if this is the right buyer, it will go private again. So I, I'm with you. Uh, we, we've become a society of let's be first, whether or not it's inaccurate or not. I mean, not just with wrestling, but with everything, with, with, with everything you know, with Unfortunately, man, with deaths, I mean, we're politics, all I like mean, how many like actual like actual serious information that could like harm people and medical stuff. It's just yeah, the deaths. There were so I many know. people are, are, are dying and they haven't. So, yeah, I'm with you. And, and look, I've, I'm I work in the media business. I, I, I've been for 20 years and I've learned <laughs> the hard I, way. <laughs> I've never I never worry about being first. No, not anymore. Ever. Not anymore. Ever. No. Especially because, like, I'm not in, in, like, a reporting, like, trying to break the biz. I'm not right, Rose right. and Shams, sure, you know what I mean? Sure. Like, but I'd rather just get some accurate information than you and I can talk about it. And it's just hard right now because we don't have any real information on anything. We don't there's know. There's nothing really to talk about. No, there's not. It's just like WWE could be having a sale at some point. We don't know why Stephanie stepped down. We don't exactly know what's going on backstage with Vince. We don't know if he's really in creative. We can speculate, but it ends up wasting a little bit of time. Like when we sure. know more, we'll absolutely address it. Hell, yeah, we can and it'll be fun then. Andrew yeah, and DZ and now. have yeah. everybody talk all about it and uh, and what we really think could happen because – the one thing I will say, it wouldn't be a positive if a Saudi company, a backed company, bought WWE. I would feel it would feel a little bit weird. We watch shows at Saudi Arabia, and um, and they do have investments in plenty of other companies that people don't even realize, like all right. these things that we are using and doing all the time. It would feel maybe a little different though if they were the full owner, and then you don't know how that works. Is it something where sure. they just? buy the company and let everybody run it. That's kind of how the Saudi Arabia investment group has been doing things. Like they're not coming in with their own people and, and bringing it's in. It's a private group. So they don't have, yeah. really have to say anything. No, they don't have to say anything. And like, so there it's all wild speculation, but when we know more, we'll talk all about it Absolutely. right here.
And that's what G said. We just had to address it because everybody's been talking about it the last couple of days. You know what everyone's been talking about on my end? My friends that listen to this show that uh, Gino is Gino has turned, man. He, he I'm an AEW. A time you know what, though? When you go see stuff live, and we've said this before, uh, when you see things live, even if it's a bad show, uh, it, it, you still get more out of it. Yeah, quality. and the inter- but I and will say this. There were a lot of good things on AEW last it, night it than felt, previous weeks. It felt like. Felt bigger. A, yeah, it felt like they definitely wanted to have a big show in LA. It felt like there were not as many things throughout the show where you're like, ah, eh, that wasn't good. Like they saved. It, it felt like they had less things throughout the show. And they were all a little bit more important and impactful. Now, things weren't perfect. And as we get into things, you always have a different viewing experience, like you said, when you're there versus when you're at home. And one thing that's hard for when you're at an AEW show, and I completely noticed this last night, is that their crowds are awesome. Like, they're going to root for and cheer for anything. Honestly, anything that you put out there, they're going to cheer for it. And that's good and bad. It's good because, hell, you have a very... Um, hyped up, excited fan base, and everyone wants to hear a crowd yelling and screaming. But there are things throughout the show that you you when you're at the show, you kind of feel like they're good. But then when you come back and you watch it afterwards, you look, you're like, that didn't go off that well, or that wasn't that great. But because the people are all cheering for it, you're kind of like caught up in it. And there are a few things throughout the show I wanted to point out that I, I just they kind of maybe rub me the wrong way, or I didn't necessarily love. But lots of positives as we head to AEW at the forum. Okay, the first thing I have to point out, though, so they, the way they record the shows, they record from 4 to about uh, local time, from about 4 o'clock to about 8.30. From 4 to 5, they do AEW dark and elevation uh, match tapings. Then at 5 o'clock, Dynamite starts. Dynamite goes from 5 to 7. And then following that, they'll do like one or two more dark matches, and then they tape Rampage. Um, right afterwards. And I'm glad you're giving a, a first person account of this because uh, you know, I, I've never been to an AED. They've been to Houston mm-hmm. a couple of times. I haven't been able to go. So I'm glad you're being it because there's a lot of people that are wrestling fans that don't go to live shows that heck they may live in a city or town where it just they're not near, you know, live pro wrestling. So I'm glad you're giving this layout of what they actually do for, for taping days. And one of the reasons why is because you know, so Rampage will be taped. Um, and so the Acclaimed had a, has a segment on Rampage that you guys will all see on Friday. And they come out and um, they're going to have a, like a star on the Walk of Fame. You know, so they, they basically just come out and they're going to have like a promo, you know, to talk about that. But when they come out to do the rap, yo, yo, Max Caster starts doing his rap. He completely botches the line. Oh no Completely screws it up And then he just stops And he goes hey let's just do this one over again (laughs) And And the whole crowd's like what And then the whole (laughs) But because there's such a cool crowd They're like okay cool Okay, cool. He just goes back Into the the back With the acclaimed Renee Young Renee Paquette's out there because she's going to be interviewing them And she's just laughing She's like what are we doing And he's like yeah (laughs) This is recorded, so let's just do this again. I want to make yeah. sure it's good for TV. And and the whole crowd is laughing. And Billy Gunn walks over and grabs the the mic from Renee, and he says, 
why do you think my whole life I've only had two words? You know, and it was <laughs> that's good. It was funny, and they like, but it was one of those things where if that happened in a bad crowd at a place that was like bored, they would have eaten that guy alive. He wouldn't even have been able to come back out and do that segment again because the crowd would have would have booed or chanted throughout the whole segment. But that's that which that shows you what what like an AEW crowd is. Even when a guy completely botches his lines and has to go back, <laughs> they're still showing him all the love in the world. And it's funny, I actually have it on video. Um, which it probably isn't really anywhere else that you can find because they don't they're not gonna show it. But because I was right. like, oh cool, the acclaim's coming out because they weren't out on dynamite at all. They didn't come out. So I was filming some of the fun entrances to see how the crowd would get hyped up. And when he comes out, my buddy and I are just laughing so hard because he just, Oh, let's do this over. So, uh, we, we had a really fun crowd at the forum because AEW has only been to LA twice. This is only the second right. time. And you have a lot of local LA, uh, wrestlers on the AEW roster, like jungle boy and the young bucks to name a few. Now look, so the, were y'all, uh, and I say y'all because you, uh, Gino, are uh, were y'all a late arriving crowd like y'all do at the Dodgers games, like Game Four or the World Series, whatever. Y'all come strolling in about the fifth. You know what I think helped? Um, the way that the it helps the way that the shows are taped because okay. Okay. not everybody is standing outside waiting to get in at like four thirty. You know, sometimes and sometimes it's like hard to get into the building. You can because. By the time Dynamite starts, people have already been in the building for like an hour and a half. You can just walk right in. Like, there's no lines at all. So even if you want to show up a little bit late, there's not a whole lot of congestion getting in the building, which is kind of nice the way they tape things. So that's actually a positive versus like a pay-per-view maybe. Everybody's waiting to get in at the door at the small little entrances. So it it is kind of hard when the show starts at 5 in L.A., I will say, because that's like – traffic and stuff it's not easy to get there but i was when we showed up at the forum um the parking was already sold out so the everybody got there early and everybody was pumped to see some aew and we opened up right off the bat with moxley versus hangman and we had a couple really fun like 15 minute matches on the show i thought the match was great um i thought it was really hard hitting between both of these guys not a whole lot to knock about the in-ring stuff. What rubs me the wrong way, though, Chad, is the story that we're yeah. telling. Yeah. On the same show where Adam Cole comes back and starts talking about all the head injuries that he had, how he couldn't sleep, how he's vomiting when he's going into the car. And I, I don't know, just me watching a show when there's something that's real like that. I don't like there being another storyline that's very similar to that no, no, on the same show because it becomes confusing because, okay, now what's real, what's not? I know that's their point. That's the point of wrestling. But I don't know. As a fan, I think it becomes a little cringy. There were two or three things on this show that I didn't love, either the words that were used or things that were done or said. And this was one of them, mainly because it, it – I would I would probably have felt differently if Adam Cole wasn't on the show or like he didn't show up for a few more weeks. But we're literally bringing this guy back as the babyface coming back. Everybody loves Adam Cole and this first match, which is a great match. It's all about these guys in head injuries and like dropping each other on the back of the head. And then even after the match, Moxley, he kind of teases a head injury. He like gets up and then he falls down. 
and Wheeler Yuta actually ran out in the commercial break and had to help Moxley off to the back. Like he couldn't even really walk on his own power. So hmm. I don't again, great work. I think I think it was a good match for Paige because now he feels a, a lot this is a good win for him. This a beating Moxley is a big deal, right? He doesn't lose a lot clean. I I just did I didn't think the story with the head injuries, I don't like those anymore. With with what we know about the head injuries, they they make me just a little bit uncomfortable, especially when there was a real one going on with Adam Cole. Yeah, I, I agree. The match was was what we uh come to expect with with both and um I, I, the the storyline especially after the match as you said what we saw on tv moxley was getting checked out or whatever i definitely thought this is uh <clears throat> this is a chance to for adam page to hangman page um to really uh have another have a run um mm-hmm. we, he could be a very it. fun challenger for mjf right now yeah so- and and I, and, I, and i think we you know the the run with the world title just it, it was we we beat that down like a dead horse. But you yep. know I think it was bad timing. We all agree that it probably should have been the him the inaugural champion. But this was basically a must win, a showcase for for Adam Page. And, totally and, and agree. I, and I'm glad they they kicked off the show with this. There was you know Brian Danielson had another good match. There's some quality stuff on here, but for the show to kick off with this was very intriguing. Uh, enjoyed the match. Uh, no problems with the finish. I, I just don't like the head injury gimmick. Me neither. Uh, whether whether you're playing on it or it's something real that somebody has dealt with, and, and then it's scary. Like said, Adam Cole is back. You know, and this is probably what you know this guy has literally been dealing with. And then Brian Danielson. That's why he basically was retired from wrestling. Page. You know, Paige. You Jeez, know, they're all, all on guys, the show. So, they're like, yeah, all it, on it, the it's show. a little convoluted for sure. I, I, I don't like it because you don't. It doesn't have to be that difficult to make things over. The, the, you don't need to have that. Like the head injury thing didn't even need to be a story. It could have just been like brought up. I know. It I mean, didn't. he could have said, "Yeah, you put me on the shelf for a little while. I was injured. I was banged up. Now I'm back. I want to go at it, and they can brawl." Like you didn't need to focus on the concussion part of all of it. You could have just said. Had Moxley say, I'm tougher than you. I beat your ass. You're not ready for me. I just don't like the focusing in on the brain injury stuff. It, it, again, as someone who's had a couple concussions and how many of these people on this roster have just recently had it? Cole comes out just after this. It rubs me wrong. Good match, good work. So now I figure with Cole returning and with Paige now being elevated a little bit, this is probably where they give Moxley some time off. Because he was supposed to get that time off. Pretty hard, man. <laughs> Remember, he he was supposed to be getting time off when he lost to Punk, but then all that crap happened with Punk. Punk got suspended and hurt, and Moxley had to come back. and And he was he's the guy that's been carrying the load for a while. I think now you can write him off TV for a month or so. You can have Cole and Page kind of elevated a little bit on your show, and, and then that's you what you think br- they're going to do here with him. I think so, right? And then you could bring Moxley back in like a month or six weeks, and you can have a third match between the two of the guys. You know, between Hangman Page and Mox, because Hangman got him the first time, Page got him this time. You could have, you know, a third and final um, between the two of them. And Moxley probably comes back as a heel. Or he felt like he was getting a little little heelish now. Um, So I think we could have a little tweak to his character. Let's uh, continue along. We went to... Tony Schiavone welcoming someone that he has no pleasure in welcoming 
Adam Cole, baby, <laughs> is uh, he got the biggest pop of the night because nobody was expecting yeah. him. No, yeah. nobody was expecting him. And all the things we've heard recently about Adam Cole weren't very good. Like we're kind of no. scary that no. the tests aren't coming back positive and that it's just taking way longer and that things like he said that he's not sleeping well, he's not eating well, he's confused. And like always, Adam Cole was fantastic on the mic here. This is what he does better than anyone, um, you know, just as well as anyone. Like he's in that top, top tier of of talkers. And as in the he business, was talking, any company in the business, the yeah, in the business. And and we've we've loved Adam Cole and always said that wherever he went, he was going to be a top guy. And it, it it he said it perfectly. It, it was like he did some okay things in AEW, but it, it didn't really connect the stuff that he was doing with like. The undisputed era that are back again And he had a couple matches with Paige But he never really felt like he was I don't know, connecting Now he gets to kind of be a babyface again He doesn't really have a group with him He gets to be just him And when he did the Good news and the bad news And he went through all the good news And the bad news is It's not for me It's for everybody in the locker room That was a good good little swerve Uh, And he could be an awesome babyface Right now, like, and I think I, he needs to be. I think just he envisioning needs to be. him versus MJF on the mic that would be a lot of fun. These two guys cutting promos against each other, man. And I think the big, big key, and you said it. I, I think when he did make that jump, and it was no secret that he was coming over here. I mean, heck, this is where is, you know, Doctor Britt, the good doctor, Doctor Britt Baker is at. This is where all of his buddies are at. But I really think it hurt his first run just being. He got lost in the shuffle because of the group, the being the the elite elite. and all that. You're right. I just, I think, look, those guys are so good. I know I get, I I get some hate messages on Twitter. You know, why are you, you know, down on the young bucks? I'm not down. The the problem is that group is so big. People get lost. Heck man, go back to the four horsemen, just how they used to do that. Right. They, yeah, there there were there were different members throughout the years, but you know what? It wasn't like the NWO where you had the Latino World Order. You've got Virgil in the background. Yeah, it's like Virgil, was Vincent. You know, Vincent's in the NWO. I just think he should have. You know, I you and, know they kissing him on the cheek. I want to talk about what you just pointed out for a minute because this is a little bit of a tangent, but I'm glad that you said this. I was going to bring it up at the end. So the elite as a group. It's cool. It's fun. You've got Kenny. You've got the Bucks. They would be so much more useful separated. So much more useful if the Bucks were actually that badass tag team that we thought and they were in the tag team division having awesome tag team matches with everyone all over the place. And then if Kenny was the was the guy. Dude, I'm telling you, after the show ends last night, after Dynamite, Kenny grabs the mic. And like does the little thank you to the crowd And we're going to have some other stuff coming up And he actually says we're not on TV So I can say something nice about the death triangle These guys are awesome You know it's like give them a round of applause If you heard anyone that was at that show Or that goes to a live AEW show And here's Kenny after the matches talking like that You would immediately leave and go Why don't they put that guy on TV? <laughs> he comes off like yeah. so comfortable like such a company leader, like the guy, you you would leave and go, wow, that's like the John Cena of that company, and it, yeah, he never point. gets he never gets 
portrayed like that on TV, ever. He's never at one moment been looked at as like the big baby face top guy of this company, which is what he should have been from day one. Right. The company was literally buzzed around Kenny Omega's 10 star matches in Japan. Like, that's and we why never really got it. No, you know? we've gotten some good matches, but we've never got the whole crowd getting a chance to root for Kenny, kind of like they were last night. It's just different in a trios match, though. And I'm when I heard that, I looked to my buddy. I was like, this should be on TV. Like, if yeah. they had this on TV and showed a bunch of the people like Jim Cornette or people that crap on Kenny Omega, and I thought any of those people who do, I think some of their criticisms is valid because there are so many times where he doesn't come out looking or feeling like a top guy. He gets in the ring, and he's awesome, but he doesn't carry himself like one of the big stars. And, and that's too I, bad. That's too bad because I think that's one thing that this company really missed with him because he was the X factor of all this. Absolutely. And he really was. He really was. If you, you look, as you said, we're, we're, it, we're tangenting here. But if you go back to day one, he was – look, yeah, there were the Bucks. There were Cody Rhodes. It was you know, him. There was Adam Page. But He was the best honestly, wrestler in the world. It was him. It was yep. him. And it was all we, the we, buzz – from we never got it. We never got that Kenny Omega buzz. Just heck, look, I, we, we were forced with what's his name was, you know, Don. Uh, Callis. Then, yeah, and then he went to you know uh, Impact, Impact for a little while. It just was never really got that. I just wish these guys just wouldn't be so enamored with just wanting to be that elite and having to be. And look, maybe this is him his mo now. Maybe he's still banged up. It's easier when there's when where you're mm-hmm. in a tag match. It is. It's it's easier on the body. Maybe this is the way he's going, and, but at the same time, though, you can still let him have the mic and let him lead because you can be a leader and, and, not you, ha- and, and not be a singles wrestler or a world champion. And I wonder with these three guys, and this is why sometimes, like, for someone like we Cody— all, I, we, I think we all knew that those three were—I mean, uh, the Elite were going to win this. Absolutely. Finals, absolutely. And, and the match was very good. And, sure, sure. And, but I wonder sometimes when—sometimes it's better to just be— like an employee and a wrestler. Dusty Rhodes talked about this for a while. Like when he came over to WWF in the early 90s, it was kind of nice for him because he didn't have all the other responsibility. He just got to go out there and wrestle. And you wonder sometimes with with the Bucks and Kenny having the like EVP, it's like, are they worried about these other things or are they trying sometimes to like not make themselves the main, main part of the... I don't want to be like how Triple H was or Triple H was thought of like... Booking him in every everything and putting him over, but like Kenny should be that, and the yeah. Bucks are the best tag team. Like, you know, FTR. I know, and we're tangenting again, but we're talking all about AEW. Like, FTR has just come out and said they were they asked to be off TV till April. And now. I'm glad you brought that up because I, again, when when they went to AEW, this is AEW. This is why they went, and I, you know, those guys are no spring chickens. What? Nope. Uh, one of those guys, 38, 39 years old, and he said this, their next contract is going to be a big money contract, and they're thinking about their family. God, so they, that's you wild. know, um, and when we never got the Bucks FTR series, or it felt like it was going to be leading to a match where it was like the Bucks versus FTR for all those belts. And we didn't get it. Like, wh- how yeah. did we not ever get that match? I don't know. And like, I, I like, mean, I, it, when you think of FTR on in AEW, you think of okay, they had 
a good match on an ROH pay-per-view with them boys, right? Um, I'm actually going to think more of the single stuff single, with Dax. That's where I was getting at. That's what I was – you talk about this, you know, and, and look, it, it was great the way FTR and WWE was free the revival, whatever, and then you got it, and it's just like you never ran with it. It's just like there was – again, I think it's 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 the let's sign all of them so they can't go back to WWE. I, and and they, I, it's just – it's a bummer because I like – look, one of my favorite tag teams was Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. I, you, you Midnight Express, Rock and Roll Express. You know, I, I just think it's a lost art now, and those guys – that's where they were different. That's why WWE signed them because they were the old school tag team. And we didn't really get much of that here over what, two years they've been in AEW. It's and it's not their fault. They got over. They were over like Rover. The, all of 2022, yeah, they yeah. were one of the most over acts on the show. And what do you do? Let's put them in a six man tag with Wardlow. You know what I mean? Like the guys are like the most <laughs> over act. And and then you just threw cold water on them. And maybe there was a reason, right? Like maybe Tony knew they were going to leave and he didn't want to heat them up. But I don't know. Like then that's – like Tony Khan, aren't you supposed to be the wrestling fan who just wants to bring everybody in and have these awesome wrestling matches? I, I feel a little bit disappointed in the end of this run for FTR uh, because – Felt like there was some stuff left on the table. Oh, this with is the a Bucks. big letdown. This this is a yeah. this is a big letdown in, in in their their careers and especially with AEW. And, and look, injuries were that's what that's what hurt them. You know that that's what hurt that has hurt a lot of professional wrestlers throughout their career. It, it, this this is this is hard work, but that's what's really hampered them as has been injuries and just too bad that we haven't been able to see the the FTR we wanted to see and. Now hear that they're going to be off TV for a while because they requested it as they look into a, a big contract is uh, it's kind of head scratching to me. So we were talking about Adam Cole also, and I, I'm getting the sense too. I think it's time for the Britt Baker babyface turn also with Adam be. Cole. Yeah, it has to be. Has to they be. were even working the match kind of like that. Like at the Tony was getting booed a little bit. The crowd is really behind Jamie Hayter um, yeah. everywhere she goes, and. When Britt comes out with the DMD, everyone is 100% on board with her. Adam Cole mentioned Britt in his promo, and I think you just you have them both become baby faces. And the greatest part is they don't have to be squeaky clean baby faces. They can be very similar to how they are. Just you just direct them at heels instead. That's right. That's all. And, you know? and look, what's a what's a good baby face when when they're working a heel and then they the baby face goes over with a hillish type win, you know, with a pulling of the tights. You know, Becky Lynch was always good mm-hmm. at as a, as a as big as the baby face she was, and she'd roll up and have the tights or put the foot on the rope for an advantage. Regardless of what you think of Brett in the ring, she's not the greatest in ring performer, but she's look she's been over since day one in AEW. That that has just been you, you can't deny that. And them two together, if you're not putting them together next Wednesday, it, it's too late. I, I mean, you're definitely missing out on, on a big buzzworthy weekly moments for your for your television show. Right. I, I just think they need to be together and they need to be faces. They really do. The that we just checked in quickly with the acclaimed who teased uh, their segment on Rampage, which I, I, got, I, got, the chance, I got the chance to see that one. Um, we've got 
Jungle Boy and Hook versus Big Bill and Lee Moriarty. Um, this was okay. It was quick. It was like a seven minute match. Didn't get to see much of that at home because it was it was commercialed. So and, I mean, Hook is over. Jungle Boy is, is over. Both of these guys, like, it's it's fine. Um, Here's my couple- question, Gino. Though, I, I, it, is Jungle Boy is this is what he's going to be as a tag guy for his career in AEW? And I this feel is really bad one on the list that you and I, I know. were really excited about going to a, or and, signing with AEW. Remember, it was two years ago, right around Christmas. He had a one-on-one match for the title against Kenny Omega on TV. Oh, we thought, hey, we were sold that they, he they made, we were like, are they going to swerve us? Do it? Is there, are they going to put this on him for and like, you know a what? The match two? was good. We didn't it, think of him as a joke being called nope. Jungle Boy. Nope. And that's his gimmick. I think it's a combination of a little bit of bad luck, but another guy that they just, they don't know what to do with. I'll give them, I won't go completely and say it's 100% AEW's fault because Christian got hurt. Sure. And that's true. He was, Supposed to have a big blow off with Christian and that, and then it they had to push it and then it got pushed to Luchasaurus and they had Luchasaurus turn and then turn against him the other way and it got way convoluted and he never got to get really his comeuppance. So I think we've all just sort of been waiting for that, but okay, that happens. Guys get hurt, things change. Call an audible and go strong with him in a different direction and they haven't really. The, the, the suplex spot was cool, like hook. Through Big Bill over him, but I mean these guys, it, it's just kind of it was weird. Like you knew they had Lee Moriarty in there to lose. They didn't want Big Bill getting beat, but I don't know. It it was it's fine. Nothing special there. Um, they they, they interviewed Orange Cassidy, Danhausen, and um, the best friends were back there, and it was actor Paul Walter Hauser who won a Golden Globe um on Tuesday, Tuesday for yeah. Cobra Kai. Um, he, he is he's hilarious in Cobra Kai, and what's funny is every year, uh, every season of Cobra Kai, he will make like just in passing a joke about Chris Jericho. Like he'll make his he'll say something like, "Hey guys, I'm gonna go watch uh, Chris Jericho's greatest matches. You want to come join? You know?" Or like he'll say, "Hey guys, uh, I'm working on the uh, walls of Jericho right now. You guys want to come learn?" And I think the last time he. He was just singing the song. He was, huh, I become, I become, I become, yeah. I become, I. So you know this guy's a huge AEW mark. It was kind of funny to have him on the show because I'm a Cobra Kai fan. I don't think a lot of, he's not like a huge, huge mainstream name, but it was kind of funny because he's an AEW fan. I thought it was, he's carrying around his Golden Globe in like a case. Um, Let me ask you this. Are, are we at a point where Dan House was, Dan, I understand he's an entertainer. I, you know, just, before we went on today, and I, I wanted to talk AEW at the beginning, number one, because you went to the show and then you get a feel of it. But don't you think we need to see Dan Housen work in the ring? He's only Absolutely. had 13 matches in AEW since signing. And how many of them were on actual, like, Dynamite, Dynamite? or I'm Rampage? One even. or two? I don't, I don't, I, it's not very many. All... I'd like to see him work, man. I agree. He's he's an intriguing character. He's different. You what stands out on AEW, I hate to say it, is AEW wants to be known as a show that's just got all these fantastic wrestlers and really great wrestling matches. Who's your champion right now? MJF. He's the guy that talks. Well, you know, like, <laughs> unfortunately, you can say that you want to be a company with all the greatest wrestling and greatest wrestlers, but what gets guys over and gals over is being able to do both. And if you can't, 
get yourself over or talk, then, you know, I don't really know how much that matters. Like, for example, Daniel, Brian Danielson has a match against uh, Takeshita mm-hmm. next. Very good match. Sure. 15 minutes or so. These guys are, you know, going at it. We all know that Danielson's going to win because he's got to win these matches in order to get to MJF. And Takeshita, they they mentioned that he's actually moved here, and I think he's a full-time AEW talent now. The, the problem with him is he's had really good matches against, like, Moxley, Claudio, uh, now Danielson. But he can't speak, and this is this reminds me exactly of what was going on with, like, Dante Martin. What what are you going to do? You got to put somebody with him or something in order to get this guy over more than just wrestling these matches. I don't, again, the match was good. Match was solid. MJF, whoo, he comes out and he cuts a promo before. And I will say, this was a, another one of a couple things that rubbed me the wrong way, kind of in watching it back. I don't need think he, he needs to start with the Gonichiwa stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I'm not a fan of just like the racist quips like that. Like I had no problem with him calling him take a shitta, which I thought was funny as hell, which, you know what I mean? That's just his name. He's like, I don't know you. Who? What's your name? Take, take a shitta, which was, <laughs> it was pretty funny, but I don't, I think in this day, like MJF is creative. I don't think you need to go for the, like the racist quips that probably rubs some people the wrong way. Now I am a huge Freddie Prince Jr. fan. I freaking love me some Freddie Prince. She's all that, man. Uh, down <laughs> to you. I watched all of Freddie's movies back in the day. I love me some Freddie Prince. And Freddie's sitting uh, ringside. So is Ken Jong. And MJF starts just ripping on them. That was kind of funny. He said something. He, he made fun of Ken Jong because his uh, show got canceled. He said, Freddie Prince Jr., you were in She's All That. Like, what? 25 years ago (laughs) I don't know that Because I was born in 1996 You know Freddie's just kind of laughing there And uh, Freddie Prince Jr. actually Used to work for WWE as a writer And he's reportedly Putting together his own wrestling company Right now Um, He's trying to to put one together So what'd you think of MJF And then all of the involvement With with Danielson in the match With uh, Takeshita you know, the match is fantastic. Anything Brian Danielson does is good. You know, I, you and I both are, are big MJF fans, and it just seems like, I don't know, man. You just compare other world champions. Um, There's something that's a little it, bit less. Like, uh, I don't think it's bad or anything. Right. It feels like before he got the title, MJF, when he came out there, it was like always like a a minus segment, right? A couple of the last few weeks, and maybe it's just because now he's the champ, and we're sort of knowing that he's not going to lose that title right now or for a while. I don't know. I felt like B's and B minuses just a little bit and, more. And I, hate, and I hate that he's not in the ring. I, I mean, now look, I know that we, and I'm going to get it. Oh, we're Roman, you know. I, I understand that, but but Roman had wrestled for years and years and years like all the time. Week. Before doing that. And I don't want to see MJF just wrestle on pay-per-views because you don't get, what, you get six of them, seven of them a year, maybe if that, on AEW. Um, I, I I just want to see the, I, I, he's a good wrestler. I mean, I, I don't, 
I think we're being overexposed every week by these. He's. I, I think the shock and awe on his his promos are are gone now, mm-hmm. and I, I think this is time for him to really grow. And a and look, and he's still young, but I want to see him work more. I, I just and him I and Danielson is going to be fantastic. But now we've got what nine match gauntlet matches of until we get to MJF. So I'm and sure there's a middle ground see- because right. you and I have both said we don't need MJF working the middle of the rampage card against no. a nobody. No, but no. We do need to see him on TV every couple weeks, wrestling yes. a match. Like, yes. Once every few weeks on a dynamite, I think we need to see him. Whether you have somebody with him that can be in tag matches too, so you can have MJF not have to get in the ring all that much and do cheap crap. That's fine, right? But he does need to get in the ring a Man, little bit I, more. Yeah, and don't you think they've missed the boat and not this being a Wardlow position? Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. nothing wrong with Brian Danielson because they're going to give you that. But we know Brian Danielson's not going to win the title. He, Maybe he will, but I don't think so. I just think you're missing that pop factor with Wardlow. That's a story that still is lukewarm enough to instantly fire up. And I, that's a, what I think I'm missing here uh-huh. with, with this. You can't. Yeah, you, you, you can't get Wardlow back to that point right now. I mean, maybe you can just have him come out and do something with MJF, but I, you're right. We're like, we're talking it out. There's something kind of missing right now with the MJF stuff. Again, it's not bad. It's not ever entertaining. It's just Man, not Do you quite... want a champion that just comes out and dogs everyone and, and, well, and with, it's... every week? It kind of gets old. And you can, you know, we're, we're smarter wrestling fans now, and AEW is a very smart show. Like, he's kind of trolling them, and you can yeah. only do that so, so for much. so long. Yeah. Before people start to get mad, like, there's going to be a point when the fans of this company are like, we don't want this guy to be the champion anymore. We want it to just go back to, like, a Kenny Omega or an Adam Cole or an Adam someone who's going to be wrestling more often, giving us, you know, these matches and not, like, holding the company hostage. It's going to start to feel like that a little bit, you know? Um, So we'll see MJF on the road to uh, a match with Brian Danielson. In uh, a few weeks from now But Brian has to keep winning along the way We checked in with Juice Robinson He had a pretty good match with Darby Allen On uh, Rampage, I saw that match So it was just him challenging For the TNT Championship Juice is married to Tony Storm So he's probably around a little bit more So they probably just use him um, When he's here uh, As they set up for the Women's Tag Team Match so it was Soraya and Tony Storm this, versus right? Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter. Okay, now the match is fine. The the match, like the work in the match, was fine. And Jamie is super over, you know, and like she does good work in there. There, but that's not what we have to really talk about with this match. There were a lot of things going with it. First, they announced this match a month ago, a <laughs> month ago. So. If it was just going to be Soraya and Tony Storm versus Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter, they would not have announced this match a month ago. No, no way. I, they could I have announced it last agree. week. 100% completely agree. And we kind of found out, or we kind of, if if, if you were watching uh, Soraya, whatever she was on Twitch or an interview, I think it was an interview maybe with Renee. It was something on Twitter or online on Monday or Tuesday. She said, yeah, Tony Storm's going to be my partner this week. Why wouldn't she be? Wait, what? Huh? Come yeah. on. But I think we know why, right? And um, let's, th- let's there were so the elephant in the room here. 
So first off, they they set it up a month away and they talk about how it's going to be like a big deal. Who's your partner going to be? Right. So they they at the very least, they had hopes and plans that it was going to be Sasha or someone big. Then they mentioned a few weeks ago that there are something about two tickets, having yeah. two tickets in the audience. So they're kind of teasing that there's going to be someone showing up. And then what they end up doing last week to basically just completely save themselves and get themselves out of any kind of bad surprise, they just announced that it's going to be Tony Storm as the partner. But when they did that, we all thought that it might be leading to a a turn from Sheeta because the way they announced it, it looked like Sheeta might take out Tony Storm and then... Soraya is going to need a partner, and then here comes Sasha Banks. None of that happened. Tony Storm's there. The crowd is actually kind of booing, not booing, but they were not receptive to Tony and Soraya. They were cheering Hater and Britt the entire time. Sheeta comes out. She kind of gets involved, and the heels end up winning the match. But that's not the worst part. The worst part was that at the end of the match— Afterwards, they turn the lights out like Sasha's about to show up or someone's about to show up, and it was a freaking troll job. They turned the lights out at the arena, like at the end, like someone was about to run out, and then they just showed like a clip of the acclaimed on the screen, and the crowd went absolutely ape shit. They were booing. You felt like they just were trying to tease you, and that's not something that's like a WWE thing to do. That is not something that AEW tries to say they do or want to do. That was bad, Chad, to do to like the fans <laughs> there. That was not let's, good. Let, let's let's uh, it, it's definitely let down once, and we knew that they did they didn't sign Mercedes, aka Sasha Banks. I, I just that that didn't happen. Maybe it does. I don't know, but we can only uh, speculate. We have to go in the you know what's happening now. What were your thoughts? In person with the crowd, because you mentioned the crowd w- wasn't really hot with Soraya. What are your thoughts about her coming over? Because she was such a big presence and a re- revolutionary figure into crossing over, bringing or getting rid of the Divas moniker and making it a women's wrestling division. What were your thoughts of her in AEW in this uh, in this arena? Okay, her her work in the ring was a little bit better. She she looked okay. a little bit more comfortable. Like I wasn't cringing. Um she's not over really. Like her character work no, is awful. And I don't think it, I don't think she has been. No, she hasn't. Her character work is awful. When she's come over, she started talking and when she said this is my house, the whole crowd said no it's not. <laughs> like right back to her. Um she's kind of come in as like acting way too much like she was a bigger star than everybody else and I think it rubbed I don't know. I, I don't know if she's like this in real life, but this is how it's been portrayed on screen. That she thinks she's way bigger than the entire women's division, and that she's here to help put them on the map. It, Good take. Yeah. You know, it didn't see that. It it seems like it's not connected with the AEW fans, and I think we're gonna get a double turn here. I think we're gonna get uh, Jamie and Britt becoming baby faces. I think that will c- help. With Britt and Adam Cole making him a baby face. And I think you're going to get Soraya. I think she might be a really good heel now. Because she could really lean into it and just say, screw all of you guys. Like, I came here to, I'm a bigger star than this entire, like, she can do that 
exactly what we're saying as a heel, and it'll work. Yeah, I agree. It's, I instead of as agree. a baby face. And yeah, and one other thing to point out, Tony Storm, I think she's gorgeous. Uh, I think she's fantastic looking. I think she you and I have been huge Tony Storm fans for yeah. a long time. When she was in NXT, we were always wanting more from her. We were always wanting her to get pulled up on the main roster. When she came on to SmackDown, we were hoping for more from her. She spent too much time in the tanner yesterday. She, like <laughs> she was orange. I could see it from the, like, where I was sitting. Everyone was like, she spent a little too much. Did she fall asleep in that self-tanner, you know, like in that in the tanning bed? So, um, yeah, she definitely had the uh, the tanner rocking, no doubt about it. Um, they let us know what's going to be happening next week. Um Brian Danielson versus Bandito, Jake Hager versus Ricky Starks, which was hilarious because they screwed that one up. Because Ricky Starks hadn't even come out to ask for the match yet. That's just production stuff. Yeah. Like Ricky Starks segment was next. The Jericho Appreciation Society comes out, crowd singing for Jericho and this going crazy. Um Money Matt's nipples are hard. Or Daddy Magic's nipples are hard, you know, so he's just letting us know. The crowd just, you know, having some fun. And then Ricky Starks comes out. And Ricky Starks comes out with Andrade. And Ricky Starks is over, man. He comes out. I even tweeted, Ricky Starks is over. Crowd's loving him. They're into it. And then I kind of watched and listened back to some of the stuff they were saying. I didn't really like it for baby faces. I really didn't. Yeah. It reminded me of stuff that, like, The Rock would have said in the late 90s that we would have been okay with, but nowadays we're not. So a a lot of what Ricky Starks is doing is making fun of Jake Hager for having a lisp. (laughs) Like a speech impediment. (laughs) Like, how is that a babyface thing? Like, (sighs) how many people watching the show around the world have, like, either a lisp or some sort of a speech impediment? Probably millions of people watching. And now you're like, Damn, I gotta cheer. I'm cheering for this guy, Ricky Starks. Like, and I was kinda... way, and there's a way of doing it. Like, KO is a perfect example. You're right. You know, he he's a baby face, and he will sometimes take a quick shot at someone. But it's 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 the delivery of it too. And I agree, Ricky Starks is a star. I don't like the way they portrayed him, and now he's back in a tag team. I just I don't like that for the guy. I mean, I guess this is where you go with him now because. He had he he lost his title and then he had a title shot with MJF. I, I just think again that was probably missed. I would have liked a really nice build up for Ricky Starks and MJF to show AEW and everyone else. This is you know again here we are with another former WWE in the world title picture. I'm sorry that's the way I look at it and I think they've missed the boat with Ricky Starks. But I'm with you here. I thought it was a little e. They, their promos on, on this show have have not been for the faint of heart. No, and, and and then I don't like Andrade was getting good responses. See, that's what's hard is that the crowd is responding yeah. well, no matter what the material is. Sure. Like it doesn't matter what they say; they're just gonna pop for it. And um, Andrade made a comment about you know Sammy can't control his his wife tie, <laughs> and her hands were between his legs, which I don't know, like the. The control, it was they were just kind of weird. I didn't I didn't think they were like baby face type no. stuff. So that's the only thing. I think Ricky has a chance to be an absolute star right now. I thought this didn't feel like a move forward for him. It was just a little no. bit 
deflating. Um, I'm sorry. I'm really going to piss people off here, but man, what the sky would be the limit. That guy was in WWE, right? I agree. I'm just, I agree. Let me throw that out there. I love Ricky Starks though. Me too. You are. He reminds me in a different way of LA Knight. He does. He does. It's not, not there. There's nothing about them that are like the same, but their presence, the way they talk, the way that they're like better in the ring. They're the attention. Yeah, and they're the attention when they get on the mic. The guy's mm-hmm. got so much persona and charisma. That dude, he He's used got to make presence. these little indie videos that look like old school Dracar slash guest gene commercials. And that's what I just miss. I thought we would get more of that stuff with him. And you know, I just I wish they'd turn him loose, man. Like a, you know, you're holding back a racehorse that's that's wanting to go to the front. Let him go to the damn Front, Let him run. <laughs> I agree. And uh, we finished up with the uh, the main event match that we already talked about, the best of seven series, where the uh, elite ends up getting the win. I mean, that was a fantastic match. It was, but Great the problem match. was, it was about they only, they came out with 15 minutes left, and they had to just go balls to the wall. And it it did feel like they had to rush through that match a little bit. Like the seventh match in the series is only going 14 minutes when that one probably <laughs> yeah, should have gone like the 25 most important. minutes. Yeah. This you know, was like the most important. He was good. And there were a couple spots where I'm like, I don't know how he's walking right yeah. now. Um, yeah. But who uh, these guys threw their body on the line and I'm sure they're going to need a, a couple days to recover from that one it was a fun show. But again, I think a lot of AEW, as we say, you go there, you watch it live. It's a really fun experience. You kind of look back at some of the things they can. It can always be cleaned up, and there were still some sloppy, some sloppy things hey, here and there. Looking at the crowd, did you see a lot of WWE t-shirts? Or was yeah, it yeah, there's okay. a lot of WWE t-shirts, but but okay. the the merch sold out like crazy for AEW. Yeah. So they they were pumped there too. I was rocking my Daniel Bryan, yes, 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 uh, <laughs> t-shirt. So I was still able to support D. Bry, but uh. Rock my WWE shirt. Also, speaking of WWE, let's head back on over there as we uh, we revisit SmackDown, where the Usos beat Drew and Sheamus, and you know now the uh, the Usos are just going to continue to hold those titles. I thought it was kind of fun with Drew and Sheamus in the bar before having their little uh, their little segment where they're kind of pushing each other and fighting each other. And as you would expect with these guys, the match. Was very, very good. And um, the Usos are still your champs. But a lot of this show was more about the bloodline story overall. Sami Zayn and Roman. Sami ends up losing last week. So Roman screams at Sami in front (laughs) of everyone. Dresses him down. Then he apologizes to him in the back. Says it was, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. It's embarrassing. Next week, I want you to take care of KO. So oh, we boy. have a match set up on SmackDown. Sami Zayn versus oh, Kevin Owens. We know Kevin Owens has the match against Roman at the Rumble. Lots of moving parts, lots of moving pieces. But damn, the bloodline stuff is just the best stuff in wrestling. It's, it's we're a broken record. I, I wish I could argue and say I'm tired of it. Um, I, I'm tired of the Usos keeping the titles. I, I, you know, I wish I could say that, uh, you know, we've got some pretty intriguing movement on the title front. Um, we'll, we'll talk about the, the next, uh, upcoming number one contenders here in a moment, but 
again, there's so many moving parts, as you said, but it all comes down to Sami Zayn. He's been the MVP of this. He just has. Look, the Roman Reigns, you know, acknowledge me is who would have thought that would be one of the biggest wrestling sayings, you know, uh, it, it just, I think fans just get their phones out and can't wait for, for him to say that. It's just people pop over it. But when he Sammy says, I and, acknowledge you, I love it so much. When <laughs> yeah. He says this, and so Sammy, this, this coming up on SmackDown, number one, Sammy and KO, we talk about it a lot with, you know, oh, I could watch these guys wrestle a hundred times. And then after like the fifth or sixth time, we're like, eh, maybe, maybe I, I rescind that statement. But these two guys are the ones that if you're going to watch 20 matches together with the same competitors, you want it to be KO and Sami Zayn because number one, their story just goes back to the early days when they rode around and from town to town for 20 bucks or whatever it is. But these guys, you talk about putting their bodies on the line and throwing down. It's going to be a very intriguing match because, you know, KO has to go over in this match. He has to go over because he's got to keep momentum heading to the Royal Rumble. Um, I, I think it's going to be really, really intriguing. Um, and I think that match with the Royal Rumble is going to be intriguing if Sami Zayn's going to get involved in it. So some other hits from SmackDown. We have the oh Charlotte comes in. And Man, uh, she's so over. Thank you, Charlotte. A, you know, she's still getting those chants. <laughs> she is a star, and she just feels like she walks in, and uh, the women's division just feels way different than it did a, a week or two ago with Ronda. And you know uh, what I like, though, Gino? This is, and this is what I think this MJF could do. Somebody comes out and challenges her. And I right? appreciate the fact that Sonya Deville did it. Maybe it wasn't the best match, but have somebody in the damn AEW locker room come out and say, hey, man, I'm tired of you talking. Let's wrestle. I don't want a title shot. Let's just let's just wrestle. And I like what they did here with Charlotte Flair and bringing Sonya out and saying, hey, I'll, I'll you know, let's have a match. I like it. And the only thing that was really different about Charlotte was she thanked the audience for their support of her. And she accepted the match. Like a heel Charlotte would have said, no, I'm not going to wrestle no. you. And that would have been her view. That's all, all she has to do is just say, yeah, I'll wrestle you right and then now. And then she Pete, you know? Yep. And and so, I, I, I mean, I love Charlotte. I freaking you love do. Charlotte. You do. You are Charlotte Mark. I, I'm a Charlotte Mark. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I just love me some Charlotte. We got a really good use of uh, of Kofi here and Santos Escobar. This was a good, good match. match. Good you match. Know? I, I love this stuff on TV. Um, it helps you get, you know, 10 minutes or so on a good TV match. And we could see, um, you know, fun little tag team match between these guys and a little feud between, um, you know, Legato del Fantasma and, and, uh, and the new day here. So what's I, silly Gino, wasn't it a qualifier for a Royal rumble? Did they say I think, that? I think so. Which is it, they, because Kofi already announced that he's going right, to be in. Right? right. That's why I thought it was a little silly, but the match, Hey, it was fresh. It was new. It was really, really good. I like it. I think, uh, I think what's his name? Xavier Woods is battling a little injury. So uh, that's probably why they're yeah. they're giving Kofi a little a few yeah. singles matches. Remember, here and they're there. the NXT tag team champions. The, and you know? the uh Kofi could like I there's someone on the on the, the show that we were I was talking about a little bit yesterday. Like and we're gonna get to him in just a second. Ricochet picks up a win in a qualifying match over Top Dalla. And just as we had expected, Ricochet um wins the match, but then after the match. Hit row turns heel on him. Like, I, hey, and I'm gonna be honest with you, I wasn't a fan of this match. And I think it was quick. Better, it, yeah. yeah, it, it, it was wasn't quick. very good. It wasn't a very good match. It was kind of quick. 
they, it didn't really flow. It was more about the angle, the heel than turn, the, than, than the than match. Anything. Yeah, I think if you don't have, and I don't know what their plans are for WrestleMania or whatever, I, I would like to see like a ricochet against Kofi Kingston at one on one at WrestleMania. I yeah. think that could be a fun like. 15 minute, minute middle, match. middle yeah. of the card match, let them go at it. And they could have something that starts at the rumble trying to one up each other. I could see Ricochet trying to do a Kofi spot at the rumble, you know, like so, I don't know, something like that might be like fun, that. but I, I like the two of them um, as, you know, maybe guys who could help each other out as uh, we saw Ricochet on the show. We saw Kofi on this show. We saw LA Knight, and he got to sit. He said, I was doing some walking in Memphis. And then he said, well, why would I want to walk around this piece of shit town? You know, he crapped, he crapped on Memphis right after. And then he said, uh, they're all going to be talking about him. And it was, it was just quick. But, man, the crowd is behind this guy. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's, he's a great heel because the crowd plays to him how you want them to play to a heel. Like, they'll boo him, but then they'll also going to repeat some of his lines all good stuff with LA Knight so far, man. I don't really have a whole lot of knocks to, to mention on his stuff recently. No, it's, uh, again, just bravo the way they've been able to to handle him and put him in this uh, this little storyline with Bray where he could have instantly gotten lost. And that shows you how strong of a character at present he is. Not anybody can pull this off with Bray Wyatt, especially with the Uncle Howdy stuff. So, no, nah, I'm just – I'm anxious to see this match. This uh, Was it Lights Out or uh, – I the what pitch, call it. the pitch Mountain black. Dew pitch yeah. black match. Don't forget about Mountain Dew. Got to get the <laughs> yeah, we're the selling, selling get the ads. matches now. That's awesome. You know, I this next um, segment we had Karrion Cross and Scarlet versus Mad. Oh, I've got a lot to say here, so I'll and, let you go first. And Emma, um, I didn't think Scarlet looked very good in the ring. No, and I think I, that it hurt her mystique a little bit, like not looking as good in the ring. Um, I think he makes the package come off a little bit less important. And I don't um I don't mind the cross Rey Mysterio stuff. Like I don't mind him having a feud with Mysterio. Just kind of again seems a little weird. You brought in Emma and now she I don't want to say she's buried, but she's not looked at as anything important on the roster at all and, and just losses so far. And I didn't I don't know, I just didn't get a whole lot out of this. Like I don't I don't think it did much for either of these teams personally. I, I think it did a lot bad for Scarlett. Like I was, I was kind of excited for her in ring, sure. And everything seemed like really slow, really slow moving. Like you could see the next move coming, really telegraphed. Uh, yeah, and and I like both Cross and Scarlett. Uh, this is what we wanted. Uh, we wanted Scarlett with Cross, and I just the crowd was dead, and SmackDown crowds are really, really hot, and that was telling. And I think Cross and Scarlet could be in a little trouble here. Um, remember, he he he's coming out of this really hot storyline where he we thought he was going to be challenging Roman Reigns for the title. Drew, he comes right in and attacks Roman. Remember, and Drew, remember that right in the main event. And picture. the next thing you know, he's having these matches with Roman or with uh, with Drew. Uh, you know, Drew got the final I, I think laugh right. Uh, was it a cage match at the at the Crown Jewel? I can't remember, but. Man, I, I think Cross well, is strap Scarlett match, in, right? They strap had a cage and a strap, what, yeah. Right. And then that's that's the way to 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 get the the heel over in one match and then the face over in the other. I I just think they're in trouble. I'm going to be honest with you. Some something's awry here. It's I not good. It yeah. Hot. He came back hot. 
Uh, he's real cold now, and this match did not help any of those those four individuals in that ring. Yep, no, I completely agree Remember with you. Remember a while back, we were so high on Madcap Moss? I know. Madcap yeah, Moss. Dude can go. We were, Man, when like, he was uh, in the Money in the Bank, we are like, picture, we're like, maybe Madcap Moss is someone who could. The man, when you start the, bringing in your, hey, will y'all sign my girlfriend or my wife? Not just him. It just seems like you kind of get stuck over and you paint yourself in a corner and now you're in a storyline. I, I just hated it. I, I don't, I don't, this was not a good segment for any, for WWE or any of those four. Totally agree. We already spoke about Charlotte. She comes out, she cuts her promo, and then. Who's her she, next? Uh, who's her, uh, who's her next uh, challenger? You know, that's a good, that's a good question. I. I actually th- think that Liv, but I like I don't know if you're gonna go babyface. Like Liv and Charlotte would kind of be fun and have them have a good match and not have Charlotte lose. Is Charlotte uh, and, gonna defend her title at the Royal Rumble? I think so, and I th- so it, I think it, because yeah keeps her out of the Rumble. It's a good thing to do. But I, I if we're trying to find a, it's probably just got to be Ronda again, right back, right? Okay. I think she rematches okay. with Ronda. That way you can keep those two out of the Rumble. Rumble. And you don't have to worry about either Ronda or Charlotte in there who people probably would be worried about. We only have a couple of weeks to the Rumble, right? Yeah. And two I think weeks. Liv announced herself. I could see, yes. I don't know what their plans will be now for Mania because I had thought they were going to go with Becky and Ronda. Maybe they will do, but I thought that Becky was going to win the, the Rumble and then go after Ronda for the SmackDown title. I, I didn't really know what they what their plans were with Charlotte. I fig, I'm kind of hoping we get Bianca and Rhea on the other side. But now— you, you, don't, you don't see them doing—and I'm just throwing it out there for conversation, and I'm sure it's not going to happen. You wouldn't see Bianca versus Charlotte for a unified-type deal with Roman uh, the way he does it, right? I no? Don't think, I don't think so, but you know what? It's not the craziest I, I thing in the world. I, I wouldn't want it. I, Me neither. I don't want it. I don't no. want it. I would rather. I, Charlotte's not going to lose that title before no. WrestleMania. And Charlotte should be defending that title at WrestleMania. That's fine. If you want to have somebody beat her or whatever. But the matches feel bigger when she's in them. Um, what feels bigger? Becky, Charlotte, Becky, Bianca, Aronda, Charlotte. I mean, Aronda, Charlotte's not going to feel as big. since Charlotte No, because we just did it. On, we don't need Smackdown. to go back to Becky and Bianca again because we did that at Mania and at SummerSlam. I don't think okay. we need to go back there. Um, and, yeah, Becky, Charlotte. Unless they have somebody new waiting, but that's not a – that's not a – you know, I know they've got some signings that have come up, but I don't – you know, that are that are holding out probably until the Rumble. But does anybody feel like I, they could be no, not, instantly not shoved – no, you know, no. I, you so, know, I would have loved to have seen Candice LeRae be in a spot where she could win the Rumble, but she feels so cold right now. But that's on the Raw side, so I'm just asking, what do you think? Maybe's next for Charlotte here over the next. I know. Month I or do two. think Liv is going to have a very long Rumble run because she's oh, one of the only yeah, people who's sure, come out sure. and mentioned the Rumble. And I don't like her recent run as the champ wasn't great though. So like, I don't think they're going to go right back to her or anything. I no, think she'll no, have. A, I winning. think she'll have a nice run. In the rumble, but yeah, I mean, just curious. Sort of looking looking around, it doesn't feel like like you've got that sort of top tier of Charlotte, Becky, Bianca, Rhea right now. Especially on SmackDown, if you look at the SmackDown's women's division, who else is even around there? Yeah, yeah. Ah, I, I don't That's know. Interesting. Yeah, we'll see either. what they do in the uh, in the next few weeks leading into the rumble. As we yeah, we already spoke about Ricochet. We 
then uh, saw Lacey Evans beating up a woman in a ring, uh, <laughs> and she's using the Cobra cut, uh, the Cobra clutch. So she'd be someone that uh, that gets a push. Yeah, it might be a little quick, but you're right. We could, especially if she's coming in as a heel. You know, or I mean, I'm not sure if she's going to come in as a heel or a babyface, but yeah, she could be pushed back up into the mix because they've always been super high on her, and she was in a feud with Charlotte at one point with Rick. <laughs> I remember, which was yeah, that was really interesting. Just yeah, I tried to forget that one for sure. <laughs> um, and then we uh, we finished up SmackDown with the undisputed tag team championship match this week coming up. We've got Gunther versus Braun Strowman for the IC title and Kevin Owens versus Sami Zayn. So that should be a, a blast on a really fun oh, yeah. SmackDown that comes up this week. Let's transition on over to Monday Night Raw in Birmingham, Alabama. We had Kevin Owens opening up the show, being interrupted by JBL talking trash on the Rednecks from Alabama, <laughs> Redneckville. And that led to a, a Baron Corbin Versus Kevin Owens match that I'm sure we'll see Kevin Owens have a couple matches now between yes. now and Rumble where yeah. he picks up some wins to give him a, a strong build heading into the match with Roman. Yeah, you know it's uh, again if, if if we're leading if we really think Sammy and KO or uh, is that officially a match on Friday or is it just something that Roman? No, I think said? it is officially a match. He Man, says they said the biggest yeah. match of Sammy Zayn's career. That's what yeah, and I think Kevin Owens goes over. I, I there's just not a position where I think KO needs to lose at all heading into Royal Rumble uh, to make him a legitimate. Um, and I think they're going to tease Sammy turning. Yeah, Sammy's got to lose on, for sure. Sammy's yeah, got to lose. I, that and I think they're going to tease Sammy turning on Roman to help Kev KO win the title. Would it surprise you if that happened at all? If, if he helped Kevin Owens go over on Roman Reigns, it would be God, a that would shock. that would be awesome and just totally like I. I mean, I, I'm not thinking it, but if, if he was playing it all along just to help KO then get <laughs> the title nuts. like that, oh my gosh, that would be awesome. I would love that. And it, I think this because, is why you and I are not in the positions of no, Booker. Because we would, we're, we we'd would be like, oh, damn, that's right. And we'd then somebody would say, changes. dude, somebody would say, Coop, Gino, WrestleMania is in like two months. We're telling a huge story that's going to culminate there. We'd be like, no, no we got a no, title change coming up on the uh, main event. We got, <laughs> we got something up. on main event. Let's over here. As we continue along on Monday Night Raw. We then had a quick update on Bianca Belair's condition, and we had, uh, you know, I'm sure it will lead it will lead to another Bianca match with Alexa at the Royal Rumble. Alexa cuts her promo. Um, actually, first a creepy video is shown, and then Uncle Howdy's music plays, and the the man with the giant mask comes out to the top. <laughs> she stands there, and so we. I mean, we don't know where we're going, but it definitely looks like Alexa is back again involved with Bray, with Uncle Howdy. And if, and if that's the case, let's do a character and, and uh, wrestling gear change with Alexa. I, I, mean, I agree. Sell it to me a little more, you know, and, and instead of just her saying get up, you know, with the with maybe a black T-shirt and the whatever it is, but change her gear. Is something more believable that that she's going all in. If she's going to be the face of evil, I want some gear. I want a gear change. Yep, we need to see Alexa look a little bit different, have a different presence. So that's what we will uh, will have likely for the Rumble. I don't. 
I don't like what they've done with Mia Yim either oh, no, right no, now. No, no. And I and I think AJ Styles recently got hurt. So it's sort of been hard because the club doesn't have AJ there. They're not all connected. I think they're trying now to to kind of separate Mia from the club. But it a couple of things. One, like I think the name changed. They were calling her Mia Yim and now it's Mi Chin. And they've gone back and forth with it a few times. And they kept saying Mi Chin like they're like she's not even Mia Yim anymore. Like they changed right. the name. And I don't know if it was just me. I didn't think the match was very good. I thought she looked really like slow. Like she was really like not moving at a quick pace. I I was just kind of disappointed with no, it. I'm one hundred percent. I haven't been the biggest Mia Yim fan to begin with. I know she's she's well, but she's better than that. I agree with uh, you. absolutely, absolutely. In this, I, I I did not like this match or segment at all. And I think the name going back and forth and doing whatever. I think this hurts. I think it hurts you. I think it hurts. More than you think it does. I, I think it really hurts for them not having something, a, a specific character and sticking with, and that kind of gets lost. And then when you have kind of a clunker in there, it just, it, 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 it wasn't good. I didn't like it. Yeah. We, well, at least we, at least we got some information now about Johnny Gargano that he's been hurt. Yes. Now we know. So, now okay. I, again, no, we don't ever root for anybody to be hurt, but I feel a little better about it now. That, yes. That's why he hasn't been in the ring And maybe they've been Hey we wanted to keep him on TV They had him doing this goofy stuff with Loomis. He's it been was, out for so long right it, it was bad but Now we can at least understand Because we kept wondering Why isn't Johnny Gargano wrestling Like <laughs> this guy is a good wrestler Put him out there every week for 15 minutes He's going to get over Well now we know why at least So yeah. I'd love to see him If he's healthy pop up in the rumble That would be great If yes. not you know Let's start working on something for him post Rumble, and uh, same thing for Candice. You know, um, she's looking forward to the Royal Rumble match. She has a match with Rhea. It was a way to make Rhea look quick, look strong with a quick win. I this is the type of match that I think you could have had Dana Brooke, <laughs> in, or if or if it's going to be Candice here, like Rhea can win a little cheaper. It didn't yeah. have to be so clean. Like you can have it be, you know, some other reason, someone getting involved, something else. I don't think you want to just be squashing Candace like this. No, I, and she's and she's had over the last several weeks some promo time, especially you know, and then mm-hmm. here she is, you know, hey, I came here for one reason. I, I want to win the Royal Rumble. Well, that's not a way to convince us that she has any type of chance to win it. No, I didn't think. I didn't think it was good for for Candice. And it doesn't do anything really for Rhea either. No, it doesn't. They've been on fire. Yeah. Um, Austin Theory cuts a promo, and he says, the champ is here. (laughs) Must be, you know, maybe a tease for WrestleMania. Maybe he'll be facing John Cena come WrestleMania time. But uh, Seth Rollins comes out. Oh, and another really cool thing I I just, I forgot to mention, but um, uh, Moxley did a stomp. In the match against Hangman on oh, yeah. uh, on, on yeah. Dynamite, and when he did the stomp, the crowd started singing Seth Rollins' music um, <laughs> at AEW. Oh, oh, oh. We were all, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Um, Rollins was getting some love on uh, on Dynamite there as Rollins comes to the ring, and you know he said he's going to win. And they both basically just talked about the Royal Rumble. They both said yeah. you know on to bigger and better. 
they're going to both be in the Royal Rumble. And, um, I mean, it's good stuff for Rollins right now. He's he's becoming the baby face that we wanted him to be. We, we wanted him to be. And, it, and it, you know what? It's kind of happened naturally. He was this goofy, cackling heel. But then all throughout <laughs> 2022, he's the guy just throwing out incredible matches. Every, every match. Yeah. Think about all the matches with Cody, the stuff with Riddle. He was doing stuff with Edge before that. Like, um, everything he's been doing has been fantastic work. And now with Theory, he's had a couple really good matches, and he's done good stuff with Lashley. And so the crowd ends up going, damn, Seth Rollins is good. He's here every week. He's becoming a little bit more entertaining, and now they're singing his song. And now he might at some point be able to be that guy that we thought. He can go out there and be like the company babyface. Yeah, and, you know... Again, he could be that guy that also could face Roman Reigns. He absolutely could. That's built in. I mean, who in the hell wouldn't see want to see Roman Reigns defend the world titles against former Shield partner Seth Rollins on the grandest stage of them all? And you know, Seth that, even kind of has the tie with Kevin Owens too, right? Like oh they yeah, were man. I could yeah. absolutely see like Seth and Kevin Owens and Sammy having like an alliance together, right? Like. Together 100%. helping each other doing out. Six man tag. Dude, and that doing would be six man tag leading up to that. Yes. Oh yes. yes. Hell yeah. So I love this. I love Rollins. I'm a I'm a Rollins mark. Um we then had I am. Now what do yeah. you think about this Bobby Lashley gimmick getting more involved and now coming back out and maybe being aligned with MVP? That's what we saw next, right? He came it out. Just, yeah, it just it just feels like it just didn't work. It you're didn't going, work, man. It was fine when it happened initially. I thought th- the hurt business made Bobby Lashley what he is today with MJ or uh, with MVP talking for him, being able to treat him like a heel. That was the first time in WWE he was treated like a big star. He yeah. was treated that way in Impact, but then he came over now, but he got over after that. As a babyface, people like Bobby Lashley. Then they turned him heel again. It just feels like you're going backwards. Like it doesn't feel like forward <laughs> progression at all. No, no. And if he wants to get in, they're just there's. Do they have nothing for him? Is that in this waiting period? Let's get past the rumble. I don't know, but I just think, and maybe they're just teasing us with the hurt business. You know, he remember didn't he beat up Shelton and and well, and Cedric? it feels like. There's the the Brock stuff isn't done right. Like that's got to no, be either his no. mania match or something moving it's forward. It's got to be mania. Got yeah, to be mania. So, yeah, we'll see with uh, we'll see with what's going on in that in that particular uh, situation with Lashley. As we got a video from Cody Rhodes talking about how you know 2022 and and what the year was like and um, never having an injury like that and you know they're building him up. Looks like for the Rumble. Man, do you think they announce it before, pro- or do you think they just have him show up at the Rumble? Man, either way, uh, I think the promo. Fine. Yeah, the promo is fantastic. Now, are you going to be disappointed if he does not win the Royal Rumble? No, it sure does feel like they're setting him up to win this thing. I think so too, but I won't be disappointed. Um, I think okay. because I do think this year we've mentioned if it's Cody, if it's Sammy, if it's Seth, I'm fine with any of those. Honestly, and I think all of those could be really good choices to to go with moving forward. I actually think Sammy is probably the one that makes the most sense. 
Me too. I've been like saying the, that since day one, man. You so have. Intriguing. The and, story and be like being told. Yes. Roman said, you're going to lay down, you know, uh, you know. You're right. He's going to be happy that Sammy yeah. won that thing. Oh, great. Now I don't have to. T- and Sam- the, the way they could tell the shades of gray between now, uh, between after the Rumble and WrestleMania. And then what do you do with the Elimination Chamber that's in Montreal? You know, and that's, that's uh, perfect for that, too. So I think I wouldn't have a problem with Cody having a long run and then getting eliminated by whoever his mania that's, match that's was going cool. to be. That's storyline, sure. Right. Like, okay I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, or, you know, like I said, we don't even know if if they're going to do something like have a new title at the Elimination Chamber. I could absolutely sure. see them put the Raw championship up for grabs in the Elimination Chamber and either have Roman not even defend it Something weird to where they they create a new title that's going to be defended at WrestleMania. I could see that happening. I, I, sure. So I'm not going to be disappointed if Cody doesn't win the Rumble. I think he'll get his chance. I really do. And I think the stuff with him has been they, – they've told a good story. But, man, the Sammy stuff, I think you got to run with this right now while Me it's too. going. I agree. Um, we got Solo Sokoa picking up a win over the Dirty Dog. Your boy, you guys no, were hanging out. Dolph Ziggler's hanging out too late at Resorts that's, World. That's, that's why he lost the solo. He was partying with you a little too much. And then he, you know, he wasn't able to get his rest for old solo Sokoa, who picks up the win. Man, Dominic. Dominic <laughs> Mysterio. This is fantastic. Dude, he's on Miz TV. And man, he said, Tonight I'm gonna look at the justice system because I got Dominic Mysterio as my guest. <laughs> Dominic's wearing a plaid shirt along with the bandana. And man, he says, I learned in prison that you always run with your crew. Snitches get stitches. That's what I learned. He said, I've been locked up with the world's most dangerous people. It's either push or be push. When life comes at you fast, you got to grab it by the balls like what Maurice does to the Miz. It was (laughs) so bad. It was so good. It's funny, man. They're having some fun with this. And like I'm super enjoying the Dominic stuff, and I, I really I think it'll lead to a fun uh, match with with Ray. I'm assuming at WrestleMania. It has to. It has to. Uh, you know, a lot of the Miz TV uh, segments can get. Uh, most of them are, are. It is what it is. They're they're not really all that entertaining. Uh, they lead to the set getting tore up or something like that. I thought this was again. You know. Egg on our faces because we were so mad that Ray was being sent over to SmackDown and this story was not going to be told. You know that they're, they're, he's finally turning on him, and, and what what he's been able to do is and kudos to Rhea for being a big part of this. You know, yeah. It, so <laughs> really good stuff, and you know what? They end up winning the tag team championship gauntlet match. So they're the number one contender. Um, so they didn't win the titles, but they are the number one contender, the judgment day. The way it happened was Finn ends up getting hurt. So they let Dominic replace Finn. Damian Priest, this was one of the best showings he's had. Yep. He looked unbelievable in this match. He wrestled for 50 minutes. Finn wrestled for about 40 minutes in this match. Those guys looked great. And I could see... All of the Judgment Day, the, the only thing I'm, I'm concerned about is is Priest. But, I mean, I could see the Judgment Day having 
Rhea Ripley in a title match at WrestleMania against Bianca. I could see Finn being in a one-on-one match against Edge because I think Edge is coming back soon, and yeah. and Edge put him uh, Finn put Edge out, and I could see Dominic against Ray. They could all have pretty high-profile matches that would leave Damian Priest to just kind of maybe be, you know, the the uh, like the the corner man. But damn, I thought he looked fantastic on Raw. This was one of his best showings in a while, and this kind of reminded people like. Remember when he was the U.S. champ and we thought he was going to be yeah. pushed up right into the main event? Like, this guy can go, and just because he's been in a little bit more in the background recently, don't forget. I thought it was a pretty good tag gauntlet match, like a fun way to end the show because it's a it's a little bit different when you get to have these guys in the main event. And I think they weren't quite as worried. Like, they knew the national championship game was going, so they, they are fine having a gauntlet match like this. And that, that game was a blowout, so the ratings did pretty well on Raw. Yeah, and, and I like the fact that Hills won this. And, uh, you know, this is something new to look forward to with the Usos. It's a new challenger. Uh, we didn't go with— It's fresh. You know, Profits would have been fun, fresh. but it would we've been there a bunch of times been with there, the Profits. Right? Yeah, been there, done that. Let's finish up with NXT New Year's Evil, which was a, a fun show that kicked off with Tony D versus Dijak. And they're building up Dijak to be— uh, a major player in NXT now. Um, Wesley was on commentary, and DiJack will be facing Wesley probably at the. They're building up to the Vengeance Day show, so I wouldn't be surprised if yeah. we get that match there in like a month. Yeah, uh, I, you know, DiJack is uh, again. We talked about Damian Priest, knowing what he's been able to do. Then he's kind of been, you know, thrown around a little bit and put into different places. I, I, I think here we we need we need. Dijak to dominate. I, I we need to get a title on him. Um, this guy, I, I'm not. He could be the one that dethrones Braun Breaker, and I would completely be okay with that. This guy is that good. I just want to see him in the ring. And I don't want to see anything too gimmicky. Because I agree with you. Just let him be a badass wrestler in the yes. ring. Yes. Yeah. Don't do that uh, on NXT. Just let him be a badass. He can go, and I can see him being the NXT uh, heavyweight champion. So we had. Jinder Mahal show up on Love NXT. It. Me too. I know you're a fan of Jinder. I, I thought that Jinder's heel run on the main roster was good and it was old school. And Jinder is in fantastic shape. He's someone who has always done whatever they've asked and he has a good presence. Remember, Jinder faced Seth Rollins for the first ever NXT title. He was he was oh, like in the original yeah. NXT way back then. Um, which is which is kind of fun. And now Jinder fits in well with uh, with Sanga here. He ends up picking up a win over Julius Creed, which I, I didn't even have a problem with. I think if you want to— No, bring, I'm okay with this. Me too. Bring Jinder down, have him look strong, and then it'll help when guys get pick up wins over him. This is a good use of Jinder right now. You've got Jinder. You've got the New Day. You've got—think uh, about what they did with Mandy Rose. You know, they did it with Ziggler. You you know you've got Apollo Cruz down there right now. I, I like this. I, I I like this for gender. I think yeah, it does I do too. Everyone. Yeah, and I think he could be a really really good heel, uh, veteran heel on NXT on Tuesday night. Something they probably need. The match wouldn't be that great, but I wouldn't mind seeing him in Braun. You know what I mean? Like no, it wouldn't be no, a fantastic absolutely. match, but it would hey, be a good. Let's not forget. And let's not forget, gender used to be the the world champion. He was the right? WWE world champion. He beat Randy Orton. You know, like he did. He, he did. A lot of people didn't like it, but I did. And then he had the run as the U.S. champ for a while, too. Sure did. Um, so I, I thought that was 
uh, a good use of gender. I thought it was funny that Pretty Deadly, um, you know, had the uh, the gauntlet match themselves. They were going to have to beat yeah. a couple a couple top tag teams. So the first team they come out. <laughs> Comes out to the rockers music, and it's just a couple oh, of And it was funny. Booker T was like, "Hey, I was trying to book these guys on reality." <laughs> it was funny. I, I do like some of Booker's stuff. I hate. It's getting annoying. No, no majority of it I do. Majority this was it, funny. It is kind of funny that he likes Pretty Deadly so much. Yeah, I just don't know why. It's just one of those things that I kind of I think it's kind of funny. So, um, pretty deadly ends up winning there. They beat Anofe and Malik Blade, but then it was going to be our guys Bru- uh, Brooks and Briggs, and they get attacked by Gallus. So Mark Co- Coffee and Wolfgang return. They end up picking the win, picking up the win, and they are going to face the New Day uh, coming up. So, just a fun way for the New Day to get involved yeah. with all these different tag teams. I think it's a good use of the New Day. Really good. It, 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 it's it's it, and you got kudos to these guys that are on the main roster and have been, you know, Kofi Kingston, uh, you know, Kofi Mania. We remember all that. And these guys not letting superstardom get to their heads. You know, I I'm not saying not anyone would ex, you know would fight this and go go down on on Tuesday nights, but you know, I I don't look at it this way. They're on the USA Network for two hours. Um, I, I just think it's really good use of the main roster, and it's hard to do. It, it just just worked for everybody, and I think they picked the the correct people to go down on Tuesday nights and work series with this because you know we've seen Dolph do it, uh, we've seen Natalia come down and do it on the women's side. We've seen a lot of good people do it. I love the fact that the New Day came down and won the championship, and now they'll they'll eventually give it back to someone else. But it's it's fun. It, it's really really fun. I just hope Xavier's healthy enough for this match to happen. Coop, you and I, uh, one of our favorites, Tiffany Stratton. She was back. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. She was in all of her pink attire. And, and something looked a little different on her. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. She looked a little different. Yeah. A little bigger here. Uh, <sighs> she talked about how her the biggest superstar is back. That um, 2023, it's going to be her year. And... She's a star. I think she will be a very good choice for Roxanne at some point. Yeah. But right now, yes. bring her back. Let her win a little bit. Um, I think it was a good. It was good not to have her in that battle royal unless you wanted her to win. Yeah, and if she's going to win, she needs to win the title. Don't just bring her back for this and then boom, she's done. Right. So, mm-hmm. uh, interesting choice the way they go with uh, with that battle royal. But I am so glad that Tiffany Stratton's back. Number one because she we've watched her. Well, she was very very green first time being a professional wrestler, and you get to see them get better each and every week. And she's been the one that's really really improved, and she's got a strong character. The NXT Championship match was in the middle of the show, so you probably felt like something was going to be I don't know weird or yeah. it's not clean about it. And that was the case. We had Braun Breaker versus Grayson Waller. And didn't like it. They Braun hits like a tilt a whirl slam and Waller kind of spears him into the turnbuckle, turnbuckle. And then the middle turnbuckle and the ropes break. So Braun ends up winning by count out. It, the match was fine. It was starting to pick up a little bit. They went to like a different kind of ending. We've seen this before. Kind of funny. There was actually a match. 
where the Rockers faced the Hart Foundation that they taped <laughs> on Saturday night's main event years ago in like 1990. And the Rockers won the tag team titles on that show. But the ring broke just like this. And they had to work the mat, a lot of the match, without half of the ring ropes. And oh, wow. so because the match was taped, once they watched it back after, they scrapped it. And they never let the Rockers win the tag team titles. They actually oh. never ended up winning that. They like they changed the booking of it afterwards, but it's kind of a, a cool thing in history. Um, yeah, that is because uh, I think Saturday the Night's... rope broke twice in this match. I think yeah, it broke again. And so Braun wins by countout. What they do at the end of the what's funny is this was on Tuesday night when all of the rumors were coming out about WWE <laughs> being sold. Yeah, and then right after this, Shawn Michaels said he was going to make a big announcement at the end of the night, and everyone's like, "Oh my gosh! Oh no!" And the announcement <laughs> here was it that. comes. Was that we're going to have a rematch between these two guys at Vengeance Day in a cage match. So I th- I'm i kind of feeling all along now, like, I thought I wouldn't have been shocked if Grayson would have won about a week or two ago. Now I'm feeling like the way they're setting up this Vengeance Day pay-per-view, it just kind of feels like the in-between. Yeah, and I, I think they're going to have their biggest matches primed for stand and deliver like i think that's where we get braun versus carmelo that's stand okay. and deliver sure i think that's sure. where we I get agree with that roxanne versus cora again probably okay that's stand and okay. deliver um and so i think that's why they probably have i don't want to say lesser opponents but that's probably why they're giving waller another rematch and even with the women who the women's battle royal closes out our show and we actually have toxic attraction cora uh, we have uh, J.C. Jane and G.G. Dolan as your co-winners of the Battle Royal. I thought the Battle Royal was actually pretty fun. Um, for the most part, we have Lyra Valky- uh, Valkyria who throws out Cora Jade right off the bat. Yeah, first five seconds. <laughs> um, so I I did like that because now nobody had to worry about a Cora yes. Jade Roxanne match. Good again. booking. Good right? booking there. And you you were able to get Cora involved in her next feud. With Lyra, who they feel you could tell they're pretty high on because she was one of the final entrants. Cora Jade came out twice to try to throw her out and then finally <laughs> eliminated her the uh, the third time. Um, Kiana James eliminates Tatum Paxley. Um, Lash Legend tosses Amari Miller out. Saul freaking Ruka. She does a handstand on the floor, walks on her hands, like pulls her legs into the ring, hooks the like the ring ropes, and then does a sit up. That was one of the most impressive things I've seen. Like we've seen Kofi do spots. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this was Very, just. She's she's legit, right? She is absolutely legit, and it looks like her and Alba Fire are going to have a, a little bit of a feud because there was a promo before, and then Alba ends up eliminating her. We get uh, Kiana James eliminated. Zoe Stark tosses out Danny Palmer. Um, then we have uh, JC and Gigi tossing out Indy. Then Nikita tosses out Electra. Wendy Chu gets thrown out by Zoe Stark. She lands on a pillow. <laughs> so then they pull <laughs> they pull the pillow up and eliminate her. Um, Stark gets tossed out, or Stark throws out Nikita, and then Saul Ruka tosses out Stark. 
So fans were really starting to get behind Saul here, uh, but then she gets eliminated by Alba Fire. We're down to JC Jane, Gigi Dolan, Alba, and Valkyria. And we have uh, Alba get tossed. So we're down to the three. And they actually eliminate Valkyria uh, with the help of Cora Jade, who comes down again. So we're left with JC Jane and Gigi Dolan, the two of them. They kind of celebrate like they're going to, you know, be co winners. And then they turn on each other, they start to go at it. They're up on the top turnbuckle and they're fighting and they're punching and they both fall off. I will say, I thought they they timed the spot really well. I thought it oh, looked, it was, yeah, it, it looked it was, good. yeah, it was like as close as you could. That's hard to do. Having you know? look like both women hit at the same time, and now this is this is a good way for Roxanne to like have a match against these two. They can kind of lean into. The storyline where Roxanne had beat Mandy, and this will have a way for these two to kind of feud with each other afterwards. Because I'd imagine we'll get the two of them team up for a lot of the match against Roxanne, and then they turn on each other and they start to fight, and then it'll probably lead to a JC versus GG match at some point. And this is good for them. They need to be elevated a little bit, put up in the spotlight, and I think they're they're obviously. Gals that WWE likes and has big plans for, so they can put her, they can put them both in a title match here with Roxanne, and I'm sure they won't win. And then moving forward, they can turn them against each other. They can move them up. If you want to bring Mandy back, if you have any intentions on that, I don't mind this. I think it's fine. I think it's if you're not going to, I'd, I'd rather not pick someone like a Nikita to win and then just lose. Right, like right. I, I think it's easier for someone like a G, uh, J, uh, JC and Gigi to lose this match and it not hurt them. Yeah, and the same with like as we mentioned, Tiffany Stratton. If if you're going to win these type of matches with those type of stars, they need to be the champion, and it, it's not going to happen right right away. I, I thought it was cleverly done. Um, triple threats are always safe, as you said. They they could team up on Roxanne. They're going to. Um, but then they're, you know, they'll team up on each other and Roxanne will watch them fight. It'll be, it'll be a fun triple threat match. Something we, we haven't seen in a while with WWE NXT. Um, you know, they were at a crossroads when Mandy got fired and lost the title. They were kind of the, the odd people out. And I was curious to see what was going to happen with them. And, Hey, they elevated them real quickly. So they, like you said, I think they, they feel very highly of them. And, uh, you know, after a couple of interesting kind of taped NXT weeks, they're back to being really, really on their game again. I thought it was a solid episode on Tuesday night. Just a few other uh, little quick things. We had Charlie Dempsey pick up the win against Hank Walker. Just a shorter good match. match. Yeah, yeah it was good, good, good short. short match between those two. And we're going to get Axiom and Apollo Crews next week against Carmelo and Trick Williams. They had a little backstage uh, that uh, that set that up. And then we had a couple more packages. Coop, we ended up getting a look at Tyler Bate, who's going to be making his return. And he said he's going to be coming to NXT for good. We had NXT Anonymous filming in the <laughs> background. Um, and then we had one more. Video package for Stevie Turner from NXT UK. She's okay, basically she's a streamer. Yeah. Yep. She uh, was showing like, um, you know, all of her content that she puts together. So some new faces coming in soon to NXT. This was a, a very crazy wrestling week with so much weird buzz out there. 
But like always, if there's anything important that happens, we'll have to throw out the bat signal for Chad Cooper and do a, like an emergency podcast where we'll talk oh, about yeah, everything we always, if it's we super serious. Here, brother. <laughs> now, Coop, as we finish up, NFL playoffs are this weekend. Did you take yeah. a look? Is there anything on your mind this weekend heading into the playoffs? You know, interesting here. Um, you look at the uh, third time Seattle's playing San Francisco. San Francisco has covered both in that game. Uh, a lot of people concerned about the rookie quarterback here, Purdy, uh, in his first start in the playoffs. I know the rain may be a factor here. I would think San Francisco is good enough. I know that's a high spread, nine or nine and a half. Uh, I, I would lean toward the under here. But my official play, I'm going to go in the over here on the NFC side, the Giants and Minnesota. I think these two teams can score points. They did, I think, earlier in the year, maybe November, December. It's a 27-24 win. Um, the sharps, uh, those damn books, they got it right here. The, the, the totals right at 47 and a half, 48. I like the over here indoors. I think a lot of points are going to be put up. The giants have been impressive what they've been able to do in one year under this uh, new coach. As long as Daniel Jones, uh, doesn't poop his pants. <laughs> I think that we'll have some points here. I'm going to go the over here. I'm okay with it at 48. Um, so I'm going to go the over here, the giants and Vikings on your wild card weekend. I agree. I think both of these teams have like sneaky bad defenses. Oh yeah, really yeah. bad. And I think that makes for an, an entertaining playoff game too if they can score some points. Absolutely. I I, I like the dog in this game too. I think the Giants oh, are yeah. really feisty in here. I think the Giants can win straight up. Yep. Let's let's get the Giants home and let's get for lots of points do in it. that one let's in the it, NFC. Loop, my man. Thanks so much for hanging out with us again. Make sure to give Chad a follow at the Chad Cooper. We'll have a lot of fun leading into the Royal Rumble the next couple weeks. Follow Chad on Twitter and on Instagram. Go have fun hanging out with all those dirty dogs. I know you're uh, <laughs> always partying with the big celebs in Vegas and all mm. over the place. And uh, we love you, brother. Thanks so much for all the help. Appreciate it. You have a great Here's weekend. Yeah, let's bring the Giants home, brother. Let's do it. Chad Cooper at the Chad Cooper. Make sure to give him a follow and check him out every week right here on That's What G Said. So you want to set the mood. You're looking for something all natural. Soy wax. Non-toxic, baby. Scents for every season. Now don't be afraid, baby. Just spell it out. And don't forget, promo code Gino gets you 10% off. Mm -mm. SarahCandles.com, C-E-R-A, Candles.com. These are all natural soy wax candles. These are great gifts for anyone, any time of the year, any season, all different scents, all different flavors. If you're someone who likes candles and you're burning candles around the house all the time, you have to try these candles because they're natural, no toxins, no carcinogens, no pollutants, and the soy wax actually burns longer for you, so you won't have to spend as much or buy the candles as often, and when you use the promo code G-I-N-O, it'll get you 10% off your purchase. SarahCandles.com, C-E-R-A, candles.com let's finish up with the old wrestling rewatch it is a royal rumble season so andrew champagne joins me to talk about an old royal rumble the 1997 royal rumble in the alamo dome where this year's royal rumble will also be in 2023 this was a fun one the show a lot of the early part of the show is bad like the undercard is bad but the rumble once austin comes in at number five 
is fun. And then Brett comes in uh, at number 21 and things really pick up for that final third of the match with some heavy hitters, some Hall of Famers, like a who's who. It's a strong rumble towards the end. It's fun. It's creative. It's a little bit different. And then we finish off with Shawn Michaels and Sid in the main event. Andrew Champagne joins me. We also react to some of the news that WWE could be getting sold in the middle. So it's kind of a fun, uh, oh my gosh, there's breaking news we're reacting to as this goes on. It's the old wrestling rewatch. Oh yeah. Old wrestling rewatch with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. <laughs> Well, it's the month of January. It is Royal Rumble season, so we had to go back in time and talk about one of the old Royal Rumbles and dive in, recap, and uh, give you the old wrestling rewatch treatment. We've discussed a few Rumbles through the years, but for this episode, Andrew Champagne joins me to talk about the 1997 Royal Rumble. Andrew, buddy, this is a, a fun Time and a fun era in WWF, which is now WWE, because this is right when things are starting to turn. You could see the roster here is actually a pretty good roster. When we get into the end of the Royal Rumble, there is some top tier talent, and they're all about a year or two away from really, really finding their footing. Um, some of them are are there, um, but the mo the bulk of this show early on isn't very good. Till you kind of hit the Stone Cold Steve Austin coming out, and then especially when Bret Hart comes out in the Rumble, then the last part of the show is good. But a lot of uh, kind of fluff and filler early on till we get to the meat and potatoes late. This is one of those things that you remember when you go back and rewatch a lot of these shows. Even when WWF was scorching hot in the late 1990s, and everyone would pop for Steve Austin coming out, giving a couple of stunners, drinking some beers, sending the crowd home happy. And like they wanted to come back the next time WWF was in town, you had to sift through a lot of shit to get to that point, Gino. There were you a did. couple of matches on the undercard of this show that we'll talk about. The opener, I will say, would have been a fine 10-minute match they went almost double that. I know, and they, so because of that, they ended up. It ended up being really just slow paced yep, throughout. That's for sure, and, and it was yeah, worse. Yeah. We, we and we know that both of those guys can and will give us much better than they gave us. There, it's almost yep. like you're wondering, and you're wor- there. You're wondering if they were worried about. Damn, we got to go 16 minutes and then show up in the rumble a little later too. Like they were really trying to pace themselves. Yep, that's for sure. Now, you get a couple of matches other than that as well before the Rumble. We get Ahmed Johnson, and we're going to talk about him because, look, this guy, if you look up unsafe worker in the dictionary, there's him and there's Ryback and there's Goldberg. Pictures right there for you. But big butt coming for about five minutes in 1996 and 1997, you can argue he was a number two or number three babyface who had a look. You could see why Vince was high on him. We get a Vader Undertaker match that was better than I remember it being. Still no great shakes. Then we get to the Rumble. And the Rumble itself, I thought, was fun. But there were several logical problems that we'll talk about as we go through 
and you can tell that they were still sort of trying to figure out how they were going to go forward. They sort of had a plan for a couple of guys for everybody else. They were waiting for them to get it or find the thing that made them the best versions of themselves. And then we get a main event with a couple of out of the ring stories behind it. And then you get the fact that WrestleMania 13's main event featured neither the winner of the Royal Rumble or the WWF champion at the end of the Royal Rumble, which we're going to have a lot of fun talking about. This year, from January of 97 to WrestleMania of 97, had as many moving pieces as you'll ever find in a year of WWF or WWE history. Initially, at this moment, Bret Hart had just returned a couple months ago. He had been gone for about seven or eight months from WrestleMania to Survivor Series, and he had returned. He signed that long-term contract. There was even some scuttlebutt about him possibly going to WCW, but he came to WWF, and he was going to be back for life. He had that really good match at Survivor Series against Stone Cold Steve Austin, who was starting to rise as one of the main heels in the company. And the long-term plan was for Brett to beat Sean at WrestleMania and then for them to have a third and final match either a year later or two years later that would culminate with Sean winning at the the third and final one and and Brett kind of putting him over as the next guy. So that was the plan here. Brett was actually supposed to win this Royal Rumble. And believe it or not, if, if this is rumor or true, or whatever any of you that are listening want to believe, but the the word that I heard and in reading and listening to some podcast was that Brett was supposed to win and that prior to the Rumble, they did the the show that was called Livewire that Vince Russo was on. And Vince Russo, who knew that Brett was supposed to win the Rumble, made a prediction and said he thought Brett was going to win the Royal Rumble. And that pissed off Vince McMahon so much that he thought that people might think it for whatever reason. Vince decided that he was going to pull a big swerve And make a change Austin's going to win the Royal Rumble And they were going to end up getting to Brett Which they they sort of did At the next month's pay-per-view They ended up having that final four match That was supposed to be a, a match for the number one contender Kind of a redo of the final four of the Royal Rumble But instead, as you were kind of uh, alluding to, Andrew Shawn Michaels will lose his smile Not long after Winning the title back So this title goes from Sid at the Rumble To Sean who wins it Then Sean gets stripped Or you know gives the title up It's then held up for four guys At a pay-per-view Brett wins the title Loses it the next night to Sid And then Sid and Undertaker Wrestle for the title at Wrestlemania Undertaker wins it there (laughs) You know I gotta tell you isn't it a really good thing that Vince McMahon isn't involved with WWE anymore? anymore? I mean, surely there's no way he can come back from the things that felled him in 2022. No. Oh, crap. No. Oh, crap. Oh, crap. Panic. No. Panic. Ruh-roh. As, uh, we'll have a lot of fun stuff to talk about for the 97 Royal Rumble. Now, because this Royal Rumble was in the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Positive, negative, for whatever reason They ended up using a lot of 
workers that were local or AAA workers, workers from Mexico that might have been known to some of the local crowd, but were not really known to the mainstream WWF audience at the time. There were three dark matches that had, um, you know, some luchadors, and then we actually had a six-man tag on the show that just kind of felt out of place. It just really felt like they needed, you know, ten or eleven minutes to kill before setting up for the rumble, and it just. We'll, we'll talk about it briefly, but it just it did, didn't connect very much. Let's get into the 97 Royal Rumble. So this is the 10th Rumble event at the time in 97, and things are about to get good. And, and a lot of it is because of this one guy, Stone Cold Steve Austin, who's going to be standing tall and end up winning this Royal Rumble. We have a, a, the announced team of Vince McMahon, JR, Jerry the King, which I actually thought they did a pretty good job, and there were Jr. and and King had had some good lines that I'll write down, and I did I did kind of like the shtick of Jr. of uh the King getting into the Rumble and then not remembering that he was in there and continuing to point out like if I get in this Rumble or next year, and they're like King, you idiot, you were in this Rumble two seconds ago. It was kind of silly, but um, I thought they they all did a pretty good job. And this is towards the end of Todd Pettengill, who they've brought back recently to have uh, some fun nostalgia in some of the NXT in your house stuff. Lots of pyro to open the show, and we get the video package focused on Shawn Michaels and his return to San Antonio, coming home, and story about Shawn, how he's growing up, and how he showed compassion for Jose Lothario and, and cared more about him than the title. And the announced team welcomes us. We also get a Spanish and a French announced team, and then we uh, get ready for the opening match on the card. It is Goldust and versus Hunter Hearst Elmsley. Triple H is the Intercontinental Champion at the time. He has Mr. Hughes, Mr. Hughes, who we actually talked about not that long ago on one of the uh, WCW shows. Remember when he was uh, really early on as a young rook there, Andrew? And that was it a six man tag? I think we were talking before about before he lost interest. Yes, and mm-hmm. we're going to talk. He was about wrestling well and, he, and tough. Yeah. But we're going to talk about many times how he had no interest in doing anything in this particular match as this match goes on. Standing there and this match was 16, almost 17 minutes. And honestly, I was just expecting so much more from it. We, you know, mentioned in the, uh, the, the show open that these are two pretty good workers. Like whether or not you like Triple H, he went on to be. An above average worker and definitely someone who always showed up for big matches. You know, maybe you don't love his style. It goes on a little too long. And you can kind of get get little feels of that in this match already. But you know, for the most part, uh, Goldust and uh, still a good worker. He had some issues and he kind of had some spurts in his career where maybe he was a little out of shape or dealing with stuff outside the ring. But yeah, I just... I expected a little bit more out of this one. Goldust was a babyface at the time. This was just a few weeks, I think, before China debuts um, next to Triple H. And and Mr. Hughes was only here with her very, very briefly. Um, early on in this match, Goldust attacks in the aisle. He tosses Triple H in the ring, and then they're back outside of the ring. And what was bizarre about this match is, like, Goldust is just beating the crap out of him with the steps. And right in front of the referee. And he doesn't do anything. And JR points out, he's like, well, this is not very smart from Goldust. <laughs> he's like, he's trying to win the IC title. 
He could get disqualified right now. And all throughout the show, JR and Vince, Vince sounded like he was kind of pissed off that that Earl was letting a lot of stuff go. They wouldn't even call him Earl. They kept saying, this referee is just really letting everything go here. Like, uh, <laughs> he sounded like he was kind of mad. It was it's funny just knowing that Vince is in charge of him and hearing him like, what the hell is he letting go? Why is this happening? But, you know, it's not like the match was bad. It, it was just slow. It was just plotting. And for an opener, the crowd was pretty dead. Uh, we get Goldust locking in the figure four and Triple H is kind of selling it. He's working on the leg at one point. He's a gold dust is really um steps, you know, steps focusing on the left leg. And we get a running shoulder tackle, again, focusing on the leg, working on it. So he's it's like it's checking a box, right? He's focusing on a body part, he's doing what he's supposed to. It's just at such a slow pace. The crowd isn't really into it. It just never gets out of that first gear. Um, Todd Pettengill talks to singer Colin Ray in the crowd who there's a little corny song uh, line. He changes some of the lyrics from his song. We get back to the match. And, you know, Triple H is selling the knee. The referee gets bumped into the ropes. And Goldust ends up getting chopped, uh, crotched on the um, on the ropes. Again, there's just nothing much to this. It's It's pretty basic. Then at the end, we start to get the involvement from everyone else. Mr. Hughes throws in the IC title. Marlena goes on the apron. And she tries to get involved. Mr. Hughes distracts the referee. So then Triple H gives Marlena a big smooch. Um, Goldust gets mad. He goes after Triple H. And he hits him with the IC title. Then Mr. Hughes gets involved. I guess he he pulls Hunter he out of the He woke up. He, for a moment. Um, Goldust gets Marlena's cigar. And kind of pushes it into Mr. Hughes's face. And while he's doing that, Triple H... Um, you know, takes advantage from the d- distraction, and he hits a clothesline, and then the pedigree. There's a lot going on at the end. It's just I kn- we know these guys can do a lot better, and at their peak together, they've had better matches here before and after this. And damn, you know, Triple H, a one-on-one match between these two guys in you know two or maybe 2002. When Goldust kind of comes back and he's doing stuff with Booker around that time and he's kind of it, you know, it would be pretty good. I, I would like to see that. This one just disappointing for me. Yeah, disappointing is a good word. And as I mentioned, if this was a 10 minute match with a lot of the filler taken out of it, I think it's a much better match. It's not Absolutely. perfect, but it's a good solid opener. They tell an okay story to start. You get Goldust concentrating on the leg. You get a couple of nice spots right off the rip. Triple H takes a nice bump over the top on a monkey flip. Goldust beats on Triple H with the stairs. Immediately you're thinking, "Okay, there's got to be something going on here. Where's the what ref whatever? Mr. Hughes does nothing." Couple minutes later, Goldust clips the knee outside the ring right in front of Mr. Hughes. It's like, what is he there for? Yes, Mr. Hughes does absolutely nothing. And in the meantime, while all of this nonsense is going on outside the ring, Triple H gets the upper hand, grabs Goldust's director's chair, and it's at that point the referee decides to get involved and take the foreign object away. It made absolutely no sense. And that gets to the Marlena stuff, which, my goodness, were, let's see, this was 1997. 
we're looking at 26 years later. That's an uncomfortable watch because you get Triple H, who now is an executive within WWE, forcing himself onto a woman. Goldust making the big rally. And then after the match, I understand Lawler is supposed to be the heel. He's going to get his comeuppance later on in the evening, whatever. But he starts talking about how because of the result of the match, Marlena now belongs to Triple H. It's just queasy. And so much of this should have been so much better than it was. Not a good start. (laughs) That's just one thing, too, when you look back on how baby faces and heels would do the kiss maneuver. You know, is it didn't really matter as long as if you if you were a baby face and you kissed a heel girl, it was fine. Right? It was like, "Ooh, good job, baby face." Like a if like a rowdy Roddy Piper as a baby face went after a Sherry or something like that, the crowd would pop for it. It wouldn't nothing. And then the same thing here. It's like it's bizarre how that was a, like an okay thing or you know the heel goes after this at least makes a little more sense cuz it's a heel going after but like you said nowadays with time and with cringy and knowing that these people were together in real life that always rubs me the wrong way too when like it's a, it's a real life couple you know it's like do you really need to do that well, like that kiss was so necessary as part of this right you could have tried to get a little physical with her and then had gold dust come in. Like, that's fine. We've seen how many times throughout someone tried to do it. The girl gets knocked down or pushed down or something. That's fine. Like, you don't have to stick your tongue in her mouth. It's just, I know, it doesn't hold up all that well. As we move along to some promos, we had a promo from Bret Hart and then from Mankind talking about the Royal Rumble. I love this. I always want to hear from as many people as possible before the Royal Rumble. 30 seconds, one minute, doesn't have to be more than that for each one of them. Just let them, in their own words, tell me why they win the Roy- want to win the Rumble, why we believe that they have, they have a shot. I, yep. s- some of my favorite promos ever, Andrew, are like the Royal Rumble promos from the early 90s. Yep, that's for sure. Not ever going to have a problem with anything like this. It's pre-taped. If you need to do multiple takes, you can do multiple takes. Nothing overly complicated, just, hey... Guy X is going to be in the Rumble. Here's more from him now. And then you wind up doing that sort of thing. That stuff works. It always has worked. It always will work. We get to our next match. Ahmed Johnson against Farouk. And as you had pointed out, Andrew, Ahmed Johnson, from 1996 on, he looked like he was being set up to be the next guy. One of the top guys in the company. If you would have had... And Ahmed Johnson at this point against like a heel Shawn Michaels as a challenger for the title, it would not have felt out of place at all. It, he wouldn't have felt weird in that spot. He probably wasn't ready to win, but the crowd believed in him. But this guy was just not good in the ring. And honestly, he didn't cut promos well either. He had a good look and kind of a good presence to him. But again, Sometimes crowds just get behind someone. He did look very imposing and super athletic. And from 96 on to this point, he's very, very over. He comes in in like mid-95 or so. And even in Survivor Series at 95, you could tell they were already starting to like him. Um, 96. Throughout early 96, he has, you know, pretty good part of the year. And then he wins the IC championship. 
they you know are really starting to push him like a top tier guy and then he has a kidney problem so he's out for a little while he has this feud with Farouk and the Nation of Domination that feels just like it goes on forever and I think that honestly it was something that was a positive for him because I remember some nights him running out on Monday Night Raw with a 2 by 4 and some cool moments but then it just it felt like it never ended he ends up joining the nation there he just he never got the real like baby face comeuppance that you're supposed to get at some point andrew well some of that you can attest to some real life stuff that happened mm-hmm. in 1996 in yep. the first half of 96 he's the guy that ends goldust's intercontinental title reign after several months goldust had that title for quite a while Ahmed Johnson winds up beating him for that title. He's earmarked for some really big things. And then around the time he's supposed to do the feud with Farouk, he suffers from kidney issues that darn near killed him. Legitimately scary health stuff. And he had to take about four months off during the time when he was supposed to be feuding with Farouk and you could tell they brought him in in part because Farouk as Ron Simmons was a very good worker in WCW as we've seen a bunch of his matches, but also Ahmed Johnson needed a foil and he would have been a perfect foil for him. They bring Farouk in Ahmed Johnson goes to the sidelines. He comes back here. They would wind up having a Chicago street fight at WrestleMania a couple of months after this. And who does Ahmed Johnson get at his partners? Uh, Some guys with shoulder pads and Mm -hmm. spikes and weird face paint that were so insanely over, they named a pop after them. (laughs) WWF had big plans for Ahmed Johnson. They did. I I think even before he got hurt, there, there was a point where he wins a battle royal and he's supposed to be the number one contender. For the yep. WWF championship And then that was when the kidney stuff ends up happening So while he's the IC champ I think at that point It was supposed to be Vader winning I think And then they made the change because Shawn Michaels Didn't want to keep working with Vader And yep. um, and they flipped it there And I think it was supposed to be Vader winning And then him having a match against Ahmed Johnson Or kind of a feud with him for a little while following that But yeah, this guy Who was We see this in you know, in sports all the time, in wrestling, you I always try to point out, when someone's over, you kind of want to go with them because you just never know what could happen. A guy like this in 96, right. they're probably thinking, oh, we'll have plenty of opportunities to give this guy a push here and there. And then all of a sudden, he gets hurt. And now you have Austin that comes in. You have The Rock that comes in. You have Mick Foley who starts to rise. And The Undertaker's there. And now all of a sudden, you've got this top-tier talent. And this guy can never quite... Get healthy and honestly He wasn't going to stand out with those talented Guys anymore because he wasn't as good in the ring And and as good in the mic and just didn't have The it factor like they did No not at all whatsoever Now he's a guy that Would have worked far better in the pre-attitude Era and remember the attitude Era had not really started yet That would not come until late 97 And look You watch him back you hear his Promos He had a decent catchphrase. He'd get the crowd chanting, you're going down. That's fine. The rest of his promos were almost unintelligible. And as far as ring work went, not a lot going for him. He had a cool looking finisher, 
But as he kept going, stuff just kept getting quicker and quicker and quicker. And that's how people get hurt. He mm-hmm. had the Pearl River plunge, that butterfly power bomb, which is cool. You're right. It's a cool yeah. finisher. It's a very cool finisher until you drop somebody on their head or neck. Or um, even what he does here after the match, he goes and he puts one guy through a table. But you could tell this is still early on when they hadn't been putting a lot of people through tables. He doesn't clear it off at all. So he no. puts the dude through the table right on top of the monitors and stuff. It's like, oh, what a brutal bump for like a not someone who wasn't even like an, an everyday worker. And we're talking a lot more about Ahmed Johnson overall than this match because honestly, this is just a really basic match. There's so little to it. Just like punches. It's not good. Kicks. It's not good. It's at not. All. No, it's just not good. Punches, kicks. I mean, and and they don't look good or aggressive. It's so slow paced. Chin lock here, and that's going for like minutes. Um, Ahmed gets Farouk up on the shoulders and then uh, drops him down, and Farouk goes up to the top rope. Ahmed kind of catches him for a power slam, tosses him into the ropes. Farouk hits a spine buster, and then Ahmed pops up, and Farouk's kind of trash talking the fans. And Ahmed comes from behind, he hits his own spine buster, then Crush jumps in the ring. And while Ahmed is focused on him, the other guys from the Nation of Domination come in, and it ends up being a DQ. And I mean, that's that's it. It's just really basic. After the match, there's still a whole lot going on. Ahmed gets a couple of the uh, the Nation guys and tosses one of them through the table. It's just it's it's not good, Andrew. <laughs> it's not. No, and Farouk would have many good matches over the course Mm -hmm. of his WWF, WWE tenure, and the nation would wind up doing some really cool stuff. Remember, what wound up launching The Rock as a heel was the work he did as part of the Nation of Domination when he and Farouk wound up squaring off over who the leader of the Nation of Domination Mm -hmm. was, and then you wind up putting Farouk with Bradshaw as the APA. He'd do a lot of good stuff. But this is a styles clash of epic proportions, and it just wasn't a good fit for either guy. And as bad as this was, Gino, the Ahmed Johnson NOD feud would get worse later in the night in two spots. I know. And we went back to the locker room. Terry Funk cut a promo talking about how he was ready to rumble. And then Farouk was interviewed backstage. This was one of them. Yeah, and he was upset with some of his entourage for not taking the the hits for him, including one woman that he brought up in front as, uh, yeah, didn't didn't come off great. He called Ahmed Johnson an Uncle Tom. And I know, and Farouk did get, like, way too much with that. Um, Some of the nation stuff was good. Um, some of it when you know when they would come out together, I thought would have real impact. A lot of this stuff with Ahmed, it just dragged on way. Yeah, way. this version of the NOD is not where it got going. No. It got going when Farouk got D'Lo Brown in there, when he got the Mark Godfather Henry in and there, the Rock, Mark Henry yeah. and the Rock. Yes, yep. this was the primitive nation of domination, the beta version, if you will. And mm-hmm. there have been interviews where Ron Simmons talks about, look. I never saw the nation of domination as, you know, this black supremacy group that everyone else saw it as. Then why were you calling Ahmed Johnson and uncle Tom? I know. 
it's a little bit inconsistent there. It is. Now, mind you, if Ron Simmons ever confronts me about that, I will look him dead in the eye and say, sir, you are a wonderful human being and an excellent worker. Please don't kill me because Ron Simmons is terrifying. And then after he does, I'm just going to go, damn, Well, then he's going to kill you, too, because (laughs) you'd have stolen his catchphrase. I'm a little bigger than you are. I just go down very, very hard. You're you're sort of lanky. He would just throw you into a wall. I was going to say. With Rey Mysterio, the lawn dart incident. Very, very similar to that. I would break right in half as uh, we head to Vader versus The Undertaker. So Vader enters... Without Jim Cornette, which is notable because Jim Cornette had been by his side up until this point. Now, again, the initial plans, Vader would have been the champion at this time, defending against Shawn Michaels, and Shawn would have been winning it back from him. But Shawn didn't like working with Vader, so he asked if the plans could be changed. And by asked, I mean Shawn Said that the plans were going to be changed He put Sid instead in the mix Someone who he liked working with more And who he was a friend of So we have Vader Versus The Undertaker here In still a high profile match These two would also be in the Royal Rumble a little later on The Undertaker is a baby face And Andrew as you and I were uh, kind of talking about Early on we were texting uh, about this show I didn't think this particular match Was fantastic But what I will say is that 1997 was a very good year for The Undertaker as far as ring work. And you can even see it in this match. I didn't love the match. I didn't think it like flowed all that well. But he he is he's got a, a pep in his step and a bounce that he didn't have probably up until about 95. He was working with a lot of bad dance partners. And then this year, he actually gets the chance to work with Vader, who's a, a pretty good big man He's working with Sean, he's working With Brett, he's working with Guys that can actually go and For a lot of the year Mick Foley, he does a lot of stuff with too And you can see he was not The dead man anymore That had to kind of Slowly walk around like a zombie He could actually put his Working boots on, and again, I don't Think this is a fantastic match or anything But you could see glimpses of it from him and you would see it all throughout 97. Yeah, you hit it, I think, pretty well. This match wasn't anything great, but it was far better than either of the first two matches were. And Taker's got his working boots on. He takes a couple of pretty big bumps that he doesn't have to take. He winds up going on a double axe handle from the apron down to the floor. He winds up going old school and getting crotched on the top rope. I can't imagine that's a pleasant bump to take. And then towards the end of the match, when he does a charge into Vader towards the guardrail, he winds up going full speed into the guardrail. He did not have to do that. Even in 97, this guy had enough clout to where if he didn't want to do stuff like that, he didn't have to. But despite a lot of the bells and whistles of this match, I I still enjoyed it far more than I remembered. Not crazy about the distraction finish. I mean, look, We've got three matches so far in this show, and we've had three screwy finishes. That's not exactly something that and they're all you similar. Make a habit of doing. Yeah, they're like similar type of finishes to. Um, the match wasn't very fast paced, which both of these guys could actually do good, like fast paced brawls because they both could move pretty well for big guys. Drink, Andrew. There you go. Hey, glug 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 glug. But uh, we get the Undertaker, um, who he gets nailed <laughs> nailed down low. At one point 
Um, then he actually hits a belly to back suplex. Um, Vader ends up, uh, or Undertaker, it's a power slam. Then Vader comes back with a power bomb and he sits back up. We, Vader, uh, or Taker ends up, uh, with the jumping clothesline. And here comes Paul Bear walking down the ring. He has the urn. So, you know, some shenanigans are about to come. Undertaker sees him. And he takes out Vader And then he goes over to Paul Bear And he punches Paul And he knocks him down And he rolls Paul Bear into the ring And he's about to go after him um, Vader then gets back in the ring And the the two are going at it Vader ends up getting sent over the top rope to the floor Taker goes to get the steel steps But Paul Bear moves um, Vader gets back involved and that's when Undertaker hits the barricade, the spot that uh, Andrew uh, was mentioning before. So <laughs> what was funny about this is Undertaker's on the on the outside of the ring. Paul Bear is on the apron, and he has the urn. And he jumps off, and it was kind of a funny spot because he hits him, but he kind of slips and falls a little bit. But it, he hit him pretty hard, and um, and then Vader ends up. You know, getting the victory here, Vader bomb splash for the win. But what I laughed about was King says after the match, Paul sacrificed his own body, and quickly Jr. says that's quite a sacrifice. It just <laughs> it just made me laugh. I I played it back like three or four times. Like Jr. was just he had a couple good one liners, and he was real. The timing of it was perfect. So yeah, this match went a little over thirteen minutes. It wasn't fantastic, Andrew, but it was better than the first two. These guys both are pros, so they knew kind of how to hit the right spots. But again, I think what what hurt maybe even all three of these first matches is we had six guys who were all going to come back in the Royal Rumble again. So they might have really been pacing themselves a little bit more knowing that they had to do double duty. I mean, that's possible. You mentioned the fact that AAA had a lot of guys who would wind up working the Royal Rumble, and they would wind up also fielding a six-man match that we'll talk about in just a bit. It's one of those instances where you look and go, gosh, 26 years later, WWE has what seems like 9,000 wrestlers under contract. You're telling me they couldn't pick 30 guys to come in and work the Rumble in 97? It's it's a little bit strange, and in some instances, did we need to see some guys pull double duty? I don't think we needed to see a certain amount of people there, but ultimately, that's what we wind up having to see because WWF was not in the kind of place they're in right now. In fact, this is early 1997. WCW is kicking their ass right now. Absolutely. So that's they're, they're probably the dominant. why we're yeah. Yep. They got the roster. They they've got a lot of the talent that they're overpaying, honestly. And you're right. It what ended up happening, I remember hearing a lot about this show is that like this show got got really papered late because the ticket sales weren't doing fantastic. They were trying to sell a huge into a huge arena at a time when the product wasn't all that hot, you know. But they're they're getting there. And as we get to the rumble and you see that last like third of the rumble. You're going to understand why this company would get really good in the uh, the next two to you know three years or so as we check back in for uh, a couple more promos. Well, after the match, Undertaker was mad. He walked over to Vince McMahon. He first he gave uh, the referee a choke slam. He threw chairs and 
He walked over and said something to Vince Got right up in his face So that's something we would start to see Is the wrestlers getting up in Vince's face And kind of referencing him as you know, Him being a decision maker How can you let this happen? What are you going to do about this? They weren't saying that he was the owner Out and out right yet But they were starting to make it seem like He was more than an than announcer At a lot of the times I, I really liked what we got next Andrew, um, just the style of promo that we got from just kind of different ones. You have Austin walking through backstage and he just real quickly, um, you know, I'm going to win and that's it. And I don't want to talk to you anymore. And that's all I have to say about that. Get the hell out of here. And just, I thought the, the production of it was well done. And then the same thing for the bulldog, like just a different view. It's not everyone sitting there, you know, with the same little background, you have bulldog walking in, they didn't, you know, do anything spectacular here But I just visually you and I are guys That have been in TV and done a lot of me, like Media stuff I like when you just get A little bit creative with it Yep now this promo By the British Bulldog Has <laughs> one of the most Lampooned one liners Of all time In the history of wrestling I'm bizarre. There's, there's no explanation For it other Why? than Bulldog must have he must have lost a bet and, and was had trying to, to pop the boys. into a promo. It's entirely possible, but my goodness, you look back on this and you're going, that's not his gimmick. That's not anything that he's you know, supposed to be doing or that we expect him to do. He's not a comedy guy. No. What's going on here? He, and unfortunately, we can't ask the bulldog that because he's no longer with us. This would be like but, a great podcast story right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he'd be laughing while he was telling it. It would be some joke about him and Owen. You know what I mean? Like we know that he was just trying like an inside joke to pop the boys or something, but it's so he says, I'm gonna win the Royal Rumble because I'm bizarre. Like what? Like it, it, you, you look back and you wonder what's going on there, and it's just one of those things where we've never really gotten an answer that makes a lot of sense. No, no, and um, unfortunately, this next match didn't really make a whole lot of sense in the spot that it was in either. I know they just needed to, to fill, like we said, their roster was a, a bit depleted at the time, and they need ten or fifteen minutes to to fill a, a spot on the card. So they have a six-man lucha match here with Canik, Hector Garza, and Pero Aguayo versus Fuerza Guerrera, Heavy Metal, and Jerry Estrada. And one of the Aguayo was 51 during at the time of this match. And what the issue with this match, one, there's many issues. One, nobody knows these wrestlers. But as we've seen in WWF, WCW, we've seen wrestlers come from Mexico, Japan, all over the place, and win over crowds that didn't know them if they were good workers. That was not the case with this group. Not only were they not known, but they weren't good workers. Like, this just was not a good match, and it went on for almost 11 minutes. So you have a crowd that doesn't know these guys. They're not working well. They're not even in like the they're playing more by like the lucha rules where they're just kind of going in and out and not really tagging or like fall. It's it's just did not connect. The crowd is absolutely dead. You could hear a pin drop there. Yep. It just something that maybe felt better on paper where they go, oh, okay, yeah, it'll be fine. You know, we'll just throw these guys out there for ten minutes and they'll 
You know, the crowd will get a little bit into it, but they did not. So here's the thing with this match. You look at this match on paper, and even if you're not an aficionado of Lucha Libre, some of these names are familiar. Hector Garza worked for WCW for a few years after this, and I take a little bit of an exception to when you were saying that, you know, these guys couldn't really work. In this particular match, they couldn't, they but didn't. when Hector they Garza yes. yeah, when Hector Garza was motivated, he, he could, could go. go. Mm-hmm. Yep. And of course, we know him a little bit better now as the uncle of both Angel Garza and Umberto Carrillo. Fuerza Guerrera is the father of one Juventud Guerrera and Pero Aguayo was a massive star in Mexico. His claim to fame when he was coming up is he was one of the last rivals of the original El Santo. And if you're not familiar with Lucha Libre, if El Santo doesn't, you know, come up with, you know, any sort of a name or any sort of an association, imagine if Hulk Hogan was a good actor. That's pretty much it for Mexican culture right there. (laughs) And imagine, imagine if he was so over and so beloved that he got buried in his mask because it that was, was as um, iconic a figure as you can imagine. Wasn't he in um, the one with, uh, or who I think what they were loosely based in the movie with, uh, uh, with Jack Black with Nacho Libre? I think he's uh, the guy. A, I think it's like intended he, the, the the like the main mask guy in there um, that he wrestles is like I think like supposed to be kind of built off of a. Uh, off of El Santo, yeah, I think it was either El Santo or Mil Mascaras, who we'll talk about in Mil, just a little bit. Absolutely, so but, cool. Uh, yeah. It just, I agree with you. Like, it's not as if these guys throughout their careers couldn't go in this particular match. They just didn't. Right, and, and the big problem with this match when WCW would book these sorts of matches, they would say, "Okay, guys, you have five minutes." Get as much of your shit in as humanly possible. And it would turn into the most entertaining type of car crash imaginable because you'd have these guys going in and out until it was time to go home. The problem is this was 10 minutes. You had Pero Aguayo, who was in his 50s, whose son, the ill-fated El Hijo del Pero Aguayo, was actually on one of the dark matches. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of other guys that were also in their 40s. This was 10 minutes and it was slow, it, just not good. It, no. it, this didn't play to anybody's strengths. This was WWF looking at what WCW was starting to do with those kinds of matches and saying, oh, we should do that. Except they didn't really do it all that well. And no. they would wind up repeating some of those mistakes with the light heavyweight division that they would start not all that long after this because. You had Takami Shinoku, and he was fine, and the matches were fine, but Rey Mysterio, Dean Malenko, he was not. Okay, it's time for the Rumble. Here we go. Here Howard we Finkel, go. it's your time to shine, buddy. Finkel gets his few minutes to come out to announce that we broke the, 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 the announced attendance was 60,000. He thanks them, and then he gets the chance to announce the Rumble rules. Yeah, this is his moment each and every year. This year they did 90-second intervals, which is pretty good. Um, 60 is not good. It's too quick. Two minutes is fine. 90 seconds is fine. Either of those I'm fine with um, when, they choose, uh, when they choose those. First up, it's Crush from the Nation of Domination. He's number one. Keep in mind, at this point, this is the third different version of Crush that we've seen. We've seen Kona Crush. We've seen Evil Crush with Mr. Fuji, and now we've seen Nation of Domination Crush. Number two, 
Ahmed Johnson um, And I can tell you this He's not going to last the whole way Ahmed Johnson <laughs> Ain't going Broadway in there He cannot go 50 plus minutes In the Rumble But Ahmed does have that feud with the Nation of Domination So they were able to Kind of bridge that right over Into the Royal Rumble here Crushing Ahmed going at it for a few uh, Early on Then we get fake Razor Ramon Who came in uh, I think we've talked about them briefly Andrew At this time period when WCW Was kicking WWF's ass Some of the main players from WWF in 96 Left to go over to WCW And started the NWO Kevin Nash and Scott Hall Who were Diesel and Razor Ramon So because WWF owned the rights to those characters They could bring those characters back Played by different people This was sort of a A, a a way to kind of say screw you to those guys who left, but this was something that the fans, we everybody knows these aren't the same guys. Nobody wants their intelligence insulted. You make the announcers sound dumb trying to have to play this off, and it was just a horrible, horrible fail. And you actually felt bad for the guys who had to play the roles of fake Razor and fake Diesel, except for the fact that one of them ends up being a, a, a Hall of Famer and. Ends up being someone who has like a, a 25 year career or so In the uh, in the company So fake Razor Ramon And fake Diesel Are both in here Andrew Here's a fun game In let's see Three and a half years Hall and Nash jumping from WWF to WCW Will be 30 years old Try to explain fake Diesel and fake Razor Ramon yeah. succinctly to say an 18-year-old WWE <laughs> fan and let me know how it goes for you. This was so convoluted and so ridiculously petty and people saw right through what WWF was trying to do. And you felt sorry for uh, Glenn Jacobs, who of course would wind up playing fake Diesel and then later on Kane. But you also felt sorry for Rick Bogner, who had a long career on the independent circuit. Chris Jericho name drops him in a couple of his books because they were coming up at a similar time through the Canadian independent scene and working in Japan and whatnot. He was not a bad worker. This was the gimmick that WWF called him with. When WWF calls at that point, you say, yes, it just did not work out at all whatsoever. And there's only well, no, so look, look at the two guys when you're... Look at the difference between the yeah, two yeah. guys One of the guys, it worked out Great for, because He, when they needed something else In, you know, yeah. what In a few months, they repackaged the guy And yeah. they found a great role For him, and he ends up being Kane And then for some reason, the other guy he, They just didn't have something for him And he ends up being strapped With the well, fake Razor gimmick forever You could put a, a mask on Kane and it, and it didn't really impact him Quite as much it's just a tale of of two Stories right that's for sure And also it makes you wonder Because as far as fake Diesel goes that was not The first loser gimmick for Glenn Jacobs let us not forget Dr. Isaac Yankum Mm -hmm. DDS DDS so we're up to number Three with fake razor Uh, Ahmed eliminates him pretty quickly And then Ahmed sees Farouk walking Down the aisle so he jumps over the top and just eliminates himself. Um, Jerry Lawler says he's an idiot. Yep. Then <laughs> that's exactly right. He yep. is. Um, number four is Phineas Godwin, who uh, comes out 
and he would be Midian later on. So we get a, a nice little Phineas and Cru- uh, Crush match for about 90 seconds. Um, I know Gino, were- I hate to interrupt, but this might take a turn on a dime. I'm on Twitter right now, and there is a reporter for DAZN Wrestling who is claiming that WWE has been sold to Saudi Arabia's public investment fund. Wow. This is crazy. I would not have jumped in if it was not earth-shattering stuff, but if this is true, try to imagine what WWE will look like after the transaction is finished. Wow. So... Yeah, this is news that's coming if out. If that's true, if that is true, you can get the El Generico is all elite graphic ready. So, yeah, we will uh we'll follow that, folks. Developing story. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay, so yeah, this is definitely something that we're going to uh we're going to be revisiting quite a bit over the next few days as we record this on January the 10th and wow. Unbelievable information. We will uh, we'll definitely probably have a podcast in its own about this uh, in the in the coming days. So, Andrew, if we possibly can tangent back to the uh, yeah, let's tangent rumble. back to this because Ooh. it's entirely possible that we might have to solely watch old WWF and WWE <laughs> stuff from this point forward because you know Absolutely. we have standards here. Jeez, <laughs> wow, yeah, this would be really really crazy if uh, if the case so. We're up to the point now where the rumble really starts. And honestly, this felt to me like the part where the show kind of started when Stone Cold comes out at number five. And he just, for one of the first times that I can remember, really like owned a Royal Rumble. I don't, I mean, we we've, we saw it with, with Sean a little bit in 95 and six, and we saw it with Flair in 92, I guess. So that would probably be the first time, you know, I, I would say. But this, this was he he wasn't the guy yet and wow after this match he really felt like this put him right up at the top and austin's going to dominate this match now for a while he goes after phineas phineas um ends up tossing crush out and then austin hits a stunner on phineas and throws him out and so he's all by himself in the ring bart gun comes out at number 6 uh quickly gets rid of bart gun and what was good about the way they booked this match was that there were multiple times throughout the show where Stone Cold was sitting waiting in the ring and one of his former rivals came out right in the middle and Jake the Snake was one. These two were in the finals of the King of the Ring in 96. So Jake is number seven and him and uh, Stone Cold go at it for a few minutes. British Bulldog is number eight. Austin tosses out Jake. And uh, he and Bulldog go at it for a moment We'll get to up to 10 before we kind of check back in again um, Pierroth from Mexican, um, from AAA The Mexican promotion AAA He comes in at number 9 And then number 10 is the Sultan who was Rikishi At the point he was wearing a mask He had the, uh, the boots like the Iron Sheik with the curved toes And Iron Sheik was his manager So we're up to number 10 at this point, Andrew but it picked up with Austin coming in because really, you know, you had Ahmed who was over at the time and now Austin, but through the first 10 or so, there aren't a lot of actual contenders to win this thing. Right. And ultimately that's one of the key characteristics for a good rumble. 
It's not a requirement, but it darn sure helps when you have six, eight, even 10 guys that could plausibly either win or be in the final four. Austin was one of the guys where you could say, yep, I could see him winning. Now, if we go back in the history books, there's a version of revisionist history that's out there where Austin delivers the Austin 316 promo and then instantly becomes a gigantic star. That's not what happened. It took almost two years between that promo and when Austin finally won the title. Some of that was due to the neck injury he suffered in 97 and the effects of that, but it was not an overnight thing. It took quite a while. And this match and the feud that he was in the midst of with Brett were gigantic factors in getting him to the level where he could be that sort of guy. We mentioned Jake Roberts coming out at number seven. First of all, this would be one of his last WWF appearances. He wound up getting approached by either Vince or someone else in WWF and was getting asked to basically do what Savage did five years earlier, which was scale back his in-ring stuff in favor of doing commentary and road agenting and behind-the-scenes work. And Roberts did not want to do that, so much so that he unfortunately relapsed into a number of the problems that he had had earlier in his career. Thank God he is still alive. Let's just say it like that. But even as a shell of his former self, when he comes out, I'll be damned if 60,000 people in the Alamo Dome weren't chanting for the DDT. He was still over. He still could go. Uh, he still could. He was not in great shape, but he could still get the crowd pumped and play the hits. That's what he was doing at this point. As um, we're now to number 11, Mil Mascaras. <laughs> so he was one of the all time greats. The funny story about him here is that he never wanted to get pinned in any match, he was like Hogan. He just never wanted he never wanted to put anyone over. Even so in the Royal Rumble, he didn't want to get thrown out, so he eliminated himself in this match. <laughs> he, he jumped and off the top. My goodness, look, Mil Mascaras is a WWE Hall of Famer. He is a star in Mexico. And you understand that. You understand that completely, and you want to pay him the appropriate amount of respect. But there's also an amount of respect that as a wrestler, you have to pay to the business. And he has been outed by several people as not the easiest guy to work with. Chris Jericho in his books threw Mil Mascaris under the bus and basically said that Mascaris saw him as far more important than anybody else on the roster. JBL has gone on record as saying Mil Mascaris was one of the worst human beings he's ever met. There are a number of comments one can make about JBL in that regard. We're just going to leave that there. But you see some of that in this particular match because, A, he gets himself a little bit of a run, like 15, 20 minutes. And, B, the way he eliminates himself. For one, it was designed by him to protect him. Why is he being protected when he's not going to come back? I know. And B, why are you protecting yourself in this way that makes you look like a gigantic idiot? It, it, it was bad. It, it didn't make sense. So Mill is number 11. Uh, he goes at it with the Sultan for a few moments. Triple H is number 12, who had wrestled earlier in the night. He's the IC champ. At this point, British Bulldog tosses out the Sultan. Um, Austin was trying to get Triple H out. Cool to see these two guys early on uh, work in here. They have a you know a good couple years coming up. 
Owen Hart's number 13 And so now you got Owen Hart Who kind of feels like he could maybe have a shot He wasn't like a top top But now you got a few Triple H at least he's a mid card guy Who you feel a little bit better about And number 14 Is Goldust So this is a lot of that like IC division Right here We have um, Goldust going right after Triple H Mil Mascaros and Owen are going at it So at this point we have seven With Cybernetico when he comes out At 15 JR says that he's 20 years old and Jerry The King Lawler says he won't last 20 seconds <laughs> Gotta make me laugh <laughs> um, Then Number 16 is Mark Mero at this point Mil Mascaras tosses Cybernetico And then Puroth and then he Eliminates himself so <laughs> all of the uh, the luchadors are out. So we're down to Triple H, um, Austin, Owen, Mark Mero, and Goldust. There are five. Triple H tosses out Goldust with the clothesline. Um, we get Owen and Goldust going at it for a little while. Owen skins the cat. Looks like he's going to be eliminated, but he pulls himself back in. Then number eighteen. Or number 17 is Latin Lover Who is another Triple uh, A um, Wrestler and then number 18 Is Farouk So Farouk is in But quickly Ahmed Johnson Runs back to the ring With a 2 by 4 And uh, he knocks Farouk out of the match I I don't like when that happens either When guys that get eliminated come back And Ahmed eliminated himself earlier So it just, it just felt like a waste They We know they needed spots in this rumble But it's just a, a waste of a couple spots Yep, so We'll pause here and we'll go back to A couple of different spots We stopped at Mil Mascaras Around when Triple H, Owen, and Goldust came in We fell into the Royal Rumble trap of Someone enters, hits a few moves Then goes into a corner And you wind up getting kicky punchy Until the next guy comes in And it's tough to avoid that kind of trap when it comes to the Royal Rumble, because ultimately in a good Rumble, as we've mentioned, you have six, eight, 10 guys that could conceivably win or go deep. That means at least 20 have no shot. So you wind up having to do what you can to give people some spots. Now, there were a couple of really cool spots in this little stretch. Owen beelines for Austin. He tries to dump him. And in doing so, he accidentally knocks out the British Bulldog, who, of course, is his tag team partner. And the camera guy does a great job of getting right into Bulldog's face and saying, he put me out. He was screaming at Owen. And Owen was talking about how it was an accident in the ring and he was grabbing his head. And I believe it was Jr. who said, Owen hasn't told the truth since the king was a prince, which I thought was a really <laughs> cool line. Um there were some moments in here that were okay. Uh, Cybernetico and Latin Lover both came into crickets. Nobody cared. But Latin Lover came in and got a really cool little spot that if you blink, you miss it. Goldust had dropped into a back body drop position in the center of the ring. Latin Lover slides in, kips up, and in one motion kicks Goldust right in the ass. That was a really cool spot. And ultimately, it's like somebody told the guy, look, You've got three minutes out there. Do what you can. And that is the value of bringing those guys in that can fly around and do all this cool stuff in a really short amount of time. But then you get to Farouk coming in. And I'm going to make a comparison between this rumble and one that's more recent. 
Gino, do you remember the Rumble in 2016, the Rumble that ended with Triple H as the WWE champion when they had Roman coming in at one? Mm -hmm. So the spot that I remember, there were two actually from that match. One is that's the Rumble where AJ Styles debuted at number three and the roof came off the building. But the other spot that I remember is they were doing a storyline with Brock Lesnar and the Wyatt family. The Wyatt family comes out, helps Wyatt eliminate Brock Lesnar. And you're thinking, okay, why didn't anybody stop that one? But then if you're the Wyatt family and nobody's stopping you from being out there, why don't you just stay there, eliminate everybody, and all of a sudden your leader is the champion? It's just these little logical fallacies that plague what's otherwise a fun rumble. And there are a couple of those same fallacies in this match. Where was anybody stopping Ahmed Johnson from running in? It didn't make any sense at all whatsoever. And also, Ahmed Johnson is supposed to be the babyface. What's he doing running into a match where he already eliminated himself with a two-by-four? I know. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And there were a couple of moments like that in this match where... You tried to wrap your head around it, and maybe some of it had to do with the storytelling tactics, and some of them worked, including one at the end of the match that worked perfectly. But some of them were just stupid. So at this point, Austin then tosses out Owen and Miro. So it's, again, just him in the ring. And Austin, all throughout the time, he's doing the... Looking at his wristwatch, which is one of the greatest of all, like, that, and that's what's so cool about this Royal Rumble is that you remember a couple of the moments from Austin doing the push-ups when he's in the ring alone, him sitting on the turnbuckle, looking at his his wrist, like, come on, come on, where are they? And then, obviously, when Brett comes out in just a little bit, but number nineteen was Savio Vega. He just like Jake had actually had a pretty good feud with Austin. Um, in from I think from 95 into 96 Those guys had a couple good matches There was a strap match that Vince references So Savio comes out And uh, we get a little back and forth Between Austin and Savio For uh, a minute or so And then he hits a stun gun Which was his finisher back in WCW And then he tosses Savio out This is when he uh, Again waves for the next guy to come out And it's Jesse James Road Dog. Jerry, Jerry the King well, says Well he's not quite the road dog yet And this is he's a the, really interesting Yeah it's an interesting time for him Because he's not he's the floundering No they're trying To find something for him to do And at the same time they're in the Process of repackaging Billy Gunn as Rockabilly and that's why he's Not in the rumble otherwise He would have been in the rumble just like Bart Gunn But he's off getting repackaged As the honky tonk man's protege Except that of course didn't Work how many things had To not work before they Stumbled upon those two guys and put Them together as the new age outlaws It's fascinating so Jerry the king says This guy's a promising young singer I wish he would promise to stop singing Another good one from the king here As quickly Austin tosses him And then number 21 To me when I think about the Royal Rumble This was just one of the all time great moments Austin sitting there On the top turnbuckle waiting And the clock stops Number 21 Bret Hart's music hits 
And Austin makes that face the <gasps> Oh, it's so good. It's <gasps> so good. Cause you get the this guy that had been uncrackable as this bad guy killer, you know, with and all he's of trash this... talking yeah. and pointing and doing everything. And, and then it... dun 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 dun. Oh shit. And the walk, <laughs> I just it gives me goosebumps thinking about it because Brett does this fantastic walk. Like the he's got this presence and he's he gives him a point. The I'm does, done with your bullshit walk. Yep, it's, it's you and it's me, and there's nowhere for you to run, and I'm doing this, and it's great. And so number 21 is Brett the Hitman Hart, just one of the all-time great Royal Rome uh Royal Rumble moments there. The determined walk to the ring by Brett, crowd going absolutely nuts. These guys, Vince is screaming, yes, 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 like Daniel freaking Bryan. And uh, and these guys go at it for a minute or so. And then number 22 is Jerry the King Lawler. He gets up from the announce table, takes off his jacket, goes into the ring. Brett actually has the sharpshooter on. He lets go of the sharpshooter, walks over, punches Jerry once. He doesn't go over. He punches him again, and Lawler falls over. And then walks back to the announce table And the rest of the time That's the, the bit they keep ripping on him It was in the ring for about 4 seconds And when he left He said haha Vince It takes a king And when he came back he said to know a king It was like he just completed his <laughs> sentence <laughs> Yeah that was a pretty cool Little bit and look For as much as we rag on Jerry the King Lawler and some of the things he said on commentary being genuinely creepy with 25 years of hindsight to go back to, he was never shy about getting his own comeuppance as a heel. He was he never had an issue with being the fall guy. And he always was in he always stepped all over himself to make sure at least Brett got over in all the stuff that they did. He did. And you could tell he enjoyed working with Brett and his family, the shots that he would take at Stu and Helen Hart, while also sucking up to Owen at every possible opportunity. It was really cool. And you could tell there was a genuine respect there off camera. That's it. It was awesome to see. And some of that stuff, Unlike a lot of older stuff on commentary, the stuff he did with the hearts has aged really well. And now this next, I mean, when you think about even Lawler, who's in and out, this next third of the Royal Rumble has an incredible group of talent that's going to be in the ring at the same time. Number 22, Jerry Lawler. Number 23, Fake Diesel, who comes in. But keep in mind, this is... Glenn Jacobs, this is the guy who would go on to be Kane and have a fantastic career. And he was, you know, in the diesel gimmick. He comes out. Then number 24, it's Terry Funk, who's an all-timer. Terry Funk, who was really close with Mick Foley at this point. And so they had a lot of uh, matches with each other. They teamed for a while. Funk was uh, in and out of WWF a lot during this time period for uh, a few different years here. And then... Number 25, we have Rocky Maivia, The Rock, who had just debuted in 96 Survivor Series. And so he's a fresh rook, but you can hear Vince, here comes Rocky Maivia, The Rookie. This man can win this thing. Like, you know, he is excited for Rocky Maivia. And we get to see within just a few seconds, Austin and The Rock going at it, which is really cool to see. Um, then so we're up to we're up to 25 right now and here's who's the five in the ring 
Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, Glenn Jacobs, Kane, Brett the Hitman Hart, and Terry Funk. <laughs> Not a bad. Like, and then, and then at twenty six, who comes out but Mick Foley? Mick That's Foley. That's a heck of a six right there. That's an, a really, really good six. And now you're starting to feel like when Mick Foley's in the ring, now you feel like okay, he can win this thing. Mankind has been like a top tier heel for a while, so it wouldn't be surprising to see him, you know, right up, you know, at the at the end. So now you've got Brett and Austin. And Mankind who feel like they're all Major players in here Number 27 is Flash Funk um, As JR says As you can see not related to Terry Funk Which made me laugh too As uh, um, He's number 27 And Flash Funk While he's not The same name as a lot of the other guys That are in the ring with him He was a very good worker And he was someone who could go We saw him in WCW for a while He had a really good run in ECW And then he had come over And it was kind of like in a talent exchange He was going back and forth uh, From ECW to WWF At the time period here He was too cold Scorpio Now we get Brett and Austin Going at it for a while Piledriver Flash Funk with a big cross body And number 28 it's time. It's time. It's Vader time. Vader, who had that match earlier, he defeated the Undertaker earlier on the card. So now the ring starting to fill up a little bit as we're uh, up to 28, 29, Henry O. Godwin, Hog, Henry uh, Henry O. And then we finish it off, Andrew, at number 30. JR says, if you've been if you've been keeping count, you know who's up. And Vince says, Well, let's just let him see. And I like. The way the lights went out and the Undertaker's music came And it did feel like a big deal When the Undertaker came out at number 30 So the the 10 guys in the ring There are 8 greats You've got Brett, Austin, Kane, Terry Funk, Mick Foley, The Rock, Undertaker, and Vader All in the ring at the end And so for a Royal Rumble that had some some kind of slow spots it was good because you had a, a, someone like Austin kind of carrying through a lot of it and telling a story. But I would say it really picked up here at the end because now you're feeling like, okay, Undertaker, Vader, Mankind, Brett, Austin, all legitimate chances, like all guys who could win this thing. Yeah, uh, it, it's tough to find anybody that's missing from this group. And you could maybe pick nits and say, Oh, maybe they could have given Owen a little bit of a longer run, or maybe you give Triple H a little bit of a longer run, what have you. They got this about as right as they were going to get it, and it wound up being something that the way that they booked it helped a lot of guys involved. The problem is, when you got to take her at 30, you had 10 guys in the ring, and it seemed like it dragged just a little bit. That's not to say it was bad and there were some really cool moments when they start finally picking each other off. You get some really cool stuff. For instance, Mankind dumps Terry Funk. The Undertaker dumps Mankind, which given their 1996 history with one another, you sort of had to figure something like that was going to happen. And then you can sort of see Mick Foley and Terry Funk. I don't know if this was planned beforehand or if they just decided to do it. But they looked at each other and they decide to fight all the way back to the backstage area, which for those who know their history, that was a really cool thing to see. So, yeah, it's a it's a fun 
end of this match where you have Taker going after Vader, Mankind and Austin all having uh, their back and forth, and then Flash Funk jumps for a crossbody. Vader catches him and just tosses him over his head. Like an awesome elimination. At this point, Stone Cold's been in the ring for over 40 minutes. We have Brett the Hitman Hart and Rocky Maivia going at it, which is cool. Um, and you know, you have Brett, Austin, and The Rock all going at each other for a moment. We then have um Undertaker toss Henry out, so we're down to seven. And Mankind has the mandible claw on Rocky Maivia and tosses him out. Then Funk and Mankind just brawl with each other. Mankind with the clothesline. Uh, they both hold on, but then Mankind pulls him over the top and then Undertaker dumps him. So they're just fighting, like you said, all the way back. We're down to five left um, with Diesel, Brett, Austin, Vader, and Undertaker. Now, because Mick, and, because Mankind and Terry Funk are fighting, the referees go to try to break them up and they don't see. Bret Hart cleanly throws Stone Cold right over the top And then Bret goes to work on um, Fake Diesel In the other corner Vader and Undertaker are going at it Austin looks around No referees have seen that his feet have touched He creeps back into the ring He goes up and he eliminates Vader and Undertaker While he's doing that Bret has just tossed Fake Diesel Bret turns around He thinks he's won the thing There's nobody... Left in the ring and then Austin comes from behind and tosses him Brett is furious He knows he threw him out And Stone Cold Steve Austin gets announced as the Royal Rumble winner So Andrew, this thing went about 50 minutes What did you think about the way they decided to end this Rumble? So this was entertaining And there were a lot of memorable moments We've had a lot of fun talking about this Rumble It is not a bad rumble, and I don't want anyone listening thinking we're just dumping on this rumble because it's 1997 WWF, and it's sort of easy to dump on that stuff, right? The problem is there were a lot of moments that left you scratching your head. So Brett dumps Austin. The referees don't see it. At least that's the storyline. You're telling me there's not a referee backstage, like just in case the referees get taken out at some point, like nobody has seen this. Nobody has seen this. So Austin's able to come back, dump Brett, win the thing. Brett is furious, throws the tantrum after the match. And Vince is incensed. Vince talks about, huh, talk about unsportsmanlike conduct. How is Brett at fault here? He got Answer screwed. Question. He literally he got did. screwed. Now, I mean, JR, to his credit, takes Brett's side in all of this. And of course, he's right. Now, he says, I saw it with my own two eyes. He threw him right over the top. It was clean as can be. Yep. Now, ultimately, this would wind up paying dividends at WrestleMania when WWF realized, okay, the crowd really wants to cheer Steve Austin. We need to turn Brett heel. Let's do the double turn and we'll figure the rest out later. It wound up working out at the time, though, this didn't make a lot of sense. And while it goes to Michael Hayes's logic about heels and how at their core heels always believe that they're right, it just didn't look all that great when viewed in a vacuum. If you're viewing it as part of the story, it's much better. But as far as the single match goes, leaves a bad taste in your mouth especially when you know 
that the guy that wins the Royal Rumble usually gets the title shot at WrestleMania, was announced as getting the title shot at WrestleMania, and then didn't get the title shot at WrestleMania because reasons. Yeah, um, I remember this was like one of the my my most vivid memories, like 10 years old, and I'm such a Bret Hart fan. And I didn't know, I mean, I knew at this point that re- I knew what wrestling was, but I still was so into it. Like, and and I I was furious. I remember being about as mad as Bret Hart was with at this happening. Just I was livid, just so furious. And uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin gets the win. He had ten eliminations. He lasted forty five minutes. This was a a performance that made Stone Cold. I think things in '96 really helped. The King of the Ring, the Austin 316, the match with Brett. But this, some of the visuals, what ended up happening and how this kind of catapulted him. This this was just a fantastic night for Stone Cold Steve Austin. And a month later, they would end up having a final four match. I thought they they told a good story in that the way they they revisited the match, they said because Stone Cold was eliminated, what they're going to do is basically restart the match at the point. When Stone Cold was eliminated So at that point he comes back into the ring He eliminates Vader and Undertaker That shouldn't have counted because he was already gone And so it should have just been Brett, Austin, Stone Cold Or Brett, Stone Cold, Vader and Taker I think it was funny because They they found a way to get Fake Diesel out of there Because Brett eliminates Fake Diesel So I guess it makes sense that you know he was a legal elimination, but he was actually still in there at the point of uh, of Austin going over. But they didn't really want him to be in that main event match. And I'm pretty sure we've reviewed that one, Andrew. It's a fun match. It was kind of a unique idea in that they had a match that was a no DQ. You could win by pin or submission or throwing your opponent over the top a fatal four-way match with Austin, Brett, Vader, and Undertaker. Yeah, um, as... Main events go for shows leading up to WrestleMania. That one was a darn good one. The problem is all of the machinations that were necessary in order to get from where we were at the end of this pay-per-view to where we wound up at WrestleMania, not the least of which because Sean M lost his smile. And I'm Andrew, I don't know about you, but I'm never really a fan of doing the doing a match after the Rumble. I, I think that. At the Royal Rumble, you usually want to end with a Rumble. Now, I can understand anywhere else. This anywhere was the else, San Antonio yeah. thing with Michaels at the Alamo Dome, so I I will give them a little bit of leeway here. But it's just such a big match, and you get up for every minute and a half. You get up because you're excited to see who the next one's going to be and the countdown and everything, and then you're up for about an hour, and then you have to have another match. It's always just a little deflating. And what ended up hurting this main event. Andrew, which was Psycho Sid against Shawn Michaels, was these two guys had a really good match at Survivor Series. That was maybe Sid's best match ever, like a four-star-ish match. And the crowd really liked Sid, and Sid got the win in that match. But here, Shawn was sick. He had a, a, a flu going into the day. Sick. Who knows? Who knows what was going on? But well, no, it was he, a legitimate flu. Because he did get... A medication, right? I think they were giving him like antibiotics and medicine and giving him yeah, um, and IVs also, and stuff. As the match is going on, he's blown up, he's sweating you can bullets. See. 
Like this isn't Sean going boo-boo faced because no. of something in the he, match. This is Sean in legitimate pain. And I think because of that, this match probably had five minutes cut off of it. And the guys probably had to change the way they work the match a little bit. This match ends up going 13 plus minutes or so. And it's not a bad match. It's not. I would say it's, you know, in the two and a half to three star match. The thing is that you just didn't get very many matches like that from Shawn Michaels. Really through this time period, he was always pretty good, even with all of his outside of the ring issues. You know, you think about stuff with, you know, Vader was good. With Mankind was good Anything with Taker was good Anything with Diesel was very good His stuff with Bulldog was good uh, Obviously all the stuff with Brett was excellent And with Austin was good So this was probably one of his weaker main event matches But he was very sick And I thought they'd, um, they They probably went a little longer on the video package Because of that It was a really well done video package To show all of the storyline and the build up Remember that Sid attacked Jose Lothario in that match at the Survivor Series Shawn Michaels Went to go um, check on His friend and that ended up Distracting him and causing him to lose that The title there so this is Shawn Michaels attempt to win the Title back we get the Entrances Shawn And I like how they were starting to show The entrances guys walking through the Back a little bit more again just slightly Different production stuff that was cool and we got the stare down to start in the ring. They're showing the size difference between Sid and Shawn Michaels. And he, again, it wasn't bad. Just it was like a B, B minus of a match that just never got to that A range, which you kind of expect a lot from Shawn Michaels. Um, early on, you know, we get Michaels. With a like little burst of energy He tosses Sid outside into the barricade But then Sid's in control for a lot of the match We get a kind of a sloppy power slam He puts the camel clutch on a couple different times Doesn't really look fantastic Sid just tossing Sean around into the ring um, Into the ropes, the turnbuckle uh, Into the ring post a few times He locks in a chin lock Then a big clothesline Crowd is definitely behind Sean though Now the crowd's starting to to really Get into the match a little bit more And so this is a Shawn Michaels hometown crowd Not like the MSG crowd that was Very much into Sid a few months before Then we get a bear hug They show Shawn Michaels parents um, in the crowd Build a little sympathy for Shawn Shawn Ends up you know getting little Flurries here and there but this is A lot of Sid big leg drop Um, Shawn with the Body slam and a forearm And then a kip up and then he goes up top He hits a nice lefty elbow um, then he goes for a super kick, but Sid blocks it, and then he uh, tosses Sean over the top rope outside. They go out on the floor, um, power bomb by Sid, and the uh, then Sid grabs Jose Lothario and Jose's son Pete, and they're all kind of getting into it. Pat Patterson tries to get in the middle, and Sid just kind of kicks him away, and then tosses Shawn Michaels back in the ring, and <laughs> so. Sid, you know, really does control a lot of this match And that's why the pace is slow I think because Sean's sick They probably slowed things down a little bit And had Sid work a little more dominant in the match Is um, Sean knocks into Earl Hebner So we get a ref bump here Sid hits a choke slam Then Mike Kyoto comes down to uh, to count the pin um, Just two So Sid nails Mike Kyoto and knocks him out and JR goes, well, that was stupid. 
<laughs> it's just again another JR one that just made me laugh. He's like the referee came down to to count and he just punched him. That was stupid. It was hilarious the way he said it. Great timing from JR. So Sid again loses focus and he goes over to Jose Lothario. So Shawn Michaels grabs a camera from ringside and he hits Sid in the back. Um, little getting even from a few months earlier. He nails him in the chest with the camera. So it looks like Sean's going to win. He crawls over for the one, for the two. Oh, it was just two. This was a that was a good near fall. That was a really good spot. The crowd was into it. They bit hard on that one. Following that, Shawn Michaels sets up for the sweet chin music. He hits it and he covers for the one, two, and the three. Just under 14 minutes. They work a little slower paced match. Like I said, they probably cut a few minutes off. They had a better match a couple months before, but Shawn Michaels, babyface wins. There weren't any bad botches. Everybody gets out of here healthy. In the last couple minutes, the crowd was fine. So I didn't I didn't hate this match or anything. I didn't have a problem with it. And I actually thought from about the point Austin comes out in the rumble, the show does take a pretty good turn. Because early on, it's just it's very flat. For a lot of the undercard But from about Austin on And especially the last third of the Rumble When Brett comes in And we start getting those Hall of Famers Funk, Rock, Taker You know, Mick All of them It's kind of a fun Rumble ending And this match is fine I'd I'd prefer that it went 13 minutes like this Than if they tried to go an extra 8 or 10 minutes Andrew and it just was slower and plotting This was fine for me Yeah, this reminds me of a comment that AJ Styles made on an episode of Table for Three on the WWE Network where he was sitting down with Shawn Michaels and with Kevin Nash. And he talks about how one of his favorite TNA matches isn't one that a lot of people will regard as one of his best. It was against Kevin Nash, and they told the story of the little guy chopping the tree down. And he said, look, if Shawn and I were able to have a match It would be fantastic, but we would have to work our asses off because that's just who we are and that's our styles and that's what we would need to do. If it's big guy, little guy, you don't have to do a lot to get the crowd into it. And in this instance, they worked around both guys as well as they could. It's well known that Sean had the flu. You can see he's sweating bullets. Sid got in a car accident a week or two before this show. He was fine. But he was still rattled and not necessarily in the kind of position you want your champion to be in before a major show. Michaels takes a couple of pretty big bumps. He's doing everything that he can, but he's not the Shawn Michaels that went 100 miles an hour against everybody else. And if you're expecting that, that's just not the Shawn you're going to get here. He winds up gutting it out. And they do what they can to make this match watchable despite everything that's going on. We get some Jose Lothario involvement in what turns out to be his last appearance ringside with Sean. Because remember, not long after this, Sean loses his smile, comes back. They start doing DX with Hunter. And you wind up with a completely different version of Sean Michaels at this point in 1998. It's not a bad match. Ultimately, all the crowd wanted was HBK hitting sweet chin music, getting the pinfall and having his hand raised. That's what they wound up getting here. And as long as they checked that box, it really didn't matter what kind of quality this match was. We still got something that was at least watchable. It's not anything you need to go back and see more than once, 
But if you want to see somebody who's clearly not at 100% trying to gut his way through it to give fans that kind of moment, that's what Michaels did here. So I remember earlier watching the first part of this going, God, this was bad. And then as the rumble started to pick up thinking, okay, you know, it ended on a, on a positive note and sort of like what we say with things, when we know how it plays out, we know things get really good moving forward. So it is kind of fun to see stone cold, Steve Austin right here and Rocky, my via right here and how the next few years would be so good for triple H and Mick Foley and the undertaker and, uh, and, and guys like that. So overall, a show that's not fantastic top to bottom, but does end positively. That last 30, 35 minutes or so are pretty good. And no matter what, Andrew, WWE is a company that loves the moments. There are definitely a few of those moments here that you'll always remember in the Brett Austin interactions in the Rumble. Austin really, you know, making himself in that Rumble. And then even Sean winning, you know, with the hometown crowd. So some good moments and um, lots of positives for a show that kind of was was flat and kind of tough to get through that first hour, hour and a half. Yeah, there was some real junk on the undercard. And honestly, any WWF show from 97 until probably mid 99 is going to have a lot of junk to wade through at some point in the program because WWF was reeling. WCW had all the momentum. They had all of the talent. And then everything happens in 97 that winds up shaping the company moving forward. You had Montreal. You had Vince becoming the gigantic supervillain. You had Austin emerging as the anti-hero babyface. You couldn't help but cheer. You had Rocky Maivia turning into The Rock. You had Sean and Hunter uh, forming DX. You had any number of other things. It was really, really cool to see how WWF was transforming itself into the company that ultimately wound up helping to put WCW out of business. We're always going to remember this recording, too, because it'll be funny to see how things play out over the next few days, weeks, months, as this was January the 10th, right when the news popped on Twitter as we're recording this, that WWE has possibly been sold to Saudi Arabia. I say possibly because... Nowadays, you never really know. I, it, it only has really been the one, the one uh, source. Like a lot of the other sources are kind of just picking it up and aggregating it. So yeah, I mean, it's not that I, I don't believe it. It's just we've seen information nowadays in this time where something gets out there, everybody runs with it, and we don't know. But it can't be coincidental, Andrew, that this happens on the same day that Stephanie McMahon put in her resignation earlier on. Like I just that that can't be a coincidence, right? No, that's for sure. Um, When there's smoke, there's fire. We know the Saudi Arabia government has agreements in place with WWE, so there are relationships that are there. This isn't a company just suddenly up and selling to some mystery buyer they don't have a relationship with. I would not be surprised to learn that this has been in the works for some time, and that's why Vince strong-armed his way back onto the board I hope it's wrong. We're not going to get overly into politics and everything behind that. But the fact is, if indeed Saudi Arabia now controls WWE, the women's division is a gigantic question mark. And you're going to have the guy that was arguably 
WWE's most valuable player in late 2022 as the honorary Oos in the bloodline. What are you going to do with somebody that has been very vocal in his distaste for the Saudi Arabian government who now maybe owns your employer? This is going to be so many layers to this, and we will be monitoring this. We'll be talking a lot about it in the coming days and weeks. This was just a bombshell that got dropped as we, we were recording. We might need an emergency podcast oh, yeah, at some we, point in the next We absolutely will. I just I want mean, another day or two to get more from, like, maybe the wrestling inks, the Sean Ross saps. I want to hear a little bit more from the guys at post wrestling. It's like some of the, the ones that I really trust. Right. I just want to hear a little more from them. And then we can comment on it because this, I, again, like, I just don't know how I feel about any of this and how, how it would be like, again, maybe it's a little hypocritical of me to say, uh, I don't feel the same way if I'll watch a Saudi Arabia show here and there that they have. But if, if this was like a fully backed and funded Saudi Arabia operation. I mean, you start asking questions about like how do what are the operations going to be like here over like here in America, live events, like what's the TV net contracts going to be like? Because are they gonna like our networks here gonna want to deal with that them and that money? Is this just like a way for Vince to kind of get a sale and to tell everyone F you? Is this something that Vince can be tied with Because maybe he just wanted to come back and be creative And this was the only way where he gets to be creative Get to go into bed with these people They give him a bunch of money And he just doesn't care anymore I mean there are so many questions to ask about this Andrew And we just don't have very much info right now No I mean the thing that I'm wondering Is okay So if WWE Is now owned by Saudi Arabia There's no doubt WrestleMania is in Saudi Arabia every year for the foreseeable future, right? Oh, I mean, absolutely. I don't, yeah, it's, this is, this will be interesting. And I, I on every level, I hope we're going to wake up and find out that this was like not right, but it's getting a little too much traction now for that to, uh, for that to be the case. But when we know more about this, we will talk more about this. I'll definitely bring Andrew along. And uh, and DZ if he wants to talk about it with Chad Cooper And we'll uh, yeah we'll dive on in Andrew 97 Rumble So we took a detour here We were initially supposed to go to uh, Where was it Wrestle War 92 yeah Wrestle War 92 So we'll go back to Wrestle War 92 On the next old wrestling rewatch But since it was Rumble season We figured we had to uh, talk a little Rumble And yeah we'll be talking a lot more wrestling in the coming days Make sure to give Andrew a follow On social media At Andrew Champagne on Twitter AndrewChampagne.com Where you can also check out a lot of good writing there From Andrew and uh, he's here On the old wrestling rewatch We'll be talking Rumble in a few weeks I mean hell who knows what's going to be happening In the coming days and weeks But that's the plan to do a Royal Rumble preview show Like we did last year Where we kind of go through all of the announced participants And possible surprises I know Jay White has been a rumored Uh um, uh, free agent coming up in the uh, in the next few weeks. So Ooh. that might change after tonight. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? All we know is that we just finished Royal Rumble '97. That one's in the books. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back again very soon here on the Old Wrestling Rewatch. And that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks so much to Eric for helping us out all throughout the NFL season as we now get into the NFL playoffs. Thanks to Kubaloo 
for this week in wrestling. Andrew Champagne with the old wrestling rewatch, Rumble 97. If there is changes or more racing coming up at Santa Anita on Monday, I'll have at least a video or some stuff on social media. So come give me a follow there. It's me, Gino B. Hope everyone has a nice, safe weekend, and we'll talk to you again real soon.